Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network's week three of anniversary month as we are going back 25 years. Oh, we feel so old. <laughs> 25 years ago. They didn't have we TikTok watching... back then. <laughs> there was no TikTok. Uh, we were way ahead of the 20th anniversary of Nip Tuck or whatever it is. And, and all those other <laughs> All those other milestones weren't even there yet, but we had Jim Carrey, the biggest movie star in the world, making his dramatic debut in what was, I remember at the time, being one of the most heavily hyped movies I had ever experienced, at least for the time that I'd been alive uh, and paying attention That's to movies. a long time. It was a very long time. It was approximately 78 years at that point. <laughs> uh, but uh, Jim Carrey, who everybody loved, as I get my dinner delivered. Oh, hi, Jamie. Uh, Yes, she's trying to hold up that there's pizza here. Oh, but, right. Uh, I thought you were trying to grab bubbly. something else. Oh. Product placement. <laughs> Product placement. Oh, this is Tony, appropriate this for Truman is like Show. The Truman Show. <laughs> Can I just quickly add before Why don't you try a new bubbly? <laughs> to, inter- to interrupt your thing, bubbly in this country is a ripoff. We've finally got it and they charge you like triple the price as they do in Canada. That's my rant over. Continue the intro, Colin. Oh, did, do they have Soda Stream as well in Australia? Yeah, but I don't get that. Oh, then you could make your own bubbly for the Canadian cost. Um, anyways, this episode is brought to you by Bubbly. Uh, but The Truman Show, a movie way ahead of his time, a movie, uh, well, approximately two years ahead of his time, predating uh, reality TV and everything else. And Jim Carrey is coming off of uh, coming out of rhinoceroses' vaginas <laughs> only three years earlier than this. Wasn't it a butthole? Well, but I think, yes, it was the butthole, but I think it was supposed to be signifying coming out of a vagina because it was giving birth. Anyways, that's what he was doing prior to this. And then all of a sudden, he's a dramatic actor. <laughs> that's our debate. It was a butthole, Colin, not a vagina. Wasn't it a butthole, but a butthole or vagina? Listeners, uh, you can give us your answer right now. Just reply to the comments of this. Uh, but uh, Truman Show at 25 years now and reality TV at about 23. Uh, my name is Colin and I made macaroni. And my name is Gene, Joey, and Joanne, and I'm home, Colin. Look what I got for you at the checkout. It's a chef's pal. It's a dicer, grater, peeler, all in one. Never need sharpening. Dishwasher safe. Can we just say right now, this a lot of this episode is going to be about how Jim Carrey was robbed of an Oscar nomination. Laura Linney robbed of an Oscar nomination. 100%. This should have been her first. Uh, she has gotten like nominated for everything else she's ever made, I think, after this. But didn't get nominated for the Truman Show. Come uh, on, this is brilliant. I love her. She's, I mean, Jim Carrey is a star. I love him. But God, I love that woman. And it's because of this movie <laughs> that I love this woman. And I agree, 100%. She should have gotten Oscar. The dog, the wiener dog with a yeah. <laughs> with a leash on it should have got. Everyone should have gotten nominated for an Oscar. Come on. The twins. 
first yes. ever twin nomination. Where's our best supporting twins in a motion picture? The water for its great action scene. <laughs> you know, come on. That was realistic acting. The water really looked like it wanted to kill Jim Carrey. And the Academy Award for best uh, movie lighting prop <laughs> that falls from the sky goes to the lighting rigs. Yay. Uh, and Noah Emmerich's in this film as well. Noah Emmerich also deserved an Oscar nomination. For carrying beer, Noah Emmerich. <laughs> and staring into the camera saying, he's gone. <laughs> uh, this movie is absolutely brilliant. Uh, this major top 50 movies of all time. It basically just missed out on mine. Uh, and if I revise it now, I might put it up because this is one of these movies that like, I saw this opening weekend. I think anybody who is growing up you know, during the 90s, Jim Carrey was as big as any movie star got. I mean, I'm struggling to think about anybody since then that was at that level of popularity where everybody loved this guy. Like, adults loved him. Grandparents loved him. Well, dogs could, loved him. I could tell you some people who don't, but that they're just idiots. Hello, Dad. Ben, ben knows lots of idiots. He's related to somebody. <laughs> uh, he is one of them, but he's one of the smarter ones because he liked Jim Carrey. But, I mean, the level of popularity Jim Carrey had, like, there was nothing like it. And this was the guy that like, everybody went to go see his movies. And then the cable guy came out and only a couple of people went to go see his movies. But by the time the cable guy even came out, he was, I already knew about this movie. And I think everybody kind of, this was like the big news story. Jim Carrey's going to make a dramatic movie. And the plot of this was kind of mentioned. And I think everybody on the sun was like, wow, a movie about a guy whose entire life is recorded by cameras. This is definitely science fiction. <laughs> um, Which I love how they still uh, call it science fiction, like 25 years later. Like, this isn't science fiction, I feel, this movie. This, this movie's prophetic. That's what it yeah. is. Because <laughs> Mark Burnett had an idea a couple of years after. I mean, in all fairness, reality TV did exist. Yeah. But, like, to the level where you want to create an environment, like like you know, the Truman Show does, We even if people in Survivor know that they're on an island on a game show, you are creating an environment for them to play in, you know, and Big Brother, very similar thing. Uh, there's another show which I'm excited to talk about here because I don't even know if you ever saw it or maybe we have talked about it for the Joe Schmo oh, show. That, yeah, yeah, I've, I, I never watched yeah. it. I know exactly what you're talking about. It was a big deal. I remember it. Yeah, yeah that was like it, it was done more as a parody, but it was we're going to have a guy who doesn't. <laughs> no, he's going to die of COVID <laughs> right on no. it. <laughs> It's that annual time we're calling gets COVID. <laughs> Wait a uh, but uh, in, th in that one, we have a show where the guy thinks he's on a regular reality show, but then uh, he doesn't realize everybody else's actors. I mean, th this show, this movie did inspire other shows, even though reality TV, like the real world and everything else existed prior to this. So, I mean, way ahead of his time for that. But I mean, even as a movie, I think the thing that always shocks me the most is every couple of years, I'll put this movie on. And somehow it just gets better every single year. Yeah. And you think it would be the opposite. You think it would be like, oh, we see this every day now. But like there was something about this movie in the mid to late 90s. As everybody started hearing about it where it just felt so far fetched and so brilliant. Like I've never I've never thought anything like this would exist. Like I can remember the anticipation leading up to this movie. And then yeah, I, as far as memories go, I mean, I don't remember very big specifics. I just remember that opening week could be like, I have to see this movie because it's Jim Carrey. And on top of that, the movie looks brilliant, too. I've already there's a couple of articles floating around that have been written in the last couple of years um, on the BBC. The Truman Show has a film ever predicted the future so accurately. Vanity Fair on the 20th anniversary said 20 years later, everything is the Truman Show. Like it's you're right. This is a film that it's like fine wine. It ages perfectly. Um, and I mean, it's rare that you have a film that does this. 
And it also makes me even madder that Jim Carrey didn't get an Oscar for this film, which I'm sure we will talk about this, let alone a, a nomination. I remember the hype as a kid. I would have been 11 in this period and mad Jim Carrey fan. I mean, I had obviously would have seen Dumb and Dumber at that point, Ace Ventura, The Mask. I remember seeing The Mask. The Mask would have been the first Jim Carrey movie I ever saw at the cinemas. Um, I'm pretty sure I would have seen The Cable Guy by then, but I've I've always been a Cable Guy defender and a Cable Guy fan. You and I have talked about this plenty of times before, and The Cable Guy is now a movie that gets love. It didn't at the time, um, but yeah, and Liar Liar, of course, uh, around then as well. Uh, so yeah, I would have would have been on board those. My dad, not a Jim Carrey fan, he couldn't stand him. I remember he think he and Mum got tickets to see Ace Ventura like through. Um, a radio contest or something, and they went together. And I just remembered Dad the whole time, oh, that movie was stupid and I didn't get it and it was this and that. And I think they just sent him off Jim Carrey. So as a kid, like it was sort of, I'm sure you had the same, like if you, your parents went out, you sort of, your grandma or somebody would be looking after you. So it was always, you know, down to my nan. Often my parents would be going out on a weekend, so she would babysit my sister and I for the weekend and would often go to the movies. And I'd be like, Nan, my dad's mean and won't let me see that Jim Carrey movie. And she'd be like, oh, I don't know who Jim Carrey is in like a Scottish accent. Um, so we saw The Mask. I remember. Scottish grammar. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> man, I don't know who Jim Carrey is. <laughs> who is he? Is he Billy Connolly? Um, so that's why I remember seeing The Mask as a kid. But yeah, I, I was like, come on, Nan, there's this great new movie coming out. It's called The Truman Show with my favorite actor, Jim Carrey, in it. And I actually remember my Nan enjoying this film. I remember, oh, that was a good oh, film. Um, and loved it. And I don't think I ever got it like on VHS when it came out. But again, similar to Mrs. Doubtfire last week, it was one I'd always rent. But I also, I think I mentioned this in the lead up to this. I remember studying this in high school. We And I've read a lot of uh, articles about how this has been studied a lot throughout colleges and high schools and universities. Uh, I think Jim Carrey sort of said in an interview when they asked him, you know, I think maybe on the 20th anniversary about, oh, you're still shitty, you didn't get nominated and he was kind of like no i'm over it he's like at the end of the day this this movie gets studied in schools not many not many Mm -hmm. people can say that about their films but yeah i was in an english class and we did a good month long analysis of this film um which i loved every second of because we got to watch this movie about four times which was great (laughs) so love 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 this movie it came in at 15th on my overall top 50 movies of all time which will be the highest of this month considering three of them are on this list (laughs) which I think we know what my number one's going to be. But yeah, I mean, I had probably hadn't watched this in maybe a year or two this time around. It just, oh, can't say anything bad about it. It's just so goddamn good. And just the lengths that Peter Weir goes to as well to almost just the filming style of this movie, the, the way you almost, it's done as a reality show almost. Like the, yeah. a lot of the angles and everything are kind of just done in the way that you'd be watching. Button these cams. Scenes. Button cams, like pencil sharpener cams. Um, I think Vince Gilligan was inspired for a lot of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul with these like, you know, unique cameras and everything. And as I think I've mentioned too, this is definitely one of those ones where uh, it's very deep on the level where sometimes I go, am I in the Truman Show? And I've read yeah. that there is a literal psychological condition called syndrome. the Truman Show Syndrome, syndrome mm-hmm. which uh, Andrew Nichols said, you know, you've made it when you've had a disease named after you. <laughs> uh, so I'm not the only one out there who gets this vibe. Uh, but yeah, oh God, this movie, this movie is nearly perfect. It's amazing. Uh, we're going to get into even more Jim Carrey next year. Uh, yes. stay tuned for the end of this month to talk about that a little bit, but, um, I mean, Jim Carrey signing on to this movie is what made it a big deal. And yeah, it was, it was a couple of years. So I think he signs on to this after Ace Ventura, when nature calls 
And they basically have to put it on hold because he's already got Cable Guy and Liar Liar. Uh, he said yes on the spot, the, apparently. Like he like he saw it and was like, yep, I'll do it. He didn't even and, hesitate. And who wouldn't? I mean, this this is a guy who is at the height of his popularity, making tw- the first actor ever to make $20 million a movie. That's an important thing to mention. Is that before Truman Show comes out, he's getting $20 million for the Cable Guy. First actor in history to do that. That becomes the benchmark for every other actor of the 90s. Tom Cruise then says, okay, I get $20 million. John Travolta. Nicholas Cage, Tom Hanks, Denzel, like they all say $20 million is my new price. That was a, wasn't that the big Charlie's Angels thing is that Cameron Diaz said, okay, uh, then I'm getting $20 million. Chris Tucker too, because he got into a lot of uh, shit around demanding that for Rush Hour too when he'd done like oh, three yeah. films. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think with Jim Carrey, he had done three films, so why not, right? Uh, but uh, this movie, I mean, prior to that, I mean, you, you mentioned Andrew Nichol. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of talk briefly about the movie of Andrew Nichols that actually makes my top 50. I think it was maybe even in my top 10 Gattaca. So Andrew Nichol and a Kiwi, sorry, Ben, <laughs> we, have a, we have an Aussie and we, no, we well, we have a Kiwi and an Aussie. So we got Peter Weir, the Aussie and then uh Kiwi Andrew, Andrew Nichol. Andrew Nichol writes this script for the Truman show in the early nineties. Uh, very different script. If you actually read up like what, what the original script was, mm. I mean, it was not this, Pleasantville like town. It was basically modeled after New York City. It was much darker. He he really wanted Gary Oldman. But this script was so in demand that when he signed uh with the studio and said, I'll sell you this script, he was able to put in his contract, but I get to direct the movie. And then they start to get nervous when they're looking at like, oh, this movie's gonna cost a lot of money to make, maybe upwards of like, you know, 60, 70, 80 million dollars. So they say, Okay, just, we understand you have this in your contract. We're not quite comfortable giving you an $80 million movie, but we love this script and we want on the deal. So what if we paid you even more money to forego that option? And then we'll give you $40 million to make any movie that you want. We don't even care. We'll just write a script and we'll make it. It, it could have been, you know, Andrew Nichol uh, masturbating on camera for two hours and they would have been <laughs> obligated to make it. That's how uh, much power he had. Uh, and he basically Donald. says... <laughs> <laughs> that that's Andrew Nichols' next film. He's remaking Zardoz. He's going to be the star. But uh, he went on to make this movie Gattaca just with his, well, they're going to give me anything. I'll make this movie Gattaca. And Gattaca, I had seen, uh, I'd say probably six months or so before the Truman Show comes out. I mean, it came out like a year beforehand. And uh, that movie, I mean, it, it's very different from the Truman Show. It, you can see it would be more in line with what he would have done with Truman Show. Darker, but still like uplifting. You've never seen it, have you? No, I haven't. I'm just saying here that he co-wrote uh, The Terminal, which is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Yeah, well, The Terminal was taken away from him. That's uh, one of the other things. That was meant to be like, okay, this is my next big thing. And then Spielberg came on and they said, well, we're getting it to Spielberg. And Spielberg said, Spielberg. I'm going to give it to uh, <laughs> somebody else to work on with me. But, uh, but I mean, Gattaca is this movie. It, it basically checked all the boxes, but it was a smart movie, which at the age I was at, I, I don't know if I was... I, I obviously was ready for it because I loved the movie, but... Uh, it's basically about a guy who wants to work for NASA, but he lives in a future where everybody is genetically engineered to be whatever, you know, your parents determine you want to be. And he's one of the few people who's not genetically engineered. So he basically steals an identity of Jude Law, who is like the perfectly engineered man. Yeah, of course. Right. Uh, but I mean, that movie, I saw that. And I think that was that was like the first movie where I saw something that was like smarter than I was. And I knew it was smarter than I was, but I loved the movie. And that kind of like, you know, opened me up to like, okay, I'm going to check out some other smart movies and not just Jim Carrey coming out of a rhinoceros vagina or butthole, whatever it is. Uh, So, I mean, I love Gattaca. 
Uh. <laughs> what, what, when you can come out of an osteitis vagina or that a butthole, or when you can be smart enough? <laughs> I was to say, there is a t shirt going around, all these funny t shirts I have now, and there's like a picture of Jim Carrey emerging from a rhinoceros butthole that says, Can't hunt these rhinos. <laughs> Let's get it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I remember then knowing this movie, The Truman Show, the guy who wrote and directed Gattaca was doing the show. I got even more excited about it. And then, and then you have Peter Weir, who comes onto the movie after Andrew Nichol is given his not walking papers, but you know, we're going to demote you, but pay you more money and then give you $40 million. Poor Andrew Nichol. Uh, and they kind of went through all these different directors they were looking at. And Andrew Nichols, the one who suggested, what about Peter Weir? And then Peter Weir comes on and makes Andrew Nichol rewrite this movie 12 times, uh, basically removing the darkness of the movie. I mean, the movie originally would have like ended like the big showdown with Kristoff would have been like, Truman holding a gun to his head or something like that. He was basically like, I'm going to kill myself unless you, somebody tells me what's going on. Uh, it would have been like modeled after New York City. It, it would not have been as pleasant and uplifting of a movie. And Peter Weir said, make this change, make this change. But Peter Weir was the guy who instantly said, Jim Carrey is my first choice. Yeah. And what I actually find interesting about that is we're, we're coming off of last week, Mrs. Doubtfire, where we talked about another Peter Weir movie, Dead Poet Society, where Robin Williams had been nominated for Good Morning Vietnam. But I mean, from what I remember about Good Morning Vietnam, that was more Robin Williams playing Robin Williams, you know? Uh, the Dead Poet Society was like, I'm going to take a really over-the-top cartoony guy and make him a serious actor. So this is obviously something that Peter Weir just loves to do, like take the most unpredictable actor and he sees something where he's like, this guy's this brilliant at comedy, I can make him this good at uh, you know drama. And he does the same thing with Jim Carrey. Uh, so, I mean, first choice for the movie, I and mean, that's crazy because this is a guy who'd been nominated for multiple Academy Awards. I mean, we've talked about a couple times on here, you, you not quite loving, but me loving Gallipoli, like his breakthrough movie. I mean, Peter Weir was like a major director at this point, and him signing on pretty much guaranteed this would be an Oscar bait film. And of all people, this Oscar bait director says, Jim Carrey's my guy coming off of Ace Ventura. I did read that Robin Williams was also considered, I think, maybe in the first draft of the script. I don't know if that was until Peter Weir came on that it was sort of written with Robin Williams in mind, uh, which, in all honesty, like, as much as I love Jim Carrey, if you were to say, who else could play this role? I could see Robin Williams playing this role. I think that Robin Williams would would be okay in this role. Um, but, yeah, Peter Weir, you know, yeah, Gallipoli, obviously, big name in Australia, uh, Picnic, at Han- Picnic at Hanging Rock. I think I've talked about that before. That's a pretty big iconic Australian film as well that uh, always has a lot of high. I've never seen it. Uh, and I think they did uh, in the last five or so years, they did a television miniseries remake of it, which also haven't seen, but um, oh, picnic or Gallipoli. Cause I know they did for Gallipoli. Uh, well, both uh, picnic at hanging rock. They definitely did do a remake of it as well. Um, Cause I'm pretty sure that's a novel as well. Um, yeah, it is a novel based uh, by Joan Lindsay. Um, so, yeah, very esteemed. And and I actually, I know Master and Commander is a big movie of yours. I didn't actually realize he did that. But um, yeah, Dead Poets Society was another one that we studied in high school. Loved that film. Great film. So I think maybe that was, maybe we did back to back. Maybe that was like a Peter Weir sort of study. Because mm. that makes, that make, ticks a few boxes in my head that that makes sense. That we would kind of maybe do two Peter Weir films back to back as some sort of study in, in English class. Um. But yeah, I was reading on the background of that too. And it is one of these ones where, yeah, in hindsight, we've got what we've got and it's a masterpiece. You don't want to see anything different. It would have been unique if it was kind of like this science fiction, dystopian, New York style film. But 
the fact that, yeah, as you say, they kind of go for that level of let's get Jim Carrey on board, who at that point was only known for comedy. I mean, I, I keep referencing his very famous Golden Globe speech when he won for this, and I rewatched it again last night when he's like, if you had seen some of my earlier dramatic roles, such as Earth Girls Are Easy, you know, you would have seen this coming. Um, and the best line that he does start off with, this is going to make it so much uh, harder for me to talk out of my ass and from now on. So, but I'll manage. Um, but I think it's the thing, as we often see with these actors who are so renowned for their comedy, that the majority of them do have in them this ability to act so well and deliver yeah. roles like this. I mean, Will Ferrell, Adam Sandler are two examples who, when they want to, they are amazing. Steve Carell, he got nominated for an Oscar, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, these are sort of real goofball people that sort of preceded Jim Carrey. Even want to put Brendan Fraser into that category. I mean, mm. he wasn't maybe as slapstick and as goofy as some of those guys, but he was still a comedic actor in the late 90s. That's what he was known for. We've talked about that with Brendan Fraser. So you, you think about these actors who are that, and Adam Sandler is one who always gets ripped into. And Adam Sandler's kind of admitted, like, I just do what I do because I like doing what I doing and I get money for it. And yet all of a sudden he's like, ah, let's do Uncut Gems. And again, yeah. gets snubbed. And that's kind of maybe a snobbery of the Academy that they do kind of look at these people like a Jim Carrey and an Adam Sandler and go, well, you've got one guy who's talking out of his butt, coming out of rhinoceroses, <laughs> vaginas slash buttholes. Oh, no, we're not giving him an Oscar nomination. Versus, oh, this guy played his own sister and you know, uh, an Israeli anti counter-terrorist person. Oh, no, we're not giving him an Oscar. Like, there is a lot of that that people say is why people like Jim Carrey and Adam Sandler do get snubbed at the Oscars because maybe Will Ferrell and Steve Carell don't go out of their way to do stupid, stupid characters, whereas maybe you see this. And I think it was, <laughs> was, was it Peter Weir in an interview that I saw that he basically thought that Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura was close to Charlie Chaplin and that's kind mm -hmm. of what he saw in him and kind of took that out of there. And again, it's a, it's, a, it's a thing with Jim Carrey, and I'm going to defend him so much in this film. And that was, I remember that being a big deal. You're right, in the 1998 letter, Jim Carrey's doing drama, Jim Carrey's doing drama, because obviously Man on the Moon came after this as well. So they were kind of like, oh, is Jim Carrey now turning into a dramatic actor? He so could have, like, because he's yeah. so good. And then what, two years later, he does Me, Myself and Irene, Bruce Almighty, kind of went back to those roots. But he's got that range. And the, the one thing I got out of rewatching this movie after a couple of years again how well this movie ages, how well this movie holds up and how angry I am that he didn't even get nominated. This is the thing. Like it's, it's all well and good to say, okay, fine. He got nominated and he didn't win that. What's his name? Let's call him Mussolini. That's the, that's the wrong Italian. Um, <laughs> Mussolini, is that his name? Roberto Benini. Benini. Thank you. It's like Panini. Yeah. It's like a press. Um, and I've never seen that movie. I don't know if he's any good in that, but like just the fact that he didn't even get a nomination is so, mm. is so like, Oh, like, I'm offended for him that he didn't get a nomination for this. But, yeah, Peter Weir, great guy. Great guy, you know, personally. <laughs> I wish. <He's> my neighbor. <laughs> but uh, I think what's so unusual, because you mentioned some of those guys that have been able to get nominated or at least be taken more seriously, because uh, Robin Williams was the first of these. I mean, mm. there's nothing that Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler has ever done that's going to be as silly as Mork and Mindy. <laughs> and the guy from Mork and Mindy went on to get nominated for, we, we went through last week, Mrs. Doubtfire was a movie he was snubbed for, but he got four Academy Award nominations throughout his career. He'd been nominated three times by the time Mrs. Doubtfire even came out. Uh, and, and then what is it differently? Like, I, I think the only thing I could really think about is if you look at 
Steve Carell, you know, he, he had Evan almighty, I guess was his like first starring role. And that movie personally, I prefer it over Bruce. Almighty. I, was say, movie, um, no, I, I like Bruce almighty better, but that movie is not as bad as people say it is. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and I think that that was a movie that because of Bruce almighty's popularity, it wasn't quite looked down on as like, this is, e-grade entertainment whereas ace ventura i mean as much as i'm gonna love defending that movie uh that was a movie made for the most juvenile person <laughs> adam sandler's movies are made for the most juvenile yeah and i know that like there's never been any confirmation as to why jim carrey wasn't nominated but like adam sandler you know punch drunk love or uncut gems there was somebody who was uh, an anonymous person inside the academy who said i'm gonna be like very honest about this and say he's never gonna get and we're never gonna nominate the guy from Jack and Jill, you know, we're not going to, we don't, this, this isn't bullshit. the image we want. Yeah. And like, if somebody delivers a performance that's worthy, give it to them. And that, that's the successor. Maybe it would change now going forward because you have this past year where Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. the, the girl from Halloween is an Academy Award. Jennifer Hudson won an Oscar. No disrespect to Jennifer Hudson. I've never seen Dream Girl. What she she a reality TV star. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it definitely changed. I mean, Eddie Murphy's another one that you could say he came True. from a silly background and got taken seriously. Got but a nomination, just... And maybe I think one of the other things with Jim Carrey is that this is 1998 and we're five years away from Johnny Depp kind of breaking that mold with Pirates of the Caribbean where they're like, we're not afraid to nominate something that's silly as long as it's great, but we're not quite there yet. And we, we, we talked about some of these other movies like the nineties was a weird time where they were afraid to nominate even a blockbuster, you know? Oh, it's, it's that's, that's for peasant. That's peasant entertainment. You know, this didn't even get nominated for best picture. Did it like, that's the thing. No. Yeah. And, and you know, a couple of years after this, he has Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where he again gets snubbed. But Ugh, that also came out, I think, like <laughs> a year after the Johnny Depp, you know, breaking that curse. Um, but uh, now it's kind of different because we do have Short Round as an Academy yeah. Award winner and George of the Jungle and all that. But uh, um, we'll get into the movie here. And uh, famous last words, I don't think this one will take that long. <laughs> we'll see. Send us, Colin, though. We're the ones <laughs> who are going to drag this out. So. One thing that I actually find interesting is that, and never having sat down, didn't get to study this in school, but never being able to analyze everything about this movie as much as I love it. Um, outside of the opening credits of this movie, which are kind of fake opening credits at the same time, uh, you don't get any behind the scenes stuff with the TV show. Like Kristoff appears here and then doesn't appear until an hour into the movie. But this opening here where it's like an interview with Kristoff and you're basically showing clips of that teaser trailer this was the teaser trailer for the yeah. movie and and it was brilliant on them too for you're trying to sell jim carrey as a dramatic actor and we know his fan base has already been turned off of the cable guy where it was a little bit it was definitely still goofy but it was a little bit different Such a good movie. and now you let the teaser trailer for this movie be jim carrey just being jim carrey and this, these scenes the mirror scenes were 100 improv uh and this is one of those things where it's like you know that they were trying to sell this to the Jim Carrey audience. We're going to have him playing with a mirror and, and talking about uh, what would uh, use me as alternative source of food and all that, Ew, which gross. is great. <laughs> You're gross. Yeah. Like, the, well, I was just going to say this, this is a scene that would belong in any other Jim Carrey comedy. And yet they put this as the opening scene, of this movie and the teaser trailer. Well, two things that I want to talk about the trailer quickly. Cause I rewatched again. Like, cause I always, it's one of these ones we've talked about in plenty of movies where you remember the trailer and uh, I rewatched again last night, but just on that, uh, reading about how even though Peter Weir like wanted Jim Carrey, they actually struggled to work with each other at the beginning. Apparently, yeah. it was like in because you were talking about the twenty million dollar fee, which I also think he got for Liar Liar as well. But 
Um, he only got $12 million for this because he wanted to do this movie so much. But part of his contract was that he was allowed rewrites. So apparently, yeah. initially, early on, he was like, no, I want this, I want this, and this. So they kind of came to a, an agreement because Jim Carrey, similar to Robin Williams, often ad-libs and kind of goes in. So this mirror scene is all Jim Carrey. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I did watch the making of this back in the day, and I, there's some other ones that I didn't read about, but I remember pretty sure being ad-libbed. But the trailer for this, and because you touched on this in the last few weeks about how this movie, you know, is funny. And I, I would go out and limb and say this is 80% drama, 20% comedy. Um, and even in rewatching this, I would stand by that. This is a very dramatic movie, much more than people I think remember. But like the trailer, the main one that had that once in a lifetime with talk, the Talking Heads song, um, that paints it out as much more of a funny movie as well because they are playing, mm. I think, to that Jim Carrey audience. Because there are so many little scenes that I just remember the trailer, like him like putting his hand up to the bus and kind of just like all those sort of ones. Yeah. You know, Say something, you're on television. Like all those sort of bits that are very much played more for comedy, which I've. it's interesting to see how they advertise this movie. Again, no mm-hmm. doubt playing into those Jim Carrey fans. Uh, I, I, see, I wouldn't disagree with you about it being 80% drama, 20% comedy, but I think it's the lightness of this movie that makes it fun. And it, it's not a laugh out loud movie, but... Jim Carrey kind of gets the majority of the dramatic stuff of this movie. It's everybody else. It's Laura Linney. It's Noah Emmerich. Uh, it's Harry Shearer. It's people like that where there's this subtle comedy. It's it's a very, I don't want to call it dark comedy, but it, it's satirical. It's like, yeah. oh, that's really clever and funny, but it's not like something that's meant to make you laugh. I think, would you look at it in a way as almost like a bit of everything everywhere all at once? That that's not yeah, really a lot like, that. like played for last, but it's a funny movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's not deliberately ha 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 ha. I'm meant to be laughing at because you're right. Because the thing about Jim Carrey's performance is that he's got this level of drama about him, but he's still goofball. Like you can see, like when he's in the car, you want to do that again? No, like yeah. just like things like that. Even at the beginning here, when he's doing the you know true true mania or whatever it's called, like it's a subtlety to his comedy, which was Robin Williams last week. Like it's they've got that layer of you know they're being serious, but they're also still able to make you mm-hmm. laugh, even though it's not like yeah. coming out of a rhinoceros' vagina. <laughs> and, and I mean, this movie is a couple months ahead of Pleasantville. And ple- it's funny because oh, yeah. Jamie basically said, like, this is very similar to Pleasantville because it is. They've modeled this town after, like, this is your perfect town. And that was kind of Peter Weir's insistence. And he said, I want you to rewrite this movie. Let's take some of the... It wasn't necessarily take the darkness out of the story because this is a dark story, mm. but it's... Let's lighten it up with the mood. And what he wanted is he wanted this whole town and the environment to be like, if if you were, you know, millions of people around the world, this is the most watched television show in the world. It would have to be something that is easy and light to watch. You know, when you look at like the 90s, it's funny that we just watched this um, documentary on Netflix on American Gladiators. Did you ever get that show over there? We, got, we had an Australian version of it. We never got the American, but we had yeah. a very big show. I loved it. Loved it to death. Yeah. But but like they mentioned on that, that that was the most watched show in the world. And there was that was a big thing in the '90s, like syndicated TV, and all of the most watched shows in the world were shows like Baywatch and Xena and Hercules: The Legendary Journeys and American Gladiators. They weren't these shows like ER. ER was the number one primetime network show, mm. but like it, mm-hmm. it got a fraction of the audience of these shows like Xena yeah. or Hercules or American Gladiators. Like you would want something that would be very accessible, something that was very light. And and playing up on like the fifties and all that with nostalgia, I think that's one of the other reasons why this movie uh, kind of feels timeless, whereas it shouldn't, because you're you're using a style. No, oh, he's using a style. <clears throat> I'm um, using a mute style there. Uh, you're you're using a style that isn't futuristic anyway. And this movie, 
I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's supposed to take place in the future. I think you see calendars throughout this movie. There's actually some cool trivia about the cal- whether the calendars are real inside it's, the Truman Show. Yeah, I think what I was reading is that it might be like set in, say, 99 uh, yeah. But like, I think inside the dome, it's like a year or two behind. Like, it's sort of it's a slightly in the future while maintaining this illusion of say like ninety six, ninety seven inside the dome. That's kind of what they yeah, imply. If, yeah. If you didn't have that thing where it's like, okay, you don't have a set year for this movie, and you didn't have this visual style of it's the fifties or sixties or whatever, uh, then this movie you start to poke holes in it because has anybody ever thought about where this technology of the dome and everything came from? Back in 1967, which is when he's supposed to have been born. Although, again, this movie, it kind of shows that oh, the year inside the movie of this being 97, 98 or whatever is a fictional year inside the Truman Show. Mm. But like none of this would have existed at that point because it didn't really even exist in the 90s. But that's kind of the that's where it's smart to make everything look dated. And Gattaca was actually very similar. I actually wonder if, you know, maybe throughout the making of Gattaca, Andrew Nichol had been meeting with Peter Weir. He's like, I want this classic style because Gattaca is a movie that takes place in the future but looks like the 40s. Well, just on that, I think what's really clever about this film and it's the little subtleties and everything with it is that a lot of this, I think, is obviously deliberate because you want to maintain this perfect American lifestyle, like sort of what it was seen as in the 50s, right? And there's all just like the little subtle things, though, too, which from the filmmaker's perspective and from this world of if you were watching this on TV is very smart, like the use of, say classical music like you never hear a mm-hmm. pop song in this movie because classical music is public domain you don't need to pay rights to the estate of mozart or things like that you can use yeah. it so for a movie perspective it's smart it plays into this idyllic suburban american lifestyle but it's also a case of if this was a tv show every time they played talking heads days go by they're going to have to pay a royalty fee which would cost lots of money and particularly in syndication everything you're talking about whereas if they're just playing mozart or beethoven they get it for free so i just think it's it's yeah. the level and, and even, like, there's, there's real, like, fun stuff. So they talk about how everything in this is for sale. Like, you can buy their suits. Mm-hmm. You can buy their watches. At the end of the movie, when the two grannies are hugging the Truman pillar, they're wearing the same robe that Laura Linney's character is wearing, like, earlier in the film. Like it's oh, little, I didn't even notice it's that. It's little things like that that if you actually are paying attention that Peter Weir and the filmmakers have done with this, which are so clever. And I think that sort of plays into that idyllic lifestyle that they're obviously creating for this world that Truman lives in. And by the way, Survivor auctions off all of the props from the show after a season's over. So where do they get the idea from? The Truman Show. Exactly. Um, th- there's there's another trivia bit about, uh, you know, use the use of music in this that I'll get to later on that I never picked up on until now. Uh, but throughout all this opening montage, uh, you have Christoph talking about, I don't know if it was Christoph or somebody else talking about how people will even leave the show on all night just for comfort, you know, because they're just showing him sleep and all that. And uh uh, you have Laura Linney saying, like, you know, my life is the Truman Show, which is funny because she's the person who breaks in this movie. Uh, and you get an interview with um, with Marlon here as well. I do love, like, where he says, if we reach the summit, you use me as an alternative source of food. <laughs> you gross. The way you just, I, I don't think I caught that until I've seen this movie like four or five, six times, the you yeah. gross part. Uh, but as the movie officially starts here, you get the, uh, the, the day on there, which is 10,909 days. Another thing I never noticed until... I watched it this time is that this movie takes place over the course of five days because we are on 10,913 on the final day, which is really early in the morning. So really, we're probably like between four and five days with this, which is crazy how quick it actually goes by. And Colin's choking. And Colin, I might as well, I'm not even going to mute myself anymore. 
You know, if you want to hear muty coughs, you're going to pay for us on Patreon. Yeah. We want your money. We, we um, need your money. We just took it out for the year to pay for our <laughs> server. We need, your, we need your money. <laughs> yeah, we need to replenish the funds for next year. And tell you what, if you uh, sign up, we might actually record an episode because we're overdue by about two months. And we get there. Our one. We patron. will. And we'll, we'll mute our coughs. We promise. Uh, or will we? <laughs> Depends which tier you sign up to. Hey, We're going to add that to our tiers. Maybe you're into it. If, you, if you're if you into us coughing, pay us and we'll... <laughs> oh, we, we, we just talked about ASMR. We're just going to have COVID coughs. And yeah. if you're really lucky, we'll fart for you. Hey. <laughs> Microphone right up. Jim Carrey style, right up to the cheeks. Um, Brown anyways. microphones. <laughs> but uh, you have the first thing where he comes out. And even just the way this is filmed, like... You know, hi Truman. Like it, it's very <laughs> like a parody. You know, it's very pleasant, but like, and this is where we get the introduction of "Good morning." In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Uh, we get the neighbor coming up with the dog, which I don't even think I really clued in. You know, until I'd seen this movie four or five times again. About there is something that maybe it was cut from the movie, or maybe they just didn't want it to be so obvious that the first thing they did was like the fear of dogs, and that he's still kind of afraid of this tiny dog here yapping, and you always have the neighbor in his face. Like they're they're constantly terrorizing this man for the sake of a television show and yet you know that that's not something that, that anybody really addressed in this movie uh jamie noticed obviously that there's like on this guy's guard the guy is always at the garbage can upside down where you see the little thing on the bottom which is the camera um you get him uh uh going uh into his car and this is where the plot starts where the light falls from the sky or it looks like a satellite but it's obviously like a lighting rig and he kind of looks up and then he's driving to work and he's got the radio on and everything. And uh, they're talking, oh, apparently an airplane just uh, <laughs> lost a wing or something like that. Uh, and he's not worried about this at all. Like, where's the plane crash? Um, we get uh, him going to the newsstand. I was like, oh, for the wife. This is like in Home Alone where he's uh, he's buying like the, the the groceries. And then the lady holds up like the army man. He's like, for the kids. And I, I always use that. Like, oh, whenever I get something fun, like whenever I get a pop bigger for the kids, right? So Jamie does uh, when she like, goes to the adult store. Oh, for the... Uh... Yeah, well, <laughs> for the husband. Yep. <laughs> pornography. I was buying <laughs> pornography. Um, uh, So we're getting introduced to all these characters. This is basically meant as like a montage that's going to play out later on. This is just setting up his regular everyday life. So we get the twins pushing him up against the, the billboard. <laughs> For Kaiser ch Chicken or whatever. And I love his life insurance plan here where he's like, hey, you guys should really come in. You know, you get a two-for-one plan. You can't beat that deal. If there's two-for-one plans for twins, like, I'm missing out here. Where, where is it my two-for-one college fund for my twins or life insurance for my twins? This isn't fair. Like, you, this is a perfect world. I want this. I thought you were about to say you need a life insurance because they're trying to kill you. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Well, they are. I mean, get I, I've Kaiser got, I've Chicken got some... on board, Colin. That's how you fix it. We're asking Kaiser Chicken to sponsor us for one month here on the Oz Network, and we promise to mute our coughs. Uh, we're offering good deals here, uh, two-for-one deals for Kaiser Chicken. Um, so we get the headline of the newspaper, which is, like, the best place on earth. Again, like, I don't think I ever you, – you, you see this as, like, they're building a world, but how many little things in this movie are them just really trying so desperately to hold on, and yet the most interesting thing in this movie is that Kristoff never says we're desperately holding on here. He always thinks we got it under control. We're going to make him afraid of dogs, afraid of water. We're going to drown them. We're going to, you know, lie about airplanes crashing and elevator crashes and all this. It, it, they're just so desperately holding it. Even at the beginning of this movie, they've got the best place on earth because they're worried about what he's going to do. Um, and this is where we get him uh, showing up at the office and uh, ripping his magazine, getting the eyes out, which is going to come out later on. 
And here's where you get Peter Cross. Peter you Krause. mentioned last week, Peter Cross is in this movie. <laughs> there he is. Such a, such a small, but yeah, as soon as he came on screen, I'm like, oh yeah, he's this guy. I forgot about that. I mean, two years after this, Peter Krause is on Six Feet Under and he's, you know, Emmy nominated. He's he's getting the nominations that Jim Carrey never got. Jim and then Carrey of course, got Emmy for uh, Kidding, I believe, and a Golden Globe. Did kidding? he actually get I know he got uh, a, at well, least a Golden, Golden Globe. Globe. Uh, but I don't, uh, I think he was at least nominated for an Emmy. And also on the Emmys, yeah. screw you Emmys. Where was um, Ewan McGregor's Emmy for Obi-Wan? Oh, I saw Obi-Wan got nominated for like limited series, but nothing for Ewan McGregor. Like yeah. he holds that show together. Exactly. They nominate the girl, but you they nominate the girl. I don't think they know. I don't think any acting nomination. I think it all just got like sound editing and production design and the limited series. But it's up against Dharma though. And no disrespect to Obi-Wan. I think Dharma's going to take that. Dharma? Like Dharma and Greg? No, I wish. No. Oh, Dahmer. Okay. <laughs> Dharma. The, 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 the Evan Peters one. No. This I, is, I this think... is post-Greg divorce. Dharma's on her own. Single girl in the city. You're gonna make it after all, Dharma. Uh, what are we doing, Dharma and Greg? Come on. I mean, we're going to talk about Ed TV on the end of this. Jen Elfman, she kind of lived the Truman Show as well. What right? a woman. What a woman. Um, one thing that's actually uh, interesting, well, but you know, I just want to talk about it now just really quickly since we brought up Dharma. Um, EdTV doesn't get the same reputation. EdTV's in production, but this isn't like they're competing or th th these are two completely different movies. Um, EdTV is actually based on a Canadian film that came out long before the Truman Show ever came out. So it's not like these movies were copying each other, but like EdTV doesn't get the same reception that the Truman Show Never does. Seen it. And you, they they... EdTV was like a movie that was underappreciated when it came out because I think people saw this as like, oh, this is too far-fetched. No, oh, yeah, like you're just going to have a show following a person. And then reality TV explodes, and now all of a sudden people look back on EdTV, they're like, wow, that was a really good movie. Yeah. Truman Show ahead of his time because it presents it as science fiction, you know? Um, but one presents it as reality and is panned and then loved when it becomes I mean, reality, I mean, and then the other ones love. I, I think Sorry. I never saw it because... I was like, oh, that's just a Truman Show ripoff. So I never saw that. I mean, I'll correct myself by that. Jim Carrey oh, got so nominated for a Golden Globe, didn't win it for Kidding and not an Emmy, but should have won one. Do you watch Kidding? Kidding I mean, was a good show. No, I had it on the list to watch. And then it's one of these shows I just forgot about. It's um, good. But yeah, Peter Krause here, very early. He gets like three lines in this movie here, two scenes. Uh, and he's basically ordering Jim Carrey to go to the dentist. <laughs> Your teeth are horrible, man. Uh, th there's a dentist who is going to get a life insurance plan, but he's got to go off island. And again, they're like, they're terrorizing this man. He's not even suspicious of anything yet. Like he hasn't even talked about Fiji. I mean, you have to imagine that they've got lots of footage of this guy, you know, th this magazine thing somebody's been doing for a while. So they're obviously ahead of the game. They're analyzing him and figuring out what they're going to do, but they're already trying to send him off the island. They're, they're terrorizing multiple times in a day. Uh, he's saying he doesn't want to go. But, uh, hey, you got to be careful. There's going to be cutbacks. So, so now they're threatening the man with being fired <laughs> in a world that doesn't exist and he's the only person who can't Chris lose his job. getting sued through the fucking teeth after this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed, because now this man's out. I mean, they know they talk about, like, they adopted him, but, like, can you own him after the age of 18? But, like, this movie doesn't... It, it is an alternate reality. You don't yeah. need this movie to check out with what would happen in real life. Um, I, I can't wait to talk about the sequel idea that Andrew Nichol had after this, which... Sound it would have been it would not have been the Truman Show too. It would have been like, hey, this is like a, an alternative idea to the Truman Show. Yeah. That like, oh, this would have been actually kind of interesting, completely different but interesting. Um, so he's basically threatening with losing his job. Uh, he has to get on the ferry, and I love again. They're like, we're not just gonna have him go to the ferry. We're gonna show a sunken boat there in the ground. Uh, and uh, he basically turns back. He can't get on the ferry. I love the way that like 
this is where Jim Carrey using comedy but not trying to play it for laughs works, where he's like, you guys go. I'm all right. Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to be fine. <laughs> and then he gets home. We get introduced to Meryl for the first time. Laura Linney, who, I mean, how many Oscars has she been nominated for now? Oh, uh, not Amy Adams I'm level, gonna, but she's, she's been a few, uh, hasn't she? I think she got nominated even almost very So she's been nominated three times. Wow. Um, she was nominated for You Can Count On Me only two years after this. Nominated for Kinsey, uh, what, eight years after this. And nominated for The Savages, 2007. She didn't get nominated for um, Mystic River. I thought everybody was nominated in Mystic River. But, uh, yeah, she's Kevin been in Bacon everything. Wasn't. Well, I mean, Sean Penn was in that movie. You're not going to nominate anybody but Sean. Or Tim Robbins is the guy. Didn't Tim Robbins yeah, win Tim for Robbins that movie? Tim Robbins won. I don't think Sean Penn won for that, did he? He's won two, hasn't he, Sean Penn? He but did. was it for Mystic River? You know, you know, maybe it wasn't because uh, they gave it to from Milk after that. And it was sort of like, oh, is this his makeup Oscar? This is like, well, Kevin, we're going to give it to Russell Crowe for Gladiator instead of in The Insider. I'm just saying, Kevin Bacon's up there with Jim Carrey and have been nominated. So He hasn't know. even been nominated. But Kevin Bacon's never been nominated for an Oscar. Jeff Goldblum has, Not but to for get like s- writing, uh, never for acting. <laughs> oh, I just saw this hilarious Jeff Goldblum meme today. Somebody basically posted on Twitter that uh, they met Jeff Goldblum at a party once. And they're like, oh, this is david stevens and he goes oh my god of course and he's like wow jeff goldblum knew who i was and then he watched as jeff goldblum was introduced to like a dozen other people at his party and every single time like this is suzy Susie smith oh my god that's right of course <laughs> he literally just went around an entire party just yeah that's you oh, so totally good to see, see you. that yeah uh, sean penn did win by the way for best actor for oh. mystic river and tim robbins won best supporting actor marcia gay harden yeah, got actually... nominated and kevin bacon didn't Oh, uh, I want to watch Mystic River now. You've seen Mystic River, I've right? I've not seen Mystic River, but I know Kevin Bacon's in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a Kevin Bacon movie, Murder in the First, uh, that he made uh, where he was like, it was basically like Dead Man Walking, like the Sean Penn movie, but it was like um, a prisoner on trial type movie. And that I remember that movie being like, wow, this like, how did this guy not get nominated for this? And nobody even remembers he, that movie. There was a like one of those Watch Mojo top tens and they do top 10 actors that have never been nominated for an Oscar that should have. And I think that was done prior to Gary Oldman because he he when he won one he hadn't even been nominated had he Gary Oldman wasn't that a thing too that he'd never even been nominated was that yeah I I can't remember but um, Kevin Bacon I think he could have like, been nominated for the if he was in the Truman Show like Andrew Nichol wanted yeah he would have been nominated Meryl Streep uh, I think she's got nominated for this movie and she wasn't even in it but um I <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis as well they both got nominated for the Truman Show Daniel Day Lewis and Meryl Streep they weren't even in it we know. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I think Kevin Bacon was, like, number two on that list. So, it might have even been number one. They were like, how has this guy not even been nominated? Uh, yeah, so the introduction to Meryl here where she comes home and Truman's gardening. And this is one of those, like, it's a satire. It's a funny movie, just not, like, laugh out loud funny. Just the way that Peter Weir is filming this where his butt's, like, up in the <laughs> air. And Jim Carrey's wearing the most ridiculous gardening costume you've ever seen. Uh, and then Meryl coming, look, it's a chef pal. It's slices. your opening line. It's slices and dices and uh, all this. And then Jim Carrey, just the way he looks at it, Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was definitely one of the trailer clips as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then we get introduced to Marlin as they're golfing off the end of the bridge here. Now, I feel like this, for the guy who couldn't even get on the dock of the boat, to me, I, I understand why they're doing this at the edge of the bridge. Like, so he's not going open. Like, this has got to be... They back their cars up here. Like, that's what I'm really wondering about in this movie because their cars are backed down this bridge. Driven so down, they can down pull a right out. Turn, right? Like, no. Um, maybe. I just I don't see Truman even getting this close to the water, but uh, that's a good point. Uh, this Never is just of that. one of the, yeah, but this is one of the many Marlin scenes in the, the movie. <laughs> and I mean, Noah Emmerich, I, I, I would have thought because 
all the actors in this movie are playing a little bit younger, especially the teenage years. They're playing younger than they were. They're all like mid to late thirties, I think. But like Noah Emmerich had done almost nothing at this point. This is a guy who got into movies very late because his film debut is five years earlier. He's 30 years old in his film debut where he plays rookie in last action hero, which we've already talked about. Um, and then he basically has a couple of small roles, one in Copland the year before this, but like, this is like his first big role. And, you know, we've, we've talked, it's funny looking through this, we've done a couple of Noah Emmerich movies on this podcast already. We did Miracle uh, way back when, the the Miracle on Ice movie. Uh, and then um, obviously the, the TV show, The Americans, I mean, he's one of the best things on that. And shame he never even got nominated for him. Talk about somebody who should have been nominated. I mean, nominate him for The Americans. He was amazing. But uh, uh, Noah Emmerich, I mean, is, is he somebody you're a fan of now? I mean, you ever see Warrior with him and Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton? Uh, Jane got a gun? No, I mean, I'm looking at his film because I, I know him, like, not personally, but, like, I know he's definitely in things that I've I've seen a lot more of, but I'm trying to see what it is. Yeah, Miracle. Um, he was, like, the assistant coach in that. Plus, I know I watched, I think I got through all but one season of White Collar. And I'm thinking maybe I remember seeing him in that for a little bit. Um, but yeah, honestly, looking at his filmography, maybe it's just this I know him from because <laughs> I've never seen the American. But like, he is one of those actors who like straight away, like I know who he is. So, yeah. and you know, I love the fact that his name is a blending of our seventh favorite Oslet and one of my favorite directors. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, is he related to is Roland Emmerich? His name is is somebody Pickering. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, he's not related to Noah Emmerich. No. But you know what's funny about that is, again, when you're young and dumb, growing up in the 90s, you don't know the name Emmerich. I remember seeing the name in these credits. I'm like, I wonder if the, whoever this Noah Emmerich is related to Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Not a common you assume name. that. It's not Smith. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I'm a big Noah Emmerich fan, mostly because of the Americans. But I mean, other things like Super 8, he was great. in Warrior, he was fantastic. And uh, obviously Miracle, we already talked about. Um, but I mean, he's he's an actor who got in very late in his career, obviously, and this is kind of a breakthrough role for him. Um, but Truman's basically talking about, oh, I want to go to Fiji. I love Marlon. Where the heck is Fiji? <laughs> Near Florida? And you know, Marlon. <laughs> yeah, but but Marlon's the guy later on who, again, this shows like the, the way that they're scrambling on this show. They're not even necessarily worried about continuity because he's the one later on where he's like. I've been everywhere, and yet he doesn't know where Fiji is. Did, did you read what uh, his actual storyline was in the, the bunch of deleted scenes on him? He was meant to be like a Marlon. Yeah, so he's the, he's actually like addicted to drugs because <laughs> he was so guilty about keeping this from Truman, and that there's a, oh really like deleted scenes of like when Truman goes missing, he like literally sees Truman escape, and he doesn't do anything about it because he's like he wants to appease his guilt. So he's like smack. Oh. He's addicted to smack or something like that because he's so guilty over this lie that he's keeping. See, I mean, that would have been fantastic to see in the movie. That would have made it, I think, darker than Peter Weir wanted. Mm. Um, but you release this movie now, and that's part of it. But I think what would have ruined that, it would have ruined the ending of the movie where it's it's all Truman, you know? Uh, but wow, that 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 really would have improved his character a lot. Because, I mean, his character is kind of bland. You know, he he's the guy who has, he's the best actor on the show because he's the one who has to be you know, Truman's shoulder to cry on and he has to be the one guy that he trusts, but you don't get any backstory with him. He doesn't have a moment like, he you know, Meryl has beer. later on. He does. Yes. And, and hitting golf balls um, and stalking vending machines or whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, he explains how Fiji, there's islands nobody set foot on. Um, Mark Burnett and Jeff Probst were watching this movie saying there's islands nobody set foot on. Like, 
Really? I'll accept that as a challenge. <laughs> 16 seasons of Survivor. How many islands, Truman, have they never set foot on? How many seasons of Survivor do we still have to go to? Um, by the way, I'm finally finishing season 44 of Survivor right now. We'll be able to talk about it by the next time we record Patreon. I know I watched it. Can I remember anything that happened in it? No. I was I was going to say, like, <laughs> there is nothing wrong with season 44. But, like, I was telling Jamie, she doesn't even bother watching with me anymore. But she's like, is the season any good? I'm like, yeah, but it's like. Everything I'm seeing, I feel like I've seen it all before. And yet yeah. there are people who are like, we, there was one episode I just watched where there was a a blindside, and maybe the first real blindside of the season where there's, um, uh, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't watched it. Yet. It's the guy, Matt, who gets voted out. And he was like, the, the nerdy. I it like a month ago. Oh, the nerdy. The geeky guy, guy and the geeky girl. Yeah. 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 So they basically blindside him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they vote him out. And then the next episode, people are like, we just pulled off one of the biggest moves in the history of this game. I'm like, why? Because you blindsided. Like this is every single episode of every and, single and season. This is, now. Again, this is a Patreon, but a teaser to the Patreon. My, my issue around it is whenever people get blindsided, and similar now in Australian Survivor as well, it's just like, oh, you come here, you. <laughs> Let's go. Like it's not like this, you know, levels of Whitney going up to Cochrane. You're a scum. I hate you. Like where's yeah. this? Boy? Everyone just like take goes, out your teeth. <laughs> every, everybody literally just goes, oh well, lol. Let's move on and be happy. Like I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> Get some drama back in the game. Uh, anyways, yeah, so Mark Burnett and Jeff Probst have definitely accepted Truman's challenge and set foot on every island in Fiji. Um, and then we get the flashback here to uh, his dad because we keep cutting to these people watching the show. So we get the people in the bar. We get the um, uh, the, the the grandmothers said uh, watching. Uh, the security guard guys, the guy in the bath, the, uh, the, the Asian family, which uh, I, I want to confirm if this is actually the guy in it. So... Uh, the Asian family, there's um, the guy in the middle is, I, I believe, from the Karate Kid 2. Uh, so uh, he was the villain Careful. of the Karate Kid 2, ended up as the guy in the Truman Show. I'm, I'm going to make sure that this is real. Careful. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if I'm wrong, then I'm racist. He looks like but, that uh, Asian guy from the Karate Kid <laughs> movies. <laughs> uh, but this guy has come on to the TV show Cobra Kai now. They kind of brought him in as a guest star. Let's bring back the guy from Karate Kid 2. And is basically everybody's favorite thing on uh, the Karate Kid. And they're more or less talking about giving him his own spinoff now, which would be amazing. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm going to confirm if this is actually the same guy. The security guard uh, later somebody on. as well. Like the, the, the... I've seen the security guard, yeah. He's definitely... Uh, I think he... Maybe he's like a, a um, uh, Glenn Morshower where he just always plays a security guard. Because to me, he <laughs> looks like a security guard. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you get all these people who are watching the show and they're kind of explaining, uh, about his father here. Uh, as I finally find Yuji o Okumoto, um, I'm, somebody's going to call me racist just for, uh, pronouncing his name wrong here. Yes, he is in the Truman oh, Show. thank God. So he played, <laughs> th this guy was the villain. A decade earlier, he is the main villain in the Karate Kid 2, which was one of the highest grossing films of that year. A decade after that, he is Japanese family man in the Truman Show. And now all of a sudden he's a big deal again. And everybody says, Give him his own spinoff of Cobra Kai. Uh, so I'm very, very glad happy for that, Japanese family man. Yeah, the security guard Joel McKinnon Miller. Uh, I mean, God, yeah, he's an everyman. Joel Kinnaman from the Suicide Squad. <laughs> Apparently, like, I've never watched Brooklyn Nine Line, but he's a, he's a main guy in Brooklyn Nine Nine. He was in American Horror Story for a bit. Um, yeah, he's been in lots of things: Desperate Housewives, uh, Cold Case. You, you pick your litter of the 2000s <laughs> shows that everybody was in. He was in Men in Black Two. He was an agent in Men in Black Two. Okay. I, uh, I wonder, even the one of the waitresses even looks Russia familiar to me. 
Mm. The waitresses in Rush Hour 2? I'm sure there was, but he was also... <laughs> he was in Dharma and Greg! He played Hooper! Oh, there we go! He's coming back for the Dharma spinoff! <laughs> Yay, Dharma and Greg! <laughs> but yeah, they're basically talking about uh, the history of the show, and this is where we get the flashback. And I like that the show has these flashbacks queued up. Yeah. Like, they're not trying to hide any of this stuff here. Uh, but uh, you get uh, him sat on the beach, and this is where the rain starts coming down on Truman. And this is where I have to imagine if you had decided to focus on more than just Truman for this first hour, you make this movie now and everybody has to have an equal part. You can't have one person stealing all the screen time. Uh, you have things with Ed Harris, like, oh, first the lighting rig and now this, but like, you just figure this happens to everybody in the show. It's just something about this one week. They just had one too many blunders and maybe it was just, you know, certain things happening in, in Truman's personal life where it just sets him off because this is another thing where it's like the rain's falling on him. He walks away. He's like, what? And he actually sees the mistake in the production where rain's falling only on one spot. <laughs> I want, yeah, it is moving back and forth. But even his reaction at this point is not paranoia. He's like, oh, like that's one of his big uh, Jim Carrey that's moments how got here. Bruce Almighty. It, there you go. <laughs> this was his audition right here. Well, he's God. Uh, he can control the rain. Bruce Almighty. <laughs> But, uh, but I mean, I have to imagine this movie made now a worse version of this movie has you cutting backstage with like, oh, who's who's going to be fired for this? Probably Paul Giamatti. It's all Paul Giamatti's fault. It really is Paul Giamatti's fault at the end of this movie. Um, but uh, you get um, him talking about how he wants to be an explorer here uh, when he goes home to Meryl. And uh, she's like, oh, so you want to be an explorer now? How cute. Uh, and um, they they have uh, uh, the next day where he wakes up and he's going, they're messing with him even more. The headline in the newspaper, what does it say? Who needs Europe? <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to know who in Christoph's production didn't realize Fiji's not part of Europe. Because <laughs> so obviously what they're doing here is they're like, oh, we want to make sure he doesn't explore. But all he's talking about is Fiji. They must know well, it's Fiji. And they said, who needs Europe? But I would I would say that isn't that too obvious if they would say who needs Fiji like the next day? Well, who, yeah, or but who needs exploring or something like that. But, but if but you if, read the subtitle underneath it, I think it's like Swedish explorer moves to sea haven or something like oh, that oh so they have an explorer there, thing there's in like there. a, okay. there's like a line underneath oh, where nice. it explains it like swedish somebody moves to sea haven that's even better then i like that now there you go i thought it was a, a, a mistake not a mistake in the production but like you know some alternate scene where paul giamatti oh, sorry, slapped sw swedish <laughs> neurologist i will take that back it's not explorer but it's it's i think it's yeah like I don't know. I would I would read that as if you like right now. If you're like Ben, I really want to go to you know Afghanistan, and I want to move tomorrow. And then tomorrow, Jamie gets you a newspaper. Look, Colin, <laughs> I bought you the Winnipeg Sun. Who needs Afghanistan? Winnipeg, <laughs> number one. Uh, I, I like. I wasn't even thinking this was a mistake in the movie. Like, oh, oh so many productions. But I'm thinking like fictional. Kristoff is like, oh, who put Europe when it's supposed to be Fiji? Uh, but but no, that's actually really clever that they say, oh, they moved here because again, everything in this movie, they're trying so desperately. And he's this is right before he starts to get clued into everything. So here he sees the hobo on the street and his dad's a hobo. Now he's homeless. He's begging for change. Uh, and this is another one of these things where the, keeping the first hour of the movie just within Truman's world and not exploring all the behind the scenes stuff. Like we know later on that what this is is his dad sneaking on set because he's part of this free Truman movement, or or he's either part of that or he's desperate to come back on the show. I would think after what twenty years, this isn't the first time that he's tried to get on the set here. Mm. Uh, but um, he gets uh, to chasing his dad here, um, and uh, 
he, he goes to see his mom and his mom. Of course, this is uh, two and a half men's Holland Taylor. George uh, of the Jungle Holland Taylor. Jo- George of the, jo- the the mom of every great Sarah man in Paulson's Hollywood. Sarah partner. We established that Sarah when we did Paul- George That's of the right. Jungle. Yeah. And I mean, if you're Sarah Paulson, then you're going for Holland Taylor. Who is that? That's not even a joke. <laughs> not even a joke. I'm thinking like between those two, Holland Taylor, that's the woman the right there. The 90s mom, Holland Taylor. The 90s mom. Yeah, <laughs> everybody's everybody's favorite mom. Which again, like her character only gets a few moments in this movie, but I like that she has a character in the TV show. Like there's a mural of herself on her own wall. Yeah. <laughs> and like they don't explore this in the movie, but it's just something really clever that they have. Uh, she talks about how she almost hugged a stranger in the nail salon. And then she has a, oh, I know that uh, you must blame yourself for his dying, but I never blamed you, Truman. Like, again, the, the small things they do with the characters in this movie where you get who these characters on the television show are. Uh, and then um, you get him uh, repairing the mower here. Uh, and uh, Meryl comes in. And I, one of the other things I didn't notice, you should get one of those no rotary elk motors, which he buys later on. I didn't notice that. Once they separate, he has the rotary elk mower. Uh, and this is where she says, I made macaroni. <laughs> now, Laura, I, I might actually uh, break in a second, but uh, we'll actually break right here just before we get into the first flashback here. But uh, uh, Laura Linney basically said she based this character on... Um, uh, Sears catalogs, yeah, which I totally see, and and I think there's nobody else in this movie who embraces this world. I think that the intention, Peter, uh, I was going to call him Peter Jackson, much better di- director Peter Weir than Peter Jackson. So uh, we don't want to insult Peter Weir here by calling him Peter Jackson, but uh, the world that he wanted to create, she embraces it more than anybody. Which is, I'm going to study Sears catalogs. The way she stands deserves an Oscar in this movie. She's got like her hand on her hip, and the way she's smiling throughout this movie, and her her over exuberance with like I made macaroni and the new chef pal and her delivering these lines, she's so brilliant. I mean, I, I, all of this is just setting up the world, and this is the first thing that kind of makes him suspicious. Uh, but I mean, I, I don't think I can think of any other movie that is science fiction because I think this movie science fiction is just in that it takes place in a world that doesn't exist and probably couldn't exist. It, it's modern day, but it still can't necessarily exist. But like you believe everything here the, from the littlest things like the newspaper headlines to the product placement. I mean, these are all things we're seeing now. I mean, people think that the Truman Show kind of prophesized the future because it predicted that you'd be following regular people's lives. What it predicted was things like uh, y- your new T-Mobile uh, cell phone. You know, uh, you can call a loved one on your T-Mobile phone and stuff like that. It's the product placement. It's it's the we're going to control the contestants' emotions through little things like have them compete during a storm. We're going to hold off on a challenge. There's a storm and stuff like that. Like this is the stuff that they actually predicted accurately. I, yeah, I agree. But I I guess I don't see it as science fiction because this is so realistic to me. And like, I legitimately do not put it past a TV network one day to adopt a child, build a studio and do this. Like, like, yeah, the logistics of building this in the sixties and all that sort of stuff. But I think the thing that you could easily pass that off as you know, as a little child, like as a baby, you might even have like a year or two where you could still be finishing this off, right? And there'll be lots of things as a child. Because I think, is that not the point where like you see like that flashback when he's climbing over the beach and they've got like construction there? So they're probably still finishing it off, like because, you know, they're building this sort of stuff. So yeah, like again, I technically see how this is science fiction, but I don't see this as a science fiction film because to me, this is something that could happen, that they would do this to a real person one day 
And that's why I don't think it's completely outlandish. Also, he's, uh, I think, 29 years old because the 10,909 days equates to like 29 and something years old. So I think that's kind of um, where, in terms of the, the ages with that. Is, is it at the beginning of the movie too, or is it later on where they come back from one of their commercial, commercial breaks that aren't actually in the movie? But is it now in its 30th year, which would imply like if your first year is when you're zero years old. Yeah. And they talk about his birthday coming up too. Which is what I absolutely love about this film. You said at the very beginning, how you kind of see Chris off at the beginning and then that's it. Like, I like how they do set this up of us almost being a viewer of the Truman show. And that goes back to my point where the way this is filmed, it is done in a way where like you were, seeing shots that realistically would be there. There are definitely some moments in this film where you're going, where's that camera coming from? Like there's the bit when he's walking through the hospital and somebody's like following him. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't turn around and say like, well, how is that a shot in this TV show? But you see it like with the circular fish eye lens where they're kind of implying someone's following him. So that's, you know, maybe one slight bit, but I think like, even like at the beginning here where you kind of got him like in the mirror and you see the word like live, um, and then just the way they do it. Can we just also touch on the score for this movie? Um, which, again, it's a person I'd never heard of. Uh, Bakhar Dulwitz, who I believe is an Australian, a German-based, a German-Australian composer. Um, and he won the Golden Globe for this. I don't even think he got nominated for an Oscar. Um, apparently got nominated for doing the television theme for the Torino Olympics. We could get him on. Uh, off the podium. Also did the theme for Underbelly and One. Now, that was a massive show in Australia. Huge show. So uh, this guy's got a pretty esteemed resume. But this I actually don't have this. I need to download this, the soundtrack. There's a song which we'll yeah. get to at the end, which I hear it. I, I fucking cry my eyes out. I cry my eyes out every time I watch that scene. Don't worry. But um, the soundtrack for this movie is fantastic. Um, there's a bit at the beginning here, like the whole, good morning, and in case I don't see you. Uh, which is something I used to say all the time. But when the the lamp or the light falls down, there was, I think, and I, 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 watching it now, I'm pretty sure you can see where they've edited over it. There is a cut or at least some version of it where when he looks up at the sky, you see like a piece of the sky like folding in to like cover where the, the light has come from. Um, and I think the way they've, maybe they've cut it out like it was in an original cut or like a test screening. I've definitely seen that footage of that happening. The lamp is like, I think, blocking that bit of the sky that they've done peeling over it. Uh, it's kind of like how, like, in, you know, when Lucas did with R2D2, the rocks covering him in the thing, like later on, they added it. I, I, again, if somebody's listening to this and they know that exists, but I've definitely seen a version of this or I've seen a clip of it where you see like a black hole in the sky and a, like it's like you see almost like a zip or something like covering it up where it's come from. Um, but I, I love the bit like when he's in the, the car with the radio and he's like talking to the radio host and it's like, oh, and a plane sheds some stuff over yeah. the thing. Isn't that bad? And Jim Crow's like, mm-hmm, certainly yep. is. Wouldn't want to go anywhere, would you? Nope. Absolutely. Nope. <laughs> I love to hear that. Anyway, it's another beautiful day in Sea Haven. Um, I always, like, the only things I question in this movie, just the elaborate measures they go to with like this town they live in. So Truman's become an insurance broker or something like that so are there are people watching this back in 1998 1999 real life going like oh they haven't trained him properly or have they got like insurance experts because there's a photo in the background of one of the scenes at home where he's got like a university like he's graduated so he's obviously gone and graduated somewhere so like how realistic is this insurance like when he's out and he's suing the pants off this you know christoph's tv company and he's becoming a multi-millionaire is he still going back into insurance 
Because I think Truman's the type yeah. of guy who probably would just keep on working and be a normal guy. He's not going to live up to this celebrity life, is he? And how about even just his elementary school education? Like, did they teach him anything or are they just trying to teach him things that, that would keep him? Like, we even have the teacher later on saying, unfortunately, everything has been explored. So, like, his education, can't, it, there is no possible way that his education can be in line with the real world because they're not going to be talking about real world events. How are you going to do Vietnam inside the Truman Show? You yeah. can't. So he's not even going to be like high school educated in reality. <laughs> there, I mean, there is obviously like levels where things are taught to him, but then there's also like, <laughs> I always love the bit when they're like, oh, that's when we went to Mount Rushmore. It looks really small. Things often do. Anyway, <laughs> like you slept the whole way on the way to that trip. So they obviously do it in a way to make it seem like he's been to places, but I just love all these kind of like set up and the way they go over the top, like shoving him against the wall, Kaiser chicken. Um, and then like, oh yeah, all the newspapers, like who needs anywhere else? We're number one. Um, and then good old Peter Krause looking all good there. Peter Krause is grouse. Uh, that's what I say. What a man. What a man. He's, he's in the top tier of men on the planet. Um, I'm, I'm with Truman though. Like I, as a kid, I was terrified of boats. So I, I would have been insane. Really? Like, yeah. Like I still, they're still not my favorite mode of transport. I still definitely get some jitters getting on boats. But um, as a kid, I would have panic attacks if I went near a boat. I couldn't go near them. I was, I was absolutely shit scared of boats. Um, so and I'm you ca- live on an island. I've always lived on islands my entire life. So uh, what's that? What's that Jaws line? Um, it's only an island if you look at it uh, from the water or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've literally every place on Earth I have lived on, it has been an island. Even when I lived in New York, I lived on Manhattan Island. Like, I, I've never not lived on an island, Colin. Oh, How do you think about you that? Prejudicing? I'm prejudiced against you mainland people. Oh, I live <laughs> on a continent. Uh, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> oh, Australia's a continent. We're also an island. Get over it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, all the setup and just Laura Lee, I bought a chef pal. That's amazing. Uh, which is just so funny. The beer that um, Marlon uses all the time uh, is apparently like the, if you look at the Truman bar, when they cut away to the people, they're, they're drinking that. And apparently whatever, apparently whatever this brand of beer is, it's just, it's kind of like one of these ones where say like Oceanic airlines from Oceanic airlines from lost. They've actually used that in other movies and TV shows, kind of just your fake airline. This beer has been used in like, heaps of tv shows i think uh, i read like mm. a, i don't know if it was arrested development like cougar town it was used in uh the walking dead like literally they have used this brand of beer in other media so it's kind that's, of uh, the go-to fake beer they use in tv shows that's kind of like there's a, a soft drink or something like that in jj abrams mm. universe like a slurpy or something like that or slurmy or something like that and they they use this in other movies too like you see it pop up in Movies like Cloverfield apparently has it, and other things will use this this fake soft drink. That's kind of. I want to know if somebody's actually getting paid like a quarter every time they use that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. And also, a quick thing I've noticed here too. So the bridge. That, that was a very good point you made about the bridge. But this is a different. So if you look at the bridge, it's actually over land. So this might be like it because the entire section of the bridge you see greenery underneath it, and only the end of it is facing the water. So uh, the bridge where they're passing. Oh, so he's golf. he's not quite close enough to the water. Yeah. So this is obviously a different bridge in this town that they've got. But I, I do like I love sort of the way he explains Fiji's got a golf ball like all the way around here. Fiji, you basically can't go any further before you start turning back. That's actually kind mm-hmm. of true. That's like a very good way of looking at it. Um. So and I think as a kid, 
Gotta say, might be the first time I ever knew what where Fiji was or what Fiji was. So thank you, Truman Show, for expanding my knowledge. And every time, like I remember when Survivor went to Fiji, and I always think of Fiji, I think of the Truman Show. So yeah, me too. Going, I'm trying to think if I knew what Fiji was before that. Yeah, it's between like Jim Carrey has this weird way of me like knowing about two places on the planet, Fiji and a little place called Aspen. <laughs> I'd never California. heard of Aspen. <laughs> Beautiful. That John Denver's full of shit, man. <laughs> expecting the Rocky Mountains to be a little, little more rockier than this. I, I honestly never knew. And as a kid, I know we're a year away from talking about this movie. I honestly thought Aspen was in California. I didn't get the oh, joke yeah. as a kid. <laughs> it, took, it took until I showed that movie to my mom where she started laughing. And then I'm like, oh, is that supposed to be a joke? And she's like, well, because Aspen's in Colorado. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> Jen, one of the two girls that appeared in the background when I was living in New York, she went to Aspen recently when she said that. I'm like, California. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love like the way they integrate the flashbacks because, again, this is a clever thing they would do in a show like this. Like, ding, 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 ding. Like, let's go to a flashback here. But I also, I just, I love this rain scene. And one thing I always do, and you, you do notice it, and it, I'm guessing it's a deliberate thing by the filmmakers, is when the rain comes down on him and then it moves and then it moves back to that spot and he's going like, oh, and then when the whole rain comes down, if you keep your eye on that spot, you can still see the street yeah. of where that rain is. Like it's kind of extra rain. Yeah. Like it's like, it's literally, I'm going to guess deliberate. Um, I love the moment. Of course you didn't mention it because it was about sex. When he's all oh, like, yeah. when he, when she's all like, if you come to bed, like you know, I can give you my own pleasure, or whatever. And they cut to like, screw goes, you never see anything anyway. They always just cut <laughs> just away, curtain blowing, curtain blows in. <laughs> you, you never see anything. Which case, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I actually did forget to bring that up because I had a question, but enough. Now, not it's to get too crude on. The, well, but I'm just thinking. Okay, so if if Truman is a teenage boy, <laughs> you know, at some point he's probably tried to. You'll do Bondle it one himself. day. <laughs> well, as soon as I figure out what it means, I'll do it. <laughs> but you got to imagine the Truman at some point was like doing that. And they were just turning the camera and the curtains blowing. People like, I know what he's doing. He's masturbating. <laughs> but like, no, well, yeah, they would. But like, but it, it, this is legitimately going back to the point at the beginning where it's like some people leave it on all night for comfort. Like, yeah, the, this is very big brother. I don't know if it was a thing in Canada with like US big brother, but when Australian big brother started, it was very much a it was a four night five night a week show it was on mm-hmm. like all the time and then this was like very early days of internet streaming you could pay for a subscription for big brother like uncut unfiltered you could literally watch these cameras 24 7 and they yeah. had to be on like delay for those purposes of well when people are just going to sign up for this so they purely watch the shower channel all the time or mm-hmm. masturbated channel and they would do a Big Brother Uncut, which was like the most popular show at like 11 o'clock on a night because that's when you saw boobies and penises and and like the, a couple of times contestants had sex, they would like show it on a certain level. And all the contestants would come out of the house and they would like be like, yeah, I jerked off all the time in the house, but they obviously would never show it. So like <laughs> they they would do things like that. And there was, it was a really famous one. I think it was in the very first season when it was like at the very peak like this very attractive female who went on to very big things, but she was so paranoid about the cameras that she would shower in like her underwear. Like she did everything at length to not reveal any part of her body nude. And there was like a really famous bit on uncut where she like dropped a bit, saw her boobs and it was like, Oh, everyone saw Jenna's boobs. And she was like mortified when she got to the house realizing that that happened. So I can't imagine that like 
in a real world, you're not going to have these kids. Oh, you never see anything anyway. But like my thought is more, we talk about like Truman and the lawsuits. If I'm Truman coming out of here and you're the most famous person in the world, the thing I'm going to be upset about is what about all those private things that maybe you shouldn't have been oh, watching, yeah. you know? Oh, that, <laughs> and and yeah, I'm guessing they turn the camera when he goes to the bathroom too. But like, there are certain things that you're still not, you're going to catch on after a while. Hey, the wind's blowing. He's in bed by himself. And that's, I think the thing that I remember in school when we studied this, you, you think of it like, and this is why I'm glad we've never had a sequel to this because there is an easy sequel in this. The, you know, the legal implications are fucking true. Like Truman is, he's not a millionaire. He's a billionaire after this. He is suing yeah. the fucking pants. Of, Cause you're right. Like everything that he said, in if right now, your life was discovered as being like you would be suing the shit. I would be suing the shit yeah. for everything, for everything that's happened in my life, your life, everything. You would be. You know, you killed my dad off and gave me like, <laughs> what? Um, so, and it's not like he signed a waiver as a baby, right? So, yeah, he's well, he's a loaded man after this. They also say, yeah, we turn the camera, but we also know from later on, they always have a camera on them. They're not just not airing it. So when he is having sex with Laura Linney, the camera's on. I mean, maybe Jim Carrey's asking for the tape when he gets out of the the, the studio or something. Yeah. But um, but like, it, it, there's still a camera on him. There's still you know dozens of people in a studio who are watching this. So wow, like you 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 can't watch this movie and think about how realistic it is. And that's why it was such a smart idea on Peter Weir's part to make this kind of like a very fantasy like world because otherwise you're going to be overanalyzing it and and you're going to poke holes in the plot. But there's certain movies that is best not to poke holes in the plot too. And that's again like why this movie can be studied and taken on board as like, you know, just all the themes in this film that you can analyze the scene when he leaves. And I know we're way ahead and we'll get to this when he, he walks out of that door. Like, I don't, I don't need to know what happens afterwards. I can, I can yeah. imagine what happens afterwards, but like, it's, that's it. I'm fine with the ending. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like how we talk about in today's cinema, Everyone's got to over-explain everything. This is how Han Solo got his name. This is how he got his dice. We don't really give a shit. There are some mm-hmm. things that you don't need to explain, and I'm glad with this we never got that. Um, yeah, and, like, I love the, the – I just love the security guard when he does that. The the dad scene, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of, like, I like this level where – and you'll get it in a montage later where people are sneaking onto the set. Like, this would be a thing. That was a thing in Big Brother in Australia because, yeah. again, it was like a live thing and that was always filmed at this theme park. Like, literally, people would go out of their way to try and break into Big Brother. They had helicopters flying over with, like, signs trying to, like, tell them the news and just all this sort of stuff that they had to stop and was always make the news when somebody tried to break into the Big Brother com- compound again. So this would happen. But I do love the way that when you see the dad and then, like, everybody's, like, on their earpiece and they, like, drag him onto the bus. And, and then you Holland Taylor... It was definitely dad. They dragged him onto a bus. Well, I'm glad they finally need to get rid of that filth off the street. <laughs> but the only thing about this. We're going to turn out like the rest of this country. <laughs> the only thing that like this scene reminds you of, again, I don't know how familiar you are with the South Park movie, but when he's like, I saw dad, he was in a homeless man. And she's like, I see him every day in the face of this and all that sort of stuff. You remember in the South Park movie, it was like, it was Kitty. I saw him. It's all right, Carmen. I see him on the face of every child, on the face of every flower. <laughs> And they like mock him and they like walk off. <laughs> I just always think this is the same same theme, same scene for whatever reason. <laughs> but um, I do also love like there's that bit of animosity between Truman and Laura Linney that kind of gets unpacked because, yeah. you know, you're right. Like at the beginning when she's like, my life is a Truman show, she obviously kind of doesn't like him as we kind of get to know. We get the fingers crossed and that sort of stuff. 
But I kind of like this bit when she's like, I made macaroni. And I just love the way that Trim's like, yeah, is there something you want? Uh, <laughs> like, you clearly kind of see that these two are just sort of married for convenience sake. What's that like, Colin? Um, but <laughs> I'm not getting paid. She's at least getting paid right now. <laughs> Jamie's the one in love. You're the one just being a father. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> I made macaroni. Thanks, love. <laughs> Is there something you want? Um, but yeah, it's all all amazing stuff. One thing I just want to comment on the Big Brother. I do remember when, like, when Big Brother started, like the American version, and they do like the first two weeks you could watch all the feeds live, right? I mean, I kind of got tired of it very quickly. At first, I'm like, oh, this can be cool. You can watch everything a person's doing. I'm like, it's kind of boring. Like, most of the, most of the time, they're doing nothing interesting, you know. There's a reason why I think they, they they have edited TV shows and they're not airing live episodes. But uh, the thing about like the the messages and everything, uh, people getting onto the set. I remember one of the early seasons of the U.S. Big Brother. There was uh, uh, some, something that became like a rumor on the internet where there was like a married woman who was like in a hot tub with a single guy or something like that, and it never it made air on the TV show or anything. But there are all these rumors on the internet that like oh something went on in the hot tub or whatever, and. I guess this guy, this woman's husband read about it on the internet. Nobody had footage. And then he decided to get one of those things, like the, the, they'd have the banners you pull by an airplane. They used to do that. Your know, fans would kind yeah. of send messages and everything. And he put that basically talking about, you know, uh, you in a hot tub or something like that to his wife. And the wife started panicking because the husband's basically talking about, I know what you did or I heard what you did. And they basically broke rules for the first time. Like, we're going to allow you to call your husband to clear this up. We're going to talk to him and say there's no footage of this. You know, that none of this actually happened because people were basically making up rumors. And this guy's trying to get messages to his wife saying, I want a divorce. There was a really, when they, the, they've rebooted Big Brother in this country twice. It's been in all three of our networks. But the second time they did it, there was a really famous one of like, um, yeah, this, uh, I think, was it the girl was in a relationship with the guy? Was, one of them was in a relationship and they just started like openly fucking another person in the house. And it was like, mm. oh, it was a big deal. But they, they broke, didn't they not break? The only time they also break the rules was um, 9-11 because they were filming that during yeah. 9-11. They pulled them into the diary. I think it was just, the same. That might have been the same season even. Yeah, I've seen the footage of when they pulled them into the diary room going like, hey, this isn't normal, but we're going to tell you what's happened. And because I think there's yeah. only a couple of people left in the house, but yeah. Well, because there was one of the people who was in the house who had a cousin who was ah, unaccounted for in right. like the World Trade Center. Yeah, so I think they, they pulled them aside first and then let them call their family. Um, but yeah, like that type of stuff would happen. That's one of those little details where they predicted it, you know? Uh, and it's probably not hard to predict. If, you, if you're sitting down writing 12 drafts of this, uh, Andrew Nichols probably going to be thinking about, in reality, what would happen. Because, I mean, really, his first scripts were very reality-based. It was not this fantasy world. So a lot of those little details, probably just for the amount of time you're working on this and thinking about what would happen. You'd have to have product placement and things like that. Um, yeah, I love uh, what you mentioned about Laura Lady. We're going to get to some of that later on because like, I didn't quite you know, dive as deep into her character until I really watched it now. Um so we now get the flashback uh, as he's holding the sweater after Meryl leaves and go make go make macaroni. <laughs> I always feel like macaroni when I watch this movie too. That's another one of weird things. Craft dinner, uh, but uh, uh, well, I can't eat craft dinner. So I mean, once upon a time, maybe yes. Uh, oh, but uh, you get this sweater flashback, and we flash back to the oldest looking teenagers in film history. Uh, they're not even trying to hide the age of any of these actors, which this does take you a little bit out of the movie. Uh, I think, no, I think for a movie, this feels like the flashback you'd have in a movie. But when you see that other people are watching this, this is where I'm like, and then I'm wondering why these people look so old. <laughs> you know, the, the actors are twice the age of the characters here. Um, and you get uh, 
Jim Carrey and uh, Noah Emmerich playing band. And I love Noah Emmerich. <laughs> Jim Carrey's face. And Jim Carrey just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And putting like his little pom-pom thing in the, the horn. And this is where he's checking out Sylvia or Lauren or whatever her name is. Uh, the other female lead of this movie. Which this, I'm not going to say this is a downside to the movie. I think her character fits exactly what it's supposed to be. But if you try to analyze what happens after this movie, you realize that like, her and Truman do not last. <laughs> they no. have no connection whatsoever. They have about 10 minutes together. Like right here, he's checking her out. Love, and she's kind of smiling. And, it's love. Teenagers too, though. I mean, how many you know girls did you maybe check out once and had like two conversations with? And then hey, their fathers pulled them. Their fathers pulled them away from you. Get away from my daughter. <laughs> and then are you thinking like you know, 20 years later about them? Uh, probably not. Can we talk about uh, Natasha Mikhail? Is it Mikhail Hone? Mikhail Horn? How do you say M- that? Mikhail. Well, I mean, she's Irish. So, um, and you could definitely hear her accent in this movie. Like, she was one of those actors that I remember uh, she had been in the uh, Harrison Ford movie, The Devil's Own, with Brad Pitt prior to this. Uh, and then she was in this right after that. And then right after this, she was in Ronin, which is another one of my favorite movies, like she, Robert De Niro she, heist movie. Uh, she, she's very much, let's be honest, she's on Wendy Crewson levels of who she gets to hang out with and do. Lisa oh yeah, Myers, exactly. Jim Carrey, uh, obviously David Duchovny in Californication. She was Kiefer Sutherland's wife in Designated Survivor. She was a yeah. first lady. So I mean, I love her. She's fantastic. Uh, and she's on The Crown now, playing Penelope Natchbull. That does not Cruise? sound like a real name. <laughs> Is there a real Penelope Natchbull in real life? Yes. The Countess of Burma. <laughs> uh, a British aristocrat and the wife of Norton Natchbull. <laughs> Third that's Earl of Mountbatten. That's that's. I want Noah's my new name to be Matchbull. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she was um, in the Natalie Portman yeah, movie. She was in the other Baldwin girl. But but I mean, she she had George Clooney and oh, uh, Brad Pitt Sorry. and Harrison Ford and Jim Carrey and Robert De Niro and all these people. Like huge star for a while there in the nineties, and then really nothing until Designated Survivor, which is. I mean, she doesn't do a lot. Well, I mean, how many years after that come after the Truman Show and Ronan? Uh, California Cage was like 2009, 2010, wasn't it? So, so like a decade of almost nothing. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But I mean, either way, like you get off to a big start where you're the female lead in a Harrison Ford movie, a Jim Carrey movie, a Robert De Niro movie, uh, and then nothing, you know? Uh, but I mean, she's not bad. I mean, everything I've seen her in, she's one of these actors you forget exists. Because to be honest, until you said the first lady, I'm like, oh, that's right. She was the wife on Designated Survivor. You kind of forget she exists. But I will say in this movie, her character doesn't do much other than just look longingly at the TV. The few times she does talk, though, like her accent is really slipping. <laughs> it is, I did notice it is it. not I great in this movie. It. Yeah, there are some there are some moments where she's sounding very Irish here, which I mean, maybe in reality she was, you know, an Irish student visiting America, got a cameo on the Truman Show. We don't know. No, I, I, uh, t- t- you told me that. I didn't know she wasn't American. So I've never known that about her. Uh, everything I've seen is she's American. So, yeah, because you know. in all in all fairness, maybe it is part of it because the parts where her accent slips is like the TV call, uh, the, the call to Kristoff on mm. the air later on. Um, but anyways, so uh, you, you get the flashback here. He's checking her out. And then we uh, get Meryl immediately moving in. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 I sprained my toe and falling all over him. Uh, and then we uh, cut to the dance here. Uh, with, now, this is th- this is uh, a, a real song. This is obviously something they would have to license. But this is where that idea of we want to base it in the past comes from. Because I never realized that this was not a 50s song until 
probably just within the last couple of years when I watched this, because this is a, from the band, 70 band T-Rex. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah, they did One that. We like bands. the boogie. boogie. Yeah, and yeah. Get it on. Yeah. Bang yeah. A gong. yeah. Amazing sex, band. Well, that's what it's about. What? I don't like them Get anymore. Get off the roof of the um, car, mom. <laughs> Jamie actually got me a T-Rex album on vinyl for my, my birthday, because I love T-Rex. And this is a T-Rex song. So they took a 70s glam rock song on the Truman Show, and I'm trying to think at the time, this would have been like maybe early 80s if we're looking at the real timeline this is supposed to exist in. And they're taking a real song, kind of era specific, and doing a 50s version of it. So even in the Truman Show, they're trying to portray this past era, even if they are licensing a song like 20th Century Boy uh, by T-Rex to do it. So I, I thought that was cool because like you said, all the other stuff is public domain stuff, but here you have a real song you're going to play and you still have like a 50s style dance. No, and he's coughing again. <laughs> This is where Ben just needs to improv. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so yeah, you get the dance scene here and he's still checking out Sylvia or Lauren or whatever instead. Uh, and um, now you get the library scene where uh, Meryl and Marlin are uh, trying to tell Truman to do something. He's like, no, I got to study. And then he's basically checking her out. And uh, he goes to talk to her for the first time. And you realize she's not supposed to talk to him. So she's like, I'm not supposed to be talking to you. And he goes, oh yeah, I, I am a pretty dangerous looking guy i guess you know girls got to be careful <laughs> uh and then he basically sees her button which is how's it going to end which is going to be you know big thing in the movie which i don't think the audience realizes at this point that that's she's part of this movement the free truman movement or whatever uh and uh uh she basically says you know we have to go now we have to sneak out of here so they sneak out of the library and you get that shot of like the camera hmm. thinks they're following them and all of a sudden oh no where are they and next thing you know they're on a beach and uh they're uh enjoying the sand because it's coarse and rough and irritating and it gets everywhere. Uh, and um, I, I did I actually have a kiss scene here. Cause yeah. I was wondering like how little, yeah. So they, okay. They at least kiss, but again, this, this middle-aged man is obsessing about a teenage girl. <laughs> it's a little bit weird, uh, especially since the, the most amount of time they spent together was probably the car ride over to the beach here, which so would have taken never in, been in like this. love. He's never poor old Colin. Wait a second. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. You are the guy who doubted James Bond and Vesper for a couple of weeks in a hospital but falling this, in love but, but, and a car ride over no, in Truman but, Show? But the, the difference, there's a lot of difference. For starters, he's still obsessing over it because it's been like multiple years. So he's feeling that <laughs> and he's also in an unhappy relationship and he's remembering that long lost love from high school. It's natural. But there's a many other people in the town that he yeah. could be fascinated with than one girl he met once. Just because there's me, many I always... people in a town for you to like doesn't mean you do. You can do. Colin, true love does exist. <laughs> All right. I just, I'm going to meet someone. I was going to ask you how many teenage girls are you still fantasizing about, but I'm, I'm asking the wrong guy. So... <laughs> Regular adult males are not fantasizing about teenage girls that they knew, you know. Uh, two, two, I, I, two decades there earlier. was there was a girl in year 11 who i very much had a thing for and to this day if i think about her i get heart flutters because she was very attractive and very out of my league i'm friends with her on facebook and i think recently she liked one of my posts and i'm I, literally I'm like oh my god grace liked one of my posts like it still like hits you somewhere <laughs> even though that was like 18 years ago so i get this but you see her now, though. You're not remembering her as the teenage girl. She's still held up very well. She's very attractive. She's married, got kids. Good for her. But uh, she's she doing walked... all that. She's still in. She's still in high school. That's crazy, Ben. <laughs> she walked into my like. I get it. People age. I understand that. But like, I don't know. I, I'm on board with Truman. Still well, in love with Natasha. Here's here's the thing. 
I get her facet because she's probably watched the show her entire life. And, oh, I wish I could get this guy out. I want to help him. And then she sees that the impact she had on him. So from her side, I think it makes total sense. I don't think it makes total sense for his side. But having said that, I think this is more largely connected to everything else because he's not so fascinated with finding her. That's just sort of a thing on the side. It really is the exploring he wants to do. When we see him getting really passionate about stuff, it's not he, he's not just using exploring as an excuse to go find this girl. It really is he wants to get out. And when all the other suspicious things happen, there's not a moment at the end where he's meeting with Kristoff where he says, I want to see Sylvia. You know, if they had done that, that would have ruined it. Uh, this is this is largely about this is his reason to leave. And that's kind of what he's remembering. I don't know if I fully agree. I see it to a point. But I mean, I think if you're making a sort of uh, creepy face version ripped of eyes from magazines and the sole reason you want to go to Fiji is because you know she was going to Fiji, I, I would disagree in the fact that I think but, that is his sole reason for getting out. Because he keeps calling, he calls out the list. Like, this, can I have a directory assistance for Fiji, please? Like, that, that's, that's but what this is doing. where I think this movie works on so many different levels and them not spelling everything out, especially for this first hour of the movie, not spelling everything out. And even just having the viewers kind of giving theories when they're watching. Yeah. Oh, it's because of this. Because this works on so many levels because in this same scene, sure, he's checking her out. He's like, hey, hot girl, <laughs> she's talking to me. She wants to escape where nobody can see us. She's taking me to the beach. Fine. But then in the scene when the dad comes and he's pulling her away, you're not the first boy she's brought down here. Uh, and oh, she's cool. saying, you know, this is this, this that's what Ben's dates usually. <laughs> he's not the first guy who's brought, or you're not the first girl who Ben's brought down here. Uh, but uh, it's very sounds of the lambs. If <laughs> you read that another way, uh, the lotion but, in the um, basket. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is the scene where she basically says, This is all fake, it's all for you. She even says it's a show or something like that. My name's not Lauren, it's Sylvia or whatever. And then he drags away and says, We're moving to Fiji. Um, you could also say that this is where his suspicions began. Like he hasn't pieced all the pieces together. What I always like to think about this movie is that he hasn't pieced everything together that like there is something wrong with her, but he knows there's something off with the world. Mm. And that's why he wants to try to leave it. And the scenes we're going to see come up later on is him putting that. It's not so much. I want to go to Fiji to see Sylvia. It's him piecing together. There's something not right with this world. Maybe it's all in my head. That's something they don't really explore as much in this movie. And again, it's something that like you do that now, but it would probably ruin it. But uh, I think that this scene works more so because she clues him in. There's something not right with the world. Come find me. And he's it, it's more the intrigue of something's not right. This was a very unusual situation. I want to find her to find out more and not just because she's hot and she wants to bone me on a beach, you know. Um, but maybe it works both ways. Maybe he wants to bone teenage girls on a beach. You know, Ben does. Are you trying to say that um, Sylvia works both ways? Um <laughs> No. Yes, that's exciting. Hang on, hang on. Figuring, I'm trying to figure <laughs> out what it means. Oh, good one, Ben. Oh, comedy <laughs> gold from Ben Waterworth. Oh. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. I'm, I'm glad. glad that Colin could sincerely laugh since I didn't understand what the joke was about. <laughs> so you're so <laughs> yeah. on the board with my comedy all of a sudden, Colin. It's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she basically explains it's all not real. And the dad says, no, her mother's, uh, she's sick or her mother's sick or something like that. Uh, and then you cut back to the present day and you see that He's looking at a picture of Meryl when she turns around. He's got a picture that he's piecing together with all the things he's been ripping in the magazines of Sylvia uh, behind it. And he's trying to get the match with the eyes and everything. Uh, now we get him the next morning and the radio's glitching as he's driving to work. And it's like, all right, he's turning onto whatever street. And then he sees, wait, I'm turning on whatever street. And then he almost hits him. Like, oh, my God, he almost hit her letter. <laughs> and he realizes, wait, they're talking about me or whatever. Uh, and so this, to me, this is the best. This is what, um, not Andrew Nichol. This is what uh, Peter Weir got nominated for an Oscar for. If nothing else, this sequence alone, 
where he gets out of the car and it's a very long shot, no talking. And he's just sort of looking around. You get like the, and Jim Carrey, like if you wanted to get nominated without having speaking in this movie, it would talk about Charlie Chaplin. This is probably what Peter Weir hired him for. A guy who can emote when, when you're a guy who could do something like Ace Ventura, where so much of your performance is facial, mm. even though you are funny, you know that they can convey that much with their face. And what Jim Carrey does in the scene where he's just sort of piecing everything together and like looking around and basically, you know, you have everything in the town uh, stopping and then coming back again. Uh, and uh, it, it's just every, everything starts to click in his head. So you get the, I love the, the newspaper headline where it's saying we're cracked down mm. on homeless headline. Uh, and then you get the uh, the the one suspicious guy is kind of watching him. And all of a sudden his eyes are open like, wait, all these things that are happening, why do they seem to be revolving around me? So he's following this guy into traffic. And then that's where the bus stops. He got him holding his hand out where he's like, I have some power here. And again, an alternate version of this, you'd be like, does he think he's God? Mm. That w- This movie is so much better for not spelling out. Like he has that line in the end, you never know what was going on in my head. But I like watching this movie thinking, what is going on in his head? Is he thinking, am I somehow God? Like, am I controlling things here? Yeah. Or is he thinking what other people are telling him? You're delusional. All of these things he has to be thinking to himself. But this sequence where he's sort of like going around the town and everything, like he's he's hitting the guy. I love when he hits the guy with his bag who's on the the ladder and he doesn't do anything. Did you, did you notice uh, the um the, there's a one guy? It's like when he's coming out of the revolving doors and they zoom in on him. There's a guy picking up trash who's not picking up anything. So like they're obviously oh so, no I didn't they're so like robotic these town people and it's very quantum of solace sweeping nothing I was gonna see yeah James Bond is in the Truman Show yeah but like, of but like literally it's right next to him when he's like walking around the town square there's a guy with a trash bag like with a pickup a thing and he's there's, he's not picking anything up like wow I'm, yeah it's it's hilarious well I mean that that kind of leads in even the scene here where he goes into the office building and. The, uh, the the elevator, they're trying to stop from getting the elevator and you see there's no back into the elevator, it's just a set. And he's like, wait, what's going on there? And they throw him out of the building. This is where he hits the, the guy changing the light bulb with his bag and he doesn't do anything. Uh, he goes to see Marlon and uh, this is like Jim Carrey basically being Jim Carrey in this scene, which which totally works for this movie uh, where he's trying to say something really weird is going on here. And I love this, how how he's stumbling over his words. Like, I can't, I, 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 <laughs> he's just mumbling. Uh, and then, uh, he's basically saying like, you know, okay, I, I, I need to tell you something. We've got to get out of here. And they're like, well, I'm working here, Truman. And he does that thing where he he like claps his hands. Did anything happen? And he goes, no, uh-huh. <laughs> and then the way he's like, uh, when Marlon's saying, leave him, <laughs> okay, whatever you say, I'm game. All right, let's skip work. No, nobody's going to fire you for this. Don't worry. Uh, and um, he's uh, basically playing Marlon when he's describing like how everything is uh, off with the world here. Now, this isn't the scene where his dad comes back. No, that's still coming up. Yeah, yeah that's that's uh, the after his full well, breakdown. Yeah, they're, they're really all the Marlon scenes really are the same scene here. Uh, anyway, so we get him looking at pictures with his mom here. Uh, this is where you get the Mount Rushmore. It was very small, uh, and um, you have uh, the wedding picture where uh, they're showing oh the happiest day of our lives, and he's like yeah. <laughs> like, I, I I get what you're saying here, like. This is a guy who's not happy in his marriage. And then you see in this when they say, oh, we got to go plan your birthday. And they put on his favorite TV show, which I kind of like this idea that like, I love Lucy as a TV show there, but like the movies are fake. So what the lengths they go to where they will film a 50 style black and white film just to, again, terrorize this man into not leaving. Uh, it's like uh, the the uh, story about a man who <laughs> learns that you don't have to go exploring the world to uh, learn where you belong, where you came from. 
um, show me the way to go home or something like that is the name of it. Uh, and this is when the movie's starting. He kind of looks at the picture and he sees Meryl crossing her fingers there, which is a, I find that very interesting too, because like she's so committed to this part where she's getting married, but I don't think I'd, I always sort of just saw, saw that as, oh yeah, well, of course she doesn't want to actually get married, but like in no way is the priest who's marrying them going to be a real priest, you know? Yeah, it's like married in no way is like this is a not legal marriage, but it just it gets you a little bit more of a clue into Meryl's character that she wants to cross her fingers here because she she takes this seriously enough. She's like, oh, this isn't her real marriage. Like, I'm not this person. Like, it's almost like you you don't have to spell it out, but like she doesn't want to disappear into this character the way that like Marlon maybe has. So she feels she has to cross I, her fingers here. I always like it took me a while to actually get what I was looking at. I remember as a kid, I because you see there's like rings on their fingers, right? And you if you pay attention to Truman, he's got a black ring with like a camera on his finger which in a deleted mm -hmm. scene the reason why he wears that all the time is because it was his dad's and that that was kind of him holding on to it and then the plot hole uh, is they know well, they always have a camera on them yeah and then the plot hole being well how did they not know where he was when he escaped he gave the ring back yeah. to his dad when he came back so that's kind of explained but uh. i always thought that like when he's looking at the fingers he discovers the camera that's what i always thought it was but it's obviously the thing oh crossed. yeah yeah yeah, like you, I, I'm not actually married, but again, it's it's so complex, like all the little things in this movie, and not spelling it out is what makes it so much better. Um, so uh, now we get him uh, the the next morning where uh, he's trying to go off to Fiji, and uh, he, he lets her leave for the office or whatever, and he gives that line, "I'll cross my fingers for you," or whatever. And she, has that look uh, in and her she face. just said, "Yeah, like Whoa, okay," uh, and she's even explaining. Sorry to interrupt again, but would she not like? Because obviously they've got this footage, so I can't imagine that. Oh, like, they would have the footage from the, looking at the picture. Yeah, yeah, because he reacts. So like, surely she's been told like, like Meryl, he's onto you. Yeah, because there's no way she remembers ten years earlier. Yeah. Oh yeah, that time when we got married, I had to cross my fingers. You know, it wouldn't be that important to her. Yeah, I didn't even thought about that. Like, what are these actors being fed? Because like I mentioned already, the Joe Schmo show. So this was a show I I caught both. Well, they did three or four seasons of it. Like the first two were the the real ones. Uh, and the guys who created that show went on to um, uh, do like the Deadpool movies and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, it was basically a show where they were doing a big, the first season, Big Brother style show, the second season, a Bachelor style show. And everybody on the show is an actor playing like, you know, parodies of the type of people you see on Big Brother or, or on Bachelor, except they had one person who was the real person who didn't realize that it was all scripted. And they would have to go to these lengths too where they had like the character, they had a Marlin type character. And one of the things that happened at the end of the Joe Schmo show season one is uh, the guy was kind of like a very dumb guy and he didn't get it. And he even said later on, like there was certain, the one thing he was upset about was the guy they had on as his Marlin, who was like, this is the guy you're going to trust to make you feel better uh, that he felt kind of resentment towards this guy. And then the second season they did a bachelor style thing. And the people again, took it as a joke, but they they also got a little bit upset at the idea. And the, the, there's even like a, a scene in the final episodes where the producer is saying like, I think we've gone too far. We can't do this anymore. Like we, we don't want to mess because even in a show like that, where it's only like a week that you're filming or, you know, maybe a week and a half max, like the people take it personally. So, I mean, I, I can't imagine like the little things with the actors, like Meryl and Marlon, what they're dealing with here, but like, does Truman come out of this and Deal for these people? Is he angry at them? Like that's one of the things that I I always would love to find out about. Yeah, it's it's I I only ever thought they did one season of the Joe Schmo show because I thought that would have just yeah lost its um appeal afterwards. But yeah, I mean again, I think 
this Truman's getting so fucking rich after this. Like, it's just yeah, exactly. Still in the pants uh, of everyone. I mean, in all honesty, so is Meryl. Meryl's, and, and if the the cutscenes, Marlon's probably making a fortune after this too. I mean, everybody's getting sued. Um, but uh, one other thing with the Joe Schmo show is that the uh, the creators decided they didn't want to do this where they were basically hurting people who are the center of a show anymore. But they did do another show after that where um, it was the opposite of like the Joe Schmo show or the opposite of the Truman show where they they went in with a crew into a small town where they basically were pretending they were filming a movie with William Shatner hmm. in like the the fictional small town of like Captain Kirk's home, right? So these people are like, William Shatner's like a god to us because he comes from our small town uh, or that his fictional character came from small town. And William Shatner was a part of the show and they basically filmed an entire season where they were shooting a fake movie and all of the extras, those little people who are the extras who are watching it, were watching things that were scripted and didn't realize they were scripted. Is, um, is that like that, that, that one? Do you remember that one? I think they canceled it after a week where they basically duped a bunch of like Americans into thinking that they were going to date Prince Harry or something like that. Like, oh was, no, I didn't hear about that. It one. was like literally they like got say like twenty girls and they got like a Prince Harry lookalike and they made them believe <laughs> that it was like a bachelor and the winner would get to marry Prince Harry and these girls believed that this was really Prince Harry. Wow. Yeah. You know, you know, it's funny because I think about the obvious one, like the Joe Schmo show. But now we're mentioning all these other ones like that. Joe Millionaire was the same thing. We're going to lie to you and mm. we're going to have somebody who's faking who they are. Yeah, there's a lot of shows who kind of took this concept after the, the Truman Show. <clears throat> there oh, we go. We're not editing that. Jesus. Um, um, that that went... was brought to you by Bubbly, a refreshing. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Michael Bubbly. <laughs> uh, did I tell you about Michael Bubbly doing the Bubbly commercials? I was there. When, no, no, no. I was there when he did them. So I saw them all. Oh, okay. And I would be in like the save on foods and you'd have the cutout of like, you know, him crossing. Yeah. He's on the Australian ads too. So, and they're such a rip off. The first week they were here, they were cheap. It's like $16, $20 for like six cans. I used to buy like a pack of 30 or 40 from Costco for like 20 bucks. I'm going to send you some. I mean, do. I miss Don't them. open them for about a week afterwards. I can't imagine. Can you send me some wisps too when you go to Costco? Buy me some wisps. Oh, is that those uh, little cheese crisp things? Mm, I miss them so much. Please. Yeah, you know what? Uh, there's something that I, I can't send this to you, but our farmer's market here. I mean, you're you're keto, so you like cheese. Uh, but uh, the farmer's market we have here, they actually have fried cheese on like a stick mm. uh, where it's basically like cheese and they deep fried. I'm like, oh, I tried them. Like, this is amazing. Uh, anyways, we're on cheese. Uh, here. Cheese. Uh, uh, delicious cheese. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, God. Colin. Goes good with macaroni. Goes good with macaroni. Um, anyways, so. Uh, yeah, he he basically sneaks out as soon as uh, Meryl's gone, and uh, he shows up at the hospital, and he's asking for. Her. They say, "Oh, she's in surgery right now." <laughs> I love this. And uh, <laughs> and this lady here, I don't know if you remember Thirteen Going on Thirty, oh, uh, the Jennifer Garner movie. Say, I've seen it maybe like once a long this, time ago. This lady basically plays the same role where she's just an assistant or whatever who's put on the spot, and she's always like basically put, abused because she's put on the spot and having to you know cover for everybody. Um, um, okay. Uh, so obviously somebody was watching the Truman show when the cast 13 on 30, but uh, I said, just tell her I got to go to Fiji. Uh, okay. You have to go to Fiji. And then you see her going to try to you get the message off and Truman's following them. And this is where every single obstacle starts getting his way. You got stretches. You got the, the race of the wheelchairs going through the hospital. Uh, and then he basically gets outside the OR and they're in the middle of surgery. And this, you got the doctor who's like, <laughs> I am making the first cut right above the knee. And then this moment here, <laughs> the guy the, slips the, the, the bedpan or whatever, and then all of a sudden the, the patient's like, oh, oh, and he's like, 
Oh, there you go. Good job, doctor. Really, and then when they really ushered Truman out. Yeah, they ushered Truman out. I was like, yeah, let's just let somebody else take over this. Here. So uh, this is something that, I, this is one of the only parts in the movie where they make it obvious all these people are actors. Like some people obviously would have to be learned to be professional, but like we get it later with a bus driver, but there's another one coming up later on where it's like, you're an actor. Like you don't actually know how to do this. Uh, so you next see him on the uh, the the travel agency, and this is the actually it's literally the next scene. So he's at the travel agency, and this travel agent comes out, and she's got a bib on. And I I always wondered about this bib, like does she just eat lunch? But then I just read the trivia. It's supposed to be a makeup. Yeah, bib. This I, is uh, actor- I thought exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, like they they weren't expecting Truman to go into a travel agency, so they're like get that, get one of our actors out there. Okay, learn how to be a travel agent. Put some makeup on her, and then she gets she still got the makeup bib on there because they rushed her out there. Uh, and I love like the poster on the wall. It can happen to you as lightning bolt is going through an airplane. Have you thought about traveling? Terrorist attacks, diseases. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's saying he wants to go to Fiji. When do you want to leave today? And I'm like, I'm not seeing anything for at least a month. All right, I will make other arrangement then. Uh, and uh, next thing you know, he's on the bus to Chicago. And uh, <laughs> you, you get the bus driver who's just like grinding the gears. <laughs> Obviously, because he's an actor and doesn't know how to drive the bus. Like, all right, everybody's off. We got a problem, and everybody gets off the bus. And you get this one guy who's like sympathetic, who just says he's sorry to Truman or whatever. That's the bus driver. Uh, yeah. yeah, and this guy again will come up later on. Uh, so uh, this is basically it. Now, now this is where um, I, I I don't know what this. Oh yeah, th- this is the audience talking. So I think it's the the waitresses where they're talking about why is he going to Chicago? Wasn't his father from Chicago? Like, no, his dentist was from Pensacola. His father was from Des Moines. Uh, I wonder why she brought up the dentist because it has nothing to do with Chicago or the father. I think it's <laughs> his just dentist of, was, they just remember my dentist is from I Pensacola. Think it's, it's, that's just a super fan thing, right? Like, no. Yeah, you got like Truman Show Trivia Pursuit. All right, where was Truman's dentist from? Pensacola. Uh, yeah, they're just doing trivia here at the bar. I got a sneeze about to come on any second now. Let me uh, try to get through this. All right. <laughs> oh, good one, Ben. Oh, and comedy a, gold from ben Colin Hilding. Oh. <laughs> And I didn't sneeze still, so you're going to have to get ready on that. Uh, so the next scene is where he's in the car. Now, this is where his breakdown really starts to happen. Meryl just comes home and finds him in the car. And uh, he's just like, hold on, hold on, wait for it. In a few minutes, you're going to see a guy on a red be- bike. You're going to see uh, somebody carrying flowers. And you're going to see a dented beetle. And then he's like, there it is, red bike. She keeps trimming. This is stupid. It's like, a red bike. And then he's just waiting. And when there's the dented beetle. And this is another, where you get one of Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey moments where he holds his hand up and oh. <laughs> Which would you think that the producers would not be going like, okay, guys, he's on to us. Let's not like hold the beetle or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he hasn't said what, and I think this is where that line in the end, you never knew what was going on in my head is that so they're not quite as good at analyzing him or psychologically profiling as they think they are. Mm. He's just sitting in his car. They probably don't even think he's on to them, you know? And he started to realize there's something wrong with the world here. But at that point, you guarantee those people are not coming back. But you think when he says you're going to see somebody on a red bike, somebody in uh, flowers, they're not going to send the beetle, you know? Wait, wait, he just mentioned the first few things and we just showed them, call the beetle off or whatever. Here it comes. Am I going to laugh at something really oh, funny right oh, now? Oh, 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 ah, ah, he's going to do it. There we go. Uh, <clears throat> oh, you muted <clears throat> yourself, boo. Yes, uh, I thought you were going to make me laugh. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, good one, Ben. Oh, comedy gold from Colin Hilding. Oh. Uh, so he basically, uh, is trying to say like, there's something wrong. And she just keeps trying to say, change the subject. You know, I heard about this and this, and he just locks the car and he's saying, we're going to go now. 
to uh, wherever, and he starts speeding away and driving. Uh, and uh, you immediately get the traffic jam where all the cars are blocking them in. And he goes, amazing, blocked it every turn. She says, Truman, this is stupid. He goes, you're right. We're never going to make it. We might as well go back. And he backs up. He literally just does the roundabout and comes back. Amazing. Only a couple seconds later, all, all the cars are gone. Uh, next thing you know, they're uh, coming up on the uh, the bridge and he's too scared to go across. So she's like, oh, Truman, uh, it's okay. I, you, you know you're afraid of water. And he just puts her hand on the wheel and says drive and hits the gas and watching them. That's a really good moment. Like I remember watching this being like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Uh, and then after this, you get the forest fire warning. He's like, amazing. What, how many other things are going to happen? Truman, there's there's a forest fire. No, I guarantee there's not a fire. And then all of a sudden, the flames shoot out on the road. He drives straight through it. Uh, and then finally, as they're finally getting away, I think they have the conversation here where she says, well, I don't know what we're going to do for money. We're out there. He goes, I got some money in our savings. Got, and this, you realize he hasn't even thought about this. He probably didn't think he would make it this far at this point mm. is the way I always read this scene. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you get like the 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 blockade and you got like the nuclear disaster thing. And you're like, what now? Saying, oh, we got like a, a nuclear meltdown or whatever happening. And he goes, is there anything I can do? I'm a, I'm a nurse. <laughs> I love Meryl piping in there. No, we got it all under control. He goes, okay, thank you, officer. And then you get this guy screwing up. You're welcome, Truman. Mm. And he's like, wait a second. He gets out of the car, starts running. Uh, basically, they chase him down in the middle of the forest wearing their like, you know, uh, nuclear protection suits, Geiger counters all over him. They're going to great lengths here. Uh, this is they can scramble this quickly. You could call off that dented beetle. <laughs> That's where the Paul Giamatti is screwing up even more here. Uh, they get back home and she's trying to uh, talk him down. Basically, saying, now I know that you're very upset or whatever. Uh, and then she just starts pitching a cocoa commercial. <laughs> Why don't you try a new cocoa? It's grown from the mouths of Mount Nicaragua or whatever. And I just love it. There's nobody here. Who are you talking to? <laughs> I've tried other cocos, and this one's the best. <laughs> Uh, and he starts freaking out on her and chasing around the house. And this is where she pulls the, the chef's pal on him. He goes, what are you going to do? Dice me, slice me. You have so many choices. Uh, and then he basically you know, pins her down. And this is where she screams, do something. And he's again, like, who are you talking to? And miraculously, Noah Emmerich walks in the door, uh, saving the day. With beer. <laughs> Roll, I wonder what he did for his audition. Just walk in a room holding up beer. Truman, <laughs> that's all he has to do to audition. Uh, and, uh, she basically falls into his arms and says, I can't work under these conditions. I don't even know if she says work or live, but like, she basically says under these conditions, this is not professional. Yeah. So this is where she's lost it. Like this is a job for her, even though she said, this is my life. And that's the the only note we really have is her character. But I know that Peter Weir did create like backstories for everybody about like how the show came to be and all the characters backstories i would love to read or like a, a you like i don't think it's like a publicly released book but i think it he wrote like a book with like kind of just the life of everything that happened until this point in the movie so that like mm. there was a background and so we knew that the day truman lost his tooth and then like, like yeah the, like the show bible yeah. for the fake show yes yeah. yeah i'm i think somebody's got to publish that one of these days um, so, uh, basically that's it for Laura Linney. She's out of the movie at this point. And I'm saying it right now, like, honestly should have gotten an Oscar nomination. I don't know. Judy Dench was nominated this year for Shakespeare in Love. And she's in that movie for about four minutes. Uh, Laura Linney should have gotten an Oscar nomination for this movie. She's brilliant. Uh, and, uh, you basically get, uh, Marlin, uh, uh, coaching or being coached by Kristoff. Uh, this is our first real introduction to Kristoff in the movie. And we're an hour into the movie at this point, which is crazy. Uh, and I, I think it would be interesting to show this movie to somebody without those opening credits 
and have them not know what this movie's about. And then the first time you see Christoph or anything about a production is this moment here. Cause I almost feel like that's the way it was intended. But then they're like, everybody knows about this movie because of how much hype there is. We might as well put that thing on the opening. That's a but it'd clever, be an interesting experiment. Way, yeah, to to see it. Just have him good morning and like have the audience yeah. not honestly, do you think they might not do that today? Like, you know, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm, I've been saying a lot of things in this, like, oh, if you made this movie today, you'd do this differently. You do this differently and it wouldn't be better. This is the one thing where I'm like, I wish that they had done this. Cause I honestly believe it just came down to how this movie's promoted. And maybe you don't want to get too complicated for people. So they put those scenes on the beginning, but like to show this movie to a person without that opening scene, the opening credits and not have them have any clue what's going on. And then you just have this reveal where you have this very heartfelt speech from Noah Emmerich where he goes, yeah, if everybody's lying to you, I'd have to be lying too. And the last thing I'd ever do is lie to you. And, and all of a sudden there's a guy Fade coaching and like, what is, yeah, fate <laughs> of music, which by the way, that, that, so the other composers on the movie, there's two other guys who contributed music to the actual soundtrack within Truman Show. One of them is this guy on the piano here, Philip Glass, which I don't know if you're familiar with him. He got nominated for an Oscar a couple of years later for composing the score of the hours. But I guess he's a famous like actual classical composer outside of movies. But there's a famous Simpsons episode that references it. Do you remember it? No. So the one where Milhouse's parents separate mm. and Homer thinks that Marge is going to divorce him. So he starts trying to spoil her with all the stuff. He wakes her up at like five in the morning or something. And he's like, that theater you went to last night, I got tickets for the entire season. And he's like, voices of the elderly. That might be good. And then one of them is like, an evening with Philip Glass. Just an evening? <laughs> <laughs> that That's this guy here playing right. the piano, Philip Glass, a famous composer who plays himself, I guess, in the movie where he's like, fade up the music and all that. Uh, and then this is uh, where the father comes in. There's another reason I came to the house tonight. And then you see the dad in the background. It's like, I found him for you. And you have Ed Harris doing like the the zoom in and everything. And uh, um, I, I, this is basically, I'll, I'll, I'll cut it here. But uh, quickly talking about just about Ed Harris as the dad comes back. Uh, he's kind of revealed as the creator here. Uh, this was a very last minute thing. Uh, Dennis Hopper was originally mm. hired to star in this, which I never knew about. And Ed Harris came on after like one day of filming. Dennis Hopper's like, I, I don't think this movie's right for me. So he leaves. Dennis Hopper would then go on to play the father of Matthew McConaughey in Ed TV, very similar movie to this, like uh, right after this. So I don't know, maybe he had already signed on to Ed TV and he's like, maybe I shouldn't be doing both these movies. I don't know. But uh, I mean, I can't imagine anybody other than Ed Harris. I mean, Ed Harris had already been nominated for Hopper. 13. It would be a different character. I think you see the sinister with Dennis Hopper more. Hmm. And maybe it's because, I mean, Ed Harris has definitely played his share of bad guys. Like, Watch um, what's that? Uh, a history of violence with Viggo Mortensen. He's played some bad guys, but like maybe coming off of Paul Thirteen, which is like the most uplifting movie, and he's like maybe the the hero of that movie. Uh, you see, Kristoff as like a nice guy here, but like I think Dennis Hopper playing it, it would fit almost with like Andrew Nichols' original idea of like the Gary Oldman darker version of the Truman Show. But in this version, like I think it has to be Ed Harris. Like Ed Harris feels fatherly. Ed Harris feels godly in a way, you know. Uh, but uh, this 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 sequence here. This was, again, shown in the trailers, which maybe was the reason why they wanted to have that thing at the beginning, because people are already going to know the plot of this movie. But can you imagine this movie not knowing and then just having this as the reveal? Yeah, it would be some sort of like big plot twist with everything. I kind of weirdly like in this flashback to high school that they still use the older actors. Like, I get it. It's a bit silly on the fact that, yeah, they, they're not even trying to look young. But I kind of think that maybe that's just the point. Like, because I mean... I don't know. There's just something about it that I enjoy that they didn't go back and then just recast these as like kids. Cause the only time you really see like a young Truman is when you see like the flashbacks, him as like an actual child. Um, but I don't know. There's just something 
like, because it's just such a short sequence, and I think you kind of need to see the N- Natasha McElroy, whatever her name is, character kind of in the same guy. Like, if this was just a teenage version of her, we're not going to know who she is, like, when you see her older, are you? Um, so I kind of like it. Like, it doesn't bother me. It's not one of these ones where it's like, you know, they, they give him a bowl cut. They make him look a bit Lloyd Christmassy. Um, so, you know, they do enough there with that. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, you talk about like being forced upon, like they basically just forced Meryl. Oh, I broke my ankle. Oh, I'm so clumsy. And Jim Carrey's like, yeah, like consent. This is sexual assault. I didn't consent to this. Put this around the other way. If this was a man jumping on a woman, Oh, my ankle. I've tried that many of times. I've also been in jail many a times, so it doesn't always That's work. That's how Ben introduced himself to me, too. Exactly. Oh, my ankle. Do you happen to like Survivor? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like I love, like, kind of all the stuff. And, again, I think it's, like, little things that I don't really notice when you watch this as a kid, like how she's like, yeah, I can't talk to you, and this whole, like, backstory of, yeah, the extras aren't allowed to associate with Truman, of course, because they're not in the storyline. I do love it when they go to the beach and just Jim Carrey just, you know, keep your hands inside of the car. And then it's like, oh, this is my favorite pizza place. Uh, hey, Tony, I'll have a pepperoni. Hold the plank- plankton. Uh, <laughs> which I can't imagine that's not like ad-libbed by Jim Carrey. Um, but just, again, it's that level that he can go from like funny to very dramatic when it's like Fiji. We're taking the kids to Fiji or whatever. And you just see his reactions and everything. Obviously, he's got the jumper. Uh, and again, speaking of his ability to act like this whole sequence, you talk about Peter Weir, like this is a bit where gets him nominated for the Oscar. This should be shown in the reel of why Jim Carrey wasn't nominated for an Oscar. Just like him driving in the car, his reactions to everything. Like, as you said, kind of like the hand, like in front of the bus, just him running back and forth. I love the bit when he goes into, what is this meant to be a bank in the elevator and the doors open. You just see like people eating craft services. They're like, oh shit, he can see us, which I get it that you don't want to put the resources into like all these people doing everything in the background. It's very um, video game open world that, you know, the NPCs walking around. I think, I mean, Free Guy kind of did it a little bit, you know, where it's like outside of the linear storyline, these people don't really have anything. And like real props to all the actors, like the extras in this movie, because the way they like act like, oh, fuck, he's not meant to be here. Like there's that woman Mm -hmm. who's in the elevator and she kind of just stands there pretending to be in the elevator. And then the next, or like on the bus, the little girl who recognized them is yeah, like, Shh, isn't that oh, shut up? And even just you see all those people on the bus who are kind of just sitting there rigidly waiting for them to obviously go like, oh, this, and they all get up in unison. Um, mm-hmm. I'm with you. I love it when he whacks the guy on the fucking ladder and he doesn't do anything. Um, but I also like, I love the fact that like, was it like earlier when um, Truman sitting with Marlon and basically being like oh, you know, I'm stuck in my job and I need to go away. And Marlon's like, what are you talking about, Truman? you got a great job. you got a you desk, got a desk job. job. <laughs> because this is where you see me. He's just slowly stocking a vending machine. Oh, I can't leave, Truman. Oh, I can't leave. I'm, I'm very behind on my quota today. Uh, which, I mean, what a, if you're a vending machine filler-upper, good for you. Thanks for being an important person in society. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's essential service, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, and like, I, I kind of like this bit when they're sitting on the beach, drinking their beer again. And again, this is like, Meryl's whole job in this movie is to give Truman beer. Uh, Marlon, sorry. <laughs> so it's give him beer and to tell him that this is the best place on earth. Look at that sunset, Truman. That's a perfect sunset. <laughs> Christoph's in the chair going, yes, yes, it is my precious. Also, we should mention the, the name Truman Burbank. True oh, man, yeah. true man, and yeah. Burbank is where all the Hollywood studios are in uh, yeah. in LA. If you didn't know, do they say in this because they say where 
Uh, I don't know if they actually identify where the dome is. You see it on when they do the zoom out. It's in Hollywood. Uh, so, okay. um, so it's probably in Burbank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I kind of, I kind of like that. Yeah, the whole photo album bit. <laughs> Look, Mount Rushmore. You slept the whole way. It looks very small. <laughs> they often do, dear. And then the other, the other little kind of like Easter egg sort of bit here is the bit where you see him behind bars as a clown. It's kind of like, well, oh yeah, he is a clown for people's entertainment, and he's a prisoner. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, yeah, like kind of references there. But I love this like guy on TV. And now it's time for that seminal classic, show me the way to go home. <laughs> that it doesn't matter where you are on the planet, there's no place like home and where you should always want to be. And I kind of love Jim Carrey's face. He's like, oh, hmm. <laughs> and then, yeah, he sees the, the fingers crossed bit. But then this whole sequence of just like him sort of slowly discovering it. Uh, <laughs> just like as Laura Linney. There's always an explanation for like Jim Carrey's seen this elevator. So the next day it's like, oh, that, that horrible elevator accident. Yeah. There's just bodies everywhere. People <laughs> right next to where you work, Truman. Disgusting. Mm, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go into work and do an Somebody amputation. should be sued. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somebody should be sued for that. Uh, but yeah, the whole bit like, oh, well, I'll cross my fingers for you. She's going to like, oh, okay. I just love this whole sequence just in the hospital. My favorite, one of my favorites in the movie is the surgery bit. Yes, and I'm just going to make an incision here. <laughs> and then that guy who takes away Truman is like, oh, you don't want to see this. Blood and guts everywhere. And then I just love the react. You kind of see like the leg and yep, we'll just put this over here. Oh, wonderful job. Wonderful job. Wonderful job. Again, another thing it just randomly reminds you of. You remember the Mr. Bean movie when he like extracts like the bullet from him and everybody's all like, oh, wonderful job. Wonderful job, job doctor. And there's that one doctor who looks at Mr. Bean and she's all like, oh, like it just reminds me of like, wonderful job, wonderful job, really great. Love the posters in this travel agent. It could happen to you. <laughs> Terrorism, disease. Have you really thought about travel? Um, and also, why is he wearing a little like old man golfer's hat? Uh, <laughs> like, it was the style at the time. <laughs> it really was. But I love that the bus. Last call, Chicago. <laughs> Getting on the bus, it blows up. This whole sequence of him. Just like driving and discovering, like so good. Like uh, the bit when he's going around the roundabout. Truman, I'm starting to feel a little bit sick. Me too. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. So we have a fun tradition in the Waterworth family. So on Christmas Eve, we like to go and look at Christmas lights and go and get McDonald's. One tradition that my dad started that I've always continued on, no matter who's in the car with me, so good luck if you're ever with me on Christmas Eve, is when I go to a roundabout, I will drive around it endlessly until a car comes (laughs) into the thing. (laughs) That's a weird tradition we have. So thanks, Truman Show, for giving us that idea. Uh, I love the bit when they drive through the fire and it's kind of like, oh, that was insane. Yeah, do you want to do it again? No! (laughs) (laughs) Very Jim Carrey. But I also kind of like just the realize, like, you talk about facial acting from Jim Carrey. Laura Linney has it too because you've kind of got this bit where as an actress playing an actress, she's obviously panicked because she's going like, well, what are we going to do when we go to New Orleans? Because that's a bit where it's like, you're right, we can't drive to Fiji. Let's go to New Orleans. Mardi Gras. <laughs> like, I love how he does she's it. Pro- we don't see it yet, but she's probably got Christoph in here saying, okay, come up with reasons. Like, what are you going to do when you get there? And then she's just feeding those lines. Like, it's your job now to get him to turn back somehow. But I love that reaction she has when she obviously, like, you can't see that there's a nuclear power outbreak and this is the excuse they're going. 
So if you watch yeah. her face, you can see her go from like panic, like what the fuck am I meant to do to, oh, fuck relief. They're finally doing something. <laughs> because the thing with this too is that you got to feel bad for Laura Linney's character because Truman's losing it. Like Truman does get borderline abusive here. And like he's having yeah. a full-on psychotic episode right now, which you can understand. And I think this is where, again, Jim Carrey should have been nominated because he's delivering this so well. Both of them just do this reaction. You talk about that scene between Sally Field and Robin Williams last week. Like, I would say this is even better because, like, you've got him having a psychotic breakdown. She's also having one going, like, fuck, I am in danger here. Like, this guy, like, I'm acting right now. He's not. He, what yeah. happens right now if he did kill Laura Linney, like, live on TV? Yeah. Um, so, like, it's just so many layers to this, so fucking good. And then I just love her reaction, like, help me, do something. Like, I can't work under these conditions. Um, and then, yeah, this scene, the, the bit between Marlon and that on the bridge, and it's like, what's the bit where it's like, how could I have been in this? You know, I've been there through your entire life. Remember when we played North Pole? It's like, ah, you were off school for a week with pneumonia. Um, and it's just like, the, the part where, you know, like, I would have to be in this, you know, you're so real to me. And then when it does cut to him to the, and all I've ever been there is been there for you, Truman. Fade out music. It's like, you were right about one thing, your dad. Like, I found him. It's like, remove the fog. There's too much fog. Yeah, too much fog. <laughs> Easy on the fog. Um, and it's kind of like, I love that bit when they're hugging and it's like, years of wasted. I'm going to make it up to you, son. <laughs> uh, it's just so good. And what do they say there? Like, oh fantastic ratings are through the roof and you've got like the guys coming in there with like the um you know newspapers and everything and you got to have like christoph and his little beret there and his like little glasses and everything but yeah i'd love to kind of see a cut of this where that scene is taken out from the beginning and this is like the plot Mm -hmm. twist because like advertise this as like some sort of weird movie where again like you don't know what's happening because this would be a really cool plot twist yeah. You know, what? Why is he like? What is going on with him in this world? Oh my god, he's part of an elaborate television show. So, yeah, so good. And like, like I know we're about to get to. You're about to talk about it, but this fucking montage that they do to kind of explain it, so good. But yeah, everything here is amazing. Yeah, because like we're we're an hour into the movie at this point, but there's only forty minutes left. I mean, less without without uh, the credits. So we're into the last act of the movie, and it's only now revealing everything that's gone on outside of that opening sequence and a couple of cuts to you know the the people watching the movie um but uh the one thing i find really interesting here is the first thing they get as they they start this documentary uh or this is like truman after dark or whatever <laughs> uh and on tonight's after show we true got, talk. I also, hey, hey, true talk yeah we got harry shearer here <laughs> uh, uh godzilla's harry shearer <laughs> uh no godzilla's harry shearer sorry come on not known for that other show he does right is he no 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 uh but uh uh, his character's name is Mike Michelson or something like that, <laughs> like Steve Stevenson or something weird. Uh, but uh, I love that you actually still have Truman uh, in the corner of the screen yeah. the whole time too. Like they were always out live, and they even have the the Coca every the the read that Meryl just had. It's like uh, if grown on the uh, slopes of Mount Nicaragua, where the cocoa is actually scrolling on the bottom of the screen. And Truman drinks this, whatever. Uh, and uh, yeah, the documentary starts here, so. Uh, you basically have him uh, revealing like, uh, oh, this is not the first time that we've had, uh, you know, somebody sneak onto the set. And then they cut back to mm. the guy Christmas. Hey, 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 Merry Christmas, Truman. It's I'm a TV, TV show. show. 
Yeah, and then you got the guy parachuting in, which looks like it would have very recently on the show too, this guy parachuting in. It's got the sign that said, Truman, you're on TV or whatever, which you see on Sylvia's wall later on. So this is how you know that like she's really part of this resistance group and everything. This isn't just some idiot who wanted to get on the show. She's got, it's, this is like their slogan. Like the free Truman group has the Truman you're on a TV show. And it's just your goal is somebody has to get this on the show. Um, but, uh, and they also talk about, you know, you had to invent ideas to keep him on the island. And this is where you have him as a child saying, it's like, when I grow up, I want to be explorer like Magellan. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, Truman. All the world's already been explored. <laughs> and this just reminds me of the, the, the Pleasantville scene where it's like, all right, so what happens when you get outside of Pleasantville? And everyone's like, Psh. Of, of course, it just starts over again. Route, you get back into Pleasantville. Back into play, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, man, this is the 25th anniversary of Pleasantville, too. I wish we could have done that one. Oh. Uh, but, episode. Uh, maybe we will have one, yeah. Maybe for Patreon. Uh, if you're listening right now and you are tolerating us and you want to hear us talk about Pleasantville, sign up for Patreon and we'll do it. We'll give you a bonus episode on it. Which, by the way, is a perk if you sign up to one of the tiers of Patreon. We will pick an episode, or you pick an episode yeah. for us to cover. You pay us money, and we'll still pick the episode. You get no rights on this show. <laughs> if you're willing to pay us enough money, you will pick the episode. Just look for the and tier. You will pick uh, Pleasantville. You will pick Pleasantville. Uh, <laughs> or if you don't pick Pleasantville, you will pick another Jim Carrey film, or you will pick uh, Patch Adams. No, don't pick Patch Adams. This isn't uh, the movie you're wanting to choose. Move along. Yeah. Uh, do not pick the life of David Gale with Laura Linney. <laughs> pick something good. Pick Patch Adams. Ben's fine with that. <laughs> you know what? If you're willing to pay us enough, we'll cover the life of David Gale or Patch Adams. Phil Seymour Hoffman's in that. Come on. In which one? Uh, Patch Adams. Is he in that one? Oh, yeah. then I might. To- I might tolerate it again. He's a snooty uh, roommate of Robin Williams. He's like, oh, I'm a doctor. I really. I, I, I really want to watch Twister right now. Jamie and I have been talking about watching Twister. Ever since I watched Mission Impossible 3, I'm like, Philip Seymour Hoffman. She's like, wasn't he in Twister? Yes. There was a Watch Mojo like top 20 scariest like disaster films and it had like, you know, Dante's Peak and all those sort of ones on there. They didn't have Armageddon. They, only, they put um, Deep Impact instead of Armageddon, even though they had both Volcano and Dante's Peak. They get to number one and I'm like, oh, they haven't put Twister yet. And they go, number one, Moonfall. And they start like starting, but they start like saying like it's serious. And they're like, we're only kidding. That movie was rubbish. (laughs) Number one, Twister. And I'm like, oh, thank God. (laughs) I'm still telling you, if we ever get around to doing Independence Day 1 and 2, we have to do Moonfall as a third film in that series. Because I 100% believe Roland Emmerich wasn't happy with Independence Day 2 and said, I can do this even dumber, but better somehow. And he somehow made Independence Day Resurgence dumber and better at the same time. Maybe we just do a Roland Emmerich month and we do like 10,000 BC or whatever it was called. I've never seen that. Oh, we could do Stargate. Stargate. Yeah, Yeah. Stargate Um, would be a good one. But I I still, again, we know they're making a Twister sequel. Eh. Twisters. I don't know. I saw something about it recently that made me a little bit more excited. I know that the cast um, that they've released already, the director was somebody. Isn't it Helen Hunt's daughter? I think, well... Uh, I thought Helen Hunt was originally supposed to be in it, but she might not be. Uh, I'm just, I'm looking it up now. So the director, Lee Isaac Chung, uh, what has he done? Uh, this is the guy who made runs. Minari. Academy Award nominee, best picture nominated film. Minari is doing Twisters. What? Did you see that? Uh, um, the... The, super, the new Superman. Right. The, okay. the new guy is Superman. He's starring. He's I, a new Bill Paxton. Yeah, okay. Helen Hunt's not, not that I can see there. But um, do you see that Formula One movie they're making with Brad Pitt directed by the guy who did Top Gun Maverick? So like last, oh, yeah. last weekend at the British Grand Prix, they actually like 
got Brad Pitt like to kind of walk with the drivers to make it look like he was really in there and like they got like these makeshift Formula One cars out in the track and actually line that like they're, they're going full out to like integrate this with actual Formula One. Even though again, this movie is driven. It is the plot of driven. <laughs> so when that comes out, I employ and we'll talk about this next week when we do Rush. But uh, we we need to do Driven at some point, a movie that's so bad that it's actually kind of good. I'm kind of worried about Twisters for uh, one thing because it it now doesn't say sequel; it's like an update to the 1996 film. Well, Glenn Powell makes me excited, but also Maura Tierney's in it. Oh, the so 90s Maura Tierney, like uh, yeah, Lila. exactly. Jim Jim Carrey's Maura Tierney. I just don't know. Like it's just, it's just one of these like legacy. Again, it's like it's it's like when Independence Day announced a sequel. I'm kind of like. Ah. Like, I want to be excited because I love the movie so much. But like, like when Jurassic World became like, it's all those things yeah. where you just have mixed emotions. But like, because mm-hmm. there are certain movies from that period where you love that, like, you could maybe like honestly, if they said Dante's Peak sequel, I would be okay, sure. Old Linda Hamilton, Better, old Pierce Brosnan. Let's send them to another town. That to me warrants a sequel more than Twister ever did. I never thought Twister deserved a sequel. Yeah, because even when they talked about making a sequel back in the 90s, I'm like, I mean, what are you going to do? Show another twister? Like, you've seen the biggest tornado in existence. Yeah. What more can you do, you know? Uh, Jamie was talking about, like, the... the and, and I couldn't disagree with her as far as, like, the actors go, but she was talking about, like, oh, 90s, like, that was one of the great, like, 90s love stories. I'm like, really, Twister? <laughs> I'm like, he has a perfectly good fiancé who's a nice woman. Yeah, And he Jamie. teaches her for his ex-wife but i'm like if you want to tell me that bill paxton and helen hunt are the greatest couple ever put together i'm gonna to say yes you want to tell me that is a love story i'm like no i i i look i i will get jamie on and i'll, I'll back her up because i think there's a lot of realism to that relationship because they're a bickering ex-married couple who again are going to get divorced within a month of <laughs> oh, getting I, remarried but <laughs> i i love the i love the dynamic between them but i don't consider that a love story at the end of the movie, you're like, okay, so they've gotten some excitement around some storms and they're hot for each other, but they're going to be arguing oh, again in 10 minutes. Love that movie so uh, much. You know, Twister Redux coming soon. This is com- complete, complete sidebar on our, we shouldn't take long on this. I don't know, we're actually pretty close to being done the movie, but uh, I watched that movie, The Outlaws with Pierce Brosnan, uh, which is actually, it, it, it reminds me of like 90s Adam Sandler movies. Like it is just really dumb. You can see Jim Carrey starring in this as well. Uh, but Pierce Brosnan bla- basically plays the future father-in-law, who's also a bank robber. This isn't spoiling because it's actually in the trailer, but I don't know if you saw the trailer. Uh, they did, have a James yeah. Bond reference. Oh, did they have a, yeah, there's they, a reference? Okay, I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, there's there's a scene where where the, the, the main star of the movie is posing with a gun, and then uh, Pierce Brosnan's wife is like, he looks really cool, like James Bond, and Pierce is like, which one? She goes, the fifth one. He goes, hmm, he was a good one. <laughs> That's actually a line <laughs> nice. in the movie. Oh, I need to say also, that now. Also, a line in the movie where his future son-in-law is talking to his future mother-in-law about Pierce Brosnan. He says, he's great. It's like, it's so cool you get to have sex with him. <laughs> and he says, and he smells good too, like sandalwood and danger. <laughs> I'm like, yes, that's the best line I've ever heard. Casey watched, uh, when uh, we were talking about Mamma Mia the other day, and I'm like, I will never watch that movie because Pierce Brosnan sings in it. So she's like, watched both of them back to back and just kept sending me all the clips of Pierce Brosnan. And I'm just like, <laughs> he's so beautiful. And she's like, yes, yes, he is. <laughs> Uh, wow, we're, we, this is what we're going to do on Patreon is we're going to talk about admiring Pierce Brosnan. I just think and, we should just start a Pierce Brosnan podcast. Well, we should. The Brosnan Network. Rock, Rocky and I have talked for years about doing a Jonathan Taylor Thomas one. Why not a Pierce Brosnan one? We'll do a spin-off. <laughs> we'll do the, the, the actor arms of the Oz Network. This week on Pierce Brosnan Oz. This week on yeah. Keeper Sutherland Oz. This week on Jim Carrey Oz. <laughs> Kevin Bacon. <laughs> oh, phew. God. The, Sean Bean. Sean Bean. At least one of them I've actually interviewed the people. So, you know. <laughs> 
Ben talks about interviewing Kevin Baker for the 807th time. <laughs> At the 17th minute of the interview, I thought, this could be the greatest moment of my life. I turned. I had an erection. I asked him about the air up there. <laughs> I am the only person in the history of interviewing Kevin Bacon that brought up the air up there like 20 years later. And we're doing the air we- up there one day. It's the 30th anniversary of it next year. Come on. We talked about that recently on something where we were complimenting like, hey, interviews, you got to catch them off guard. You got to ask them something they haven't been asked. So, And I, I think I even talked about um, meeting Aaron Ashmore, the guy who played Jimmy Olsen on Smallville. And instead of asking about Smallville, the first thing I asked him about was Treed Murray because he was in Treed Murray. And he was like, wow, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I love that movie. And all of a sudden he got really excited talking to me about Treed Murray. Still waiting for you to come on the show, Aaron Ashmore, like you said you would on Twitter. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, <laughs> lying Hollywood people. What are they like? What are they on strike uh, or something? <laughs> Which, can we just oh. point out who is the president and leading the charge for the strikers? The Fran Drescher, we can, Fran we can get Drescher. her back on. We could. We got her on to talk about her cancer charity. We could definitely get well, her on to talk allowed, about a strike. They're not allowed to do interviews, though. Like the strike. Like no interviews? Well, I, I don't know if that's just purely on, like, promoting films, but they're not We're allowed. not real media. <laughs> Touche. In what world is anybody going to object to the being on the Oz Network? <laughs> Solid point. I think Colin wins. Colin just wins it podcasting right there. That's, um, there you go. But you're welcome, world, that... Because I love all these people who are like, oh, I didn't know Fran Drescher was still a thing. And, oh, Fran Drescher, she's the perfect person to lead a union. I'm like, um, hello, the Oz Network. We knew she was still a thing 18 months ago. So we can kill people and we can make people a thing. You're welcome. We got her to say Bond, James Bond, and she got elected president of SAG. <laughs> exactly. There you go. You're welcome. Uh, you know how, like, on Off the Podium, you basically have that as like, the tag on your email or you'll start every email. We are the award-winning podcast of the best Olympic podcast, sports podcast awards. We just need to put that for the Oz Network. It's like, <laughs> it's not real media. <laughs> not real media. Trust me. And, and we'll tag at the end of this episode about an episode that we've got coming this Saturday. But I have had to deal over the last month with uh, several agencies <laughs> based in Hollywood It is an interesting time to deal with them, to try and sell them the concept of this little plucky podcast to bring on (laughs) esteemed people like Ryan Murphy onto a podcast that no one even listens to. So um, Struggle to get Ryan Phillippe at this point. (laughs) Oh, what a man. Come on. In all fairness, Ryan Phillippe keeps like contacting us. Can I host your podcast? I need a career resurgence. (laughs) No, Ryan. No. Bad Ryan. Um, We probably should get back into the movie here. Uh, That's what we're doing. So... Uh, yeah, we see the Coco commercial on the bottom of the screen. We got the documentary going on. Uh, we have Christoph basically explaining uh, the the background for the movie. I do love here where they're saying uh, inventing ways for them to keep uh, him on the island. They actually show a dog barping, barking as he's crossing a bridge, which again is something I never picked up on. And that we actually have him being very skittish around the um, uh, what do you call it the the, the dog. neighbor's dog earlier on. Yeah, dogs in general, but uh, the neighbor's one at least started there. But like they don't really. Do, do that much into the movie there. Um, but uh, you also get uh, the Harry Shearer here asking him, it's like, uh, now bringing back in the father, what a plot twist. And it's like, how are you going to explain his 20 year absence? And he just amnesia. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> like, yeah, this is where the movie is still a comedy. Uh- <laughs> I just love this whole sequence where basically, cause like, again, this is, we have these shows now. These are the, the post after dark talk shows now, but like, yeah, I love how just he's so like it is satirical because he gives away everything. The way it's kind of like, well, and yes, Meryl will be leaving him, and we'll be introducing a new love interest in an upcoming episode. And Harry Shearer's just like, ha ha, well, you heard it here first on True Talk. 
He has amnesia. Truman's dad on a cougar with a question mark coming out of his head. What am I doing in the Sea Sea Haven town? Who are you? Who is this My man hugging me? <laughs> um, also, I sent you a nice screenshot here. <laughs> Profile. where am i looking at this what what's what screen uh right at, well uh, on messenger uh right after uh with more followers than paul lamatt <laughs> you should put like a little asterisk underneath that and put down on the bottom in <laughs> i'll fix it up for you colin you don't get parody we're, come on we're not we're not real media is um yeah by the way we're still waiting for paul lamatt to follow us well, uh, and Connie Britton, we're going to be the first. Well, Connie Britton, Connie Britton, that's like a pipe dream. We're not real media. We don't get Connie Britton, but even not real media gets Paula Matt following them. Um, yes, the amnesia thing. Brilliant. <laughs> I love his reaction there. Uh, and then they explain like the background of the show about how you had uh, uh, basically unwanted pregnancies. We basically adopt a child. I love that they had like four babies in the womb where they were waiting to adopt. And they said, you know, Truman was picked because uh, his birth coincided with a predetermined air date. But they also explain here that like, you know, the first very first camera we had, we, this show started with one camera, it shows a womb. But like, if if it was based on his birth date, the start of the show, what was that one camera in the womb for, you know? Mm. Uh, unless they're just basically, we're monitoring these babies all the time in case one of them like turns and moons the camera, like Bart Simpson style or something, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to call it a plot hole, just uh, one of these things. I'm like, that doesn't really make sense. Uh, so they start taking uh, calls, and I love the, oh, hi there. <laughs> oh, hi there. Just uh, wondering how many cameras you got in there. Oh, we got about 5,000. Yeah. Oh, about golly 5, gee, that's a lot that's of cameras. That's a lot of cameras. <laughs> uh, and, of course, this is just set up so Sylvia can call. Uh, or they also do mention like uh, Truman never figuring it out uh, and how they have product placement and all that. So that's all mentioned here. But Truman not figuring it out. He actually has a very small line. He says, we accept the reality of the world that we're presented. Yeah. Which is, if anybody's questioning the, the re- whether this movie is realistic at this point, this is where I, I'm not saying I finish watching this movie every time. I'm like, am I in a Truman? But I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, that line is what makes me think like, okay, is, does this only seem normal to me because this is what I'm presented as being normal? Like if I grew up in this winnipeg is a bubble and i fell asleep the only time i ever traveled like is my world real too she's um, on to us she's on to us that music. <laughs> uh so this is where just walked in with some beer <laughs> that's what the pizza was for <laughs> call it pizza <laughs> bubbly <laughs> jamie's marlin <laughs> i thought she was meryl she's marlin <laughs> exactly I'm Meryl, Colin. I love you. <laughs> you and your nurse's outfit. Hello. Oh, you saw Kill Phil. I tried to fit into that. <laughs> and Noah is Christoph. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's an image. No, <laughs> Noah's the twins. Take a step back, guys. <laughs> Noah's the caller on the... Oh, that's a lot of cameras. <laughs> oh, how many, how many cameras you got there on the Oz Network? <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's be real. If Noah's anybody's Paul Giamatti. <laughs> no, yeah. No, no, Noah's Holland Taylor. <laughs> it look, looks the and same. Noah's what? Noah's He's Holland the Taylor. Oh, the antenna. Oh, Holland Taylor. <laughs> All the antenna. That too. No, Noah is Holland Taylor. I don't blame you guys for being racist. Noah, <laughs> you're the racist one. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy who just automatically went, hey, that Asian actor looks like a guy was in Karate Kid. 
He was the guy in Karate Kids. Not racist. <laughs> True, but that to go there. That would have said, isn't that the guy from The Last Samurai? Or isn't that the guy from this, that? That would have been different. Isn't that Jackie Chan? Uh, <laughs> who would Rocky be in the Truman Show? The, the Sylvia? <laughs> He's a rock. Sylvia. <laughs> oh, no, that's not right. Nick Chester Rocky Sylvia. Rocky his eyes. Attractive. <laughs> Nick, Chester's an attra- Nick, Nick Chester's an attractive man. Come on. You'd go there. We all would go there. <laughs> what a bit awkward. Ben already did. <laughs> this week on the Oz Network, we asked the question, who would fuck Nick Chester? Uh, I would. I would. <laughs> he got at least 50% of the vote. <laughs> on True Talk, who would fuck? Well, that's a, that's a lot of gay sex you got going on there. <laughs> who are you, Tom Cruise? <laughs> uh, amnesia. Uh, anyways, um, what else happened? Sylvia calls, and she's basically, I think what you're doing to Truman is terrible. Um and uh, they're like, oh, we got to cut this call. No, 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 let her speak. Uh, and uh, Christoph says something interesting here where he says, if Truman really wanted to discover the reality of this, there would be no way to prevent him from discovering the truth, which let's remember that at the end of the movie. And uh, really all she does is just, you know, yell a couple lines at the camera. It's amazing how few lines she actually has in this movie. She she spends the majority of the movie just looking, but like, I actually got to give her compliments for her performance because she conveys the audience's emotion and the drama about everything that happens in this is suspense just by watching the, the TV, you know? Um, but yeah, her accent slips quite a bit in here. Uh, and uh, after the end of this, we basically get back to Truman and everybody's sort of watching him and he's, he's watching the mirror and he's like, hello, hello. And they're like, oh, he's on to us. Call Kristoff. Uh, this is something else I didn't notice when they basically said call Kristoff, but then they fail to call him later on because he says there's a rule that he has that comes up later on. Did you also see uh, what but- Paul Giamatti's rating as well? No. So he's reading the classified section, which is basically implying he thinks Truman's onto them. So he thinks he's like probably going to need a job. He's looking for another job. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Or he's sabotaging the entire thing. And he's been the puppet master of the free Truman movement. Uh, Maybe that was the backstory in Peter Weir's Bible. But um, he plays Ryan. uh, Ryan plays him. Ryan plays Ryan Brink is him. Oh, Ryan Brink. (laughs) (laughs) The saboteur, (laughs) Ryan Brink. (laughs) Maybe. No. Cable, Cable's the doctor, right? <laughs> Max Dawson's the shit on the road. Um, oh, I stepped in Max Dawson. The, the sunken boat in the harbor. <laughs> Max Dawson's the AIDS of Seaview. <laughs> too far, maybe. Too far. Um, too, too kind on me. I feel bad for AIDS. I just insulted AIDS by saying that they were Max Dawson. Sorry, AIDS. <laughs> I'm the first person to apologize uh, for AIDS. Uh, so yeah, this is um, where they think that he's on to them, and all of a sudden he starts uh, uh, doing his astronaut thing. So this was the, the teaser trailer basically combined that opening scene where he's like climbing up the mountain with this one where he's drawing the 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 flag with the soap and the the astronaut's helmet. Um, I, I declare this planet Trumania of the Burbank Galaxy. But then there is a little clue here, and I've always wondered about this. I don't know whether this is what it's supposed to be, but he finishes this, and they're all like, oh, yeah, he's back. He's buying the world. And then he wipes the mirror clean and says, that one's for free, and he walks away. I'm like, does he know that they're watching him and he's saying that? Like, Because they don't 
the, the characters don't respond like that's the case, but I always kind of viewed it as, oh, if you watch this movie a second time, you're like, oh, he knew. Mm. And that's him basically saying that one's for free here. Because from this point on, he's basically putting on a show. We're right back to the opening montage of the movie. The, you know, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Um, we have the dog again, the neighbor. We got the twins with a new billboard. We have Peter Krause basically introducing him to, uh, what's her name, Vivian, uh, which I'm guessing this is supposed to be, as Christoph said, we're going to be introducing a new love interest on the show. And uh, uh, you get uh, him mowing the lawn with his elk rotary mower. This is the one that Meryl was telling me by, and he kept trying to fix the old one. Uh, and uh, then you basically get to a shot of him sleeping on the view screen and in the, the control room. Paul Giamatti's eating pizza. Occasionally just telling the other guy, back to camera one, camera two, camera one, camera two. And I love when Christoph comes in here and he gets up on the chair. It's like, I was just training the kid here. <laughs> like, you realize Paul Giamatti wasn't supposed to be lounging in Christoph's chair eating pizza. Uh, and they're saying, what's going on? It's like, oh, he fell asleep. And this is where Christoph says, you're supposed to report any, you know, out of the ordinary activities to me. Uh, and him falling asleep in the basement would have qualified as that. And he's like, well, he's just sleeping. But this obviously explains earlier on when they had the thing with the mirror and they're like, you better call Christoph. Uh, and so... He's sleeping and he's like, okay, so zoom in and uh, you hear that it's snoring, but you don't, and I don't know whether they're focusing in on this, but like you don't see any movement with the sleeping bag that he's supposedly sleeping under and you hear the snoring. So they start investigating any further. He says, call the house. And it's like, what do you mean? He's just sleeping. And he's like, call the house. And if he picks up, say the wrong number. So they call and nobody's answering. Uh, and then they start analyzing all the video. Something's not right here. So uh, they are looking at the, um, the 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 view screen and they actually see a shot where it looks like there's a hand underneath the table after he was supposedly sleeping. Uh, so they send Marlon in there. So Marlon basically pulls right up to the front. You know, it would be great to see him still in his pajamas here. Like, <laughs> I can't imagine. This is like two minutes later. There's Marlon like sleep. <laughs> oh. He chokes on COVID. Uh, chokes on it. Yeah. Does he sleep on the side? I actually wonder this. Like, did the actors sleep on the set? Because like his, he has a wife in the show. Because they even say Marlon and whoever are going to come over for a barbecue later on. So like, does he go home at night? Like, does Laura Linney have a husband away from the show where she gets to see once a week or something like that when she has like a, a trip? But obviously he's literally sleeping there, and they just call him up and say you have to go over to the house right away. Uh, he shows up with beer in hand. <laughs> hey Truman, uh, and uh, of course he can't find him. He says, "Okay, keep it light." They're, I love they're telling him keep it light in case he's there. We don't want to give this away. And you come out, come out wherever you are, <laughs> like playing a little game with them. Uh, and then they're saying like, okay, look under the table. My hmm, wonder it could be, because they see there's just like a snowman sleeping underneath a sleeping bag. And then they say, check the closet. So they open a closet Lose and- Tom Cruise out of the way. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> oh, that's the wrong one again. <laughs> that's just the lawsuit. We're getting sued. Yay. <laughs> they're here to serve our papers. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, now he he goes up and into the closet. And you see that he's dug a hole out of this into the middle of his lawn, and uh, then you cut to the the shot on the lawn cam, and he's looking around. And they tell him specifically, "Don't look at the camera." And Marlon looks right at the camera, and says he's gone, and I like, cut the transmission. They literally cut, and you get the gasps from everyone. I think you even see the bartenders like drop yeah. the glasses in the middle of this too. Uh, and uh, I do wonder, like everybody is up at all hours watching this. Like these security guys. Do they work security 24-7? Because they've watched it every hour of the day. These bartenders, this bar open 24 hours a day. Is this guy in the bath for four days straight? Like, there's a lot of questions about these people watching the show here. Um, but uh, 
Now we basically get into the search for him. And uh, this is where you actually get the, the number coming up where it says 10,913. So this is like technically the start of day five. It's the middle of the night and you see the moon shining a flashlight everywhere. Now, are they not thinking at this point, like we've given it away to him? That's, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's the the one plot hole I kind of want to point out, which I don't get because they they go on in a moment to go like, it's too early for that. Like we couldn't dare make a day. Like this is, you know, too far out of the realms of possibility. You've literally had a spotlight coming from yeah. the moon. Exactly. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think Truman's going to see that part. Yeah, and they're still keeping up appearances because they're sweeping the town. And even the mom is like, Truman, it's mommy. And, and you can tell she's in into character. Like, this isn't like Meryl who's on camera saying, oh, my life is a Truman show. She's even, if he just heard my voice, then he'd come to his mother. Like, she believes she's his mother. I love the dad. Um, you know, come on, he just wants to talk to me. Truman, it's dead. Yeah. Let's talk. <laughs> Let's talk. <laughs> oh, okay, now that you insist oh, well, dad. All right, then. Thanks, dad. <laughs> I was just waiting for dad to talk to you. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're trying to uh, figure out, like, they're sweeping the streets and even Marlon, this is the one scene where Marlon's in there. I don't know, it was the scene going to be like before this where he's going to be out on the lawn. I want to see if the, the deleted scenes are available somewhere because uh, it would be great to see this Marlon thing where he lets Truman get away. Yeah, I don't know if they're on YouTube, but I, just, I was reading about that. And then, yeah, I think there was a whole section with just Marlon that just wasn't ever shown with it. Uh, yeah, so this is where they basically say, okay, cue the sun. This is, but it's too early for that. And it says, I don't care. You get the network guys coming in here um, saying that, uh, you know, oh, the, the sponsors are going to pull their their uh, their contracts with the show. It says, why? They're getting better ratings with this test pad than they've ever gotten before, which is really true. I mean, you see those people waiting, and this is what would happen if you're watching, like, the, the O.J. Simpson thing. Mm. I mean, if they suddenly cut to a test pad and people are just waiting for that test pad to end to figure out, you know, what's going to happen after that. Um, but... Uh, the they tell everybody okay everybody back to their original positions you just get everybody in town at the freeze frame so i guess at this point they're trying to do motion detecting or something to figure out who's moving because they're all just standing there in the middle of the square but again like you would be giving it to wait away at him at this point and i love that like, with christoph there's never a moment of panic until the one part in the boat coming up later on like in his mind he still has a plan but i really want to hear like uh maybe just from ed harris's point of view like what is Christoph thinking at this point? Like he has given away every single secret of the show in trying to find Truman, mm. you know, uh, uh, and obviously there's pressure from networks and stuff like that. But like you have no show after this. It's done. Well, uh, it's even more done in a minute. Which I think like later on when we're going to get to that point where kind of Ed Harris is trying to implore him to stay in the TV show. It's kind of like, yeah. well, what would that be from that point? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. You're you're rebooting and it's not going to work. Uh so um, this is uh, where the, uh, the, I guess he says, okay, go to the harbor cameras. And Paul Giamatti's like, he's not going to be there. And this is where I'm starting to think Paul Giamatti is like a plant for this free Truman movement here. Because he's like, why, why would you go to that camera? No, that's the only place he's not going to be. Like, all you got to do is cut to a camera. Uh, they cut to it and they're looking and uh, they eventually find him um, on the, uh, the one of the sailboats out on the water. And this is where they restore the picture. They immediately cut back and uh, the TV's airing again. Uh, you see him sailing in the water. And this is like such a heroic thing. And even Christoph says, that's our hero shot. So now he's back into storytelling mode, even though you've ruined the show. It is three in the morning and the sun has risen. This guy's watched it. He's out in the water. He's sailing towards the end of your dome. And he's still like, oh, we got our hero shot here. Uh, and he unfolds the picture, which he's got to look just like Sylvia now. And she's watching this and she's in tears. Uh, you get them saying, let's get a boat on the water to stop them. Where's Harbor Control? And you get the bus driver trying to operate the ferry. You get the sign grind, grindy sound effects. 
man, I'm just the bus driver. I'm just an actor. Uh, and uh, this is where the only plan they have is, okay, cue a storm and the rain starts and the wind starts and everything. And uh, by the way, one other thing I forgot to mention this earlier on, but obviously this is an artificial interior environment. One of the trivia points I read was that you frequently see bottles of vitamin D yeah. inside Truman's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in reality, again, one of these things they just want to make this realistic, expo- without exposure to natural sunlight, you have to have vitamin, vitamin D's here in like uh canada in the winter like you basically have to have vitamin d because you know how the winter nobody's going outside and when you do go outside it's not going to be you know <laughs> first thing in the morning or the end of the night it's already uh dark outside then but that's such a cool thing because like, I, I don't know how all this artificial weather thing works inside there but again this is where it is still technically a science fiction movie uh and uh he just keeps uh ed harris keeps wanting paul giamatti to increase the wind and he's saying he won't do it again he's sabotaging the show <laughs> i think there might be something here uh, and he refuses to do it. So uh, basically, Ed Harris just puts everything on maximum right here, turns everything up to 10, uh, basically gets thrown overboard, and you even have uh, that line from Jim Carrey, is that the best you do? I love the music here, like both the action music and the heroic music that played earlier on, and then the sad music that comes up later on. Like This part of the score here is just incredible. Where is the Oscar nomination for this? Uh, and uh, after a while where he's capsized and the boat's turned over and he's in the water, they turn the storm off and he the boat comes right back up and Truman comes right back up and he keeps going on. So this is where Ed Harris has basically given up and the boat just keeps sailing and then it sails straight into a painted wall of the sky. Uh, and this is where Truman gets out of the boat. He's in shallow water. You have that shot where he's looking at the wall. He's like pounding against the wall like, oh no, there's no end to this. And he sees the staircase. Uh, so he's about to climb up the staircase and there's a door that says exit. Throws open the door, and all of a sudden, Ed Harris, like, let me talk to him, and he's on a little tablet. But this predicted the tablet. There we go. Early technology. He's got a tablet Steve there. Steve Jobs. He's and basically Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, yeah. But this this is another Simpsons thing it reminded me of where it's like, Truman, you get the voice from the clouds, right? And this is supposed to be like, this is where I think it would be interesting to at least think about this movie from. At what moment in this movie does Truman think that, you know, the entire world revolves around? At what points does he think he's delusional? At what points does he think God is speaking to him? Because mm. this is like a voice from the clouds and is like, who are you? And even says, I am the creator of a television show. Yeah. And that line always reminded me of that Simpsons where Homer like gets charged with sexual harassment. And then you get, oh, uh, please, uh, if there's anything else you can do, give me a sign. And then all of a sudden the phone rings. And Homer's like, after he's praying, he's like, hello. He goes, Homer, this is God. Jones of the television <laughs> show. <laughs> yes. Precious Venus. Oh. The clock flipping back and forth. <laughs> what was that one where they like? Sweet, yeah, sweet. Yeah. When he's being testified or whatever they interview, and it's like, I wanted sweet, sweet Venus. <laughs> oh, he's choking again. <clears throat> he's like, yeah, <laughs> sexual assault. Comedy gold uh, from Ben uh, Waterworth. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Ed Harris is Godfrey Jones here. Uh, and this is, uh, again, we keep saying like, this is Jim Carrey's uh, you know, best moment in the movie. But like, there are so many things he does in this movie. He is funny at times. He's supposed to be funny. He's silly when he needs to be silly. He's just Jim Carrey improving at times. When he's panicking and he's frantic, you believe it. When he's just doing the facial acting in the town square sequence where he's like, you know, stopping traffic and all that, you believe it. And then right here, like the way that it's not even played like sad where he's just asking like, this is like, okay, you know, uh, the, what is this world? And he says, oh, who am I? He goes, you are the star of the television show and stuff like that. And he it was so nothing was real. And Ed Harris like, well, you were real. 
And then he's going through all these things like, you know, I was there when you took your first step, when you lost your first the episode. I love that he says the episode where you lost your first tooth. Like this is still a TV show to this guy. Yeah. When you, when you masturbated and the wind blew through the curtains. Uh, and then uh, he starts to pitch to him that, uh, you know, uh, you don't have to go like this is your world. I know you. And this is where Truman says you never had a camera inside my head. And that's the line I love because it makes you think about all the things in this movie that like you don't know what he was thinking. That There was a point where he thought he was delusional. There was a point where he thought that Marlon was still on his side, but maybe everybody else wasn't. Uh, and then after all this big emotional speech and the sad music playing. And I love that they're filming the way they're filming this. There's like a shot directly from above. And I mean, that that's obviously got to be a camera like zoomed all the way in here, you know? Uh, but how does Truman know where he's looking? That's the one thing I wonder. Because mm. this voice is going to come from who knows where, but Truman's looking directly into the camera. And even Jamie was like, how does he know where the camera is right now? But it's effective for the movie, so who cares? Uh, and then he's basically saying, like, say something, you're on television. And so he turns around and he says, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Takes a bow, walks out the door, and that's it. You get a shot of Sylvia excited running down the stairs because they're going to hook up and break up 10 minutes later because they don't know anything about each other. Uh, and Truman's going to be so bogged down with depression and everything that uh, he's never going to hold down a proper relationship again. He's never going to trust another person again. He's going to die with no friends. So that, really, Truman's life is not going to be good after this one way or the other. Um, but uh, Jamie asked me, uh, or right at the end of this, of course, we have to mention that uh, you get all the people cheering. The guy, I love the guy who was holding on to the yeah. shower curtain when Truman was holding on to the boat. All the people cheering, and then all of a sudden you get the security guards. Yeah, and they're like, "So let's see what else is on." You get the channel click, and that's the end of the movie. And Jamie asked me, "It's like, is there a party that wishes you'd seen him come outside there, even just like for a little bit?" And I'm like, "No, like this is the perfect ending. You need to." And I talk a little about the sequel idea, which was not even really a sequel. I would say more like something inspired by. But uh, to me, this is how it ends. And in fact, I would even argue, I, I think the whole point of having the "Let's see what else is on" is to drive home the point of this movie, like. No matter how big something is, it, there's always going to be something more exciting. I mean, this is television. I'm kind of the opposite, though. I don't know if you're like that with TV. Like, you know, you see the greatest episode you've ever seen of anything, and then you're like, oh, let's see what else is on. But like, to me, I kind of get depressed after I've seen something so good. I'm like, oh, I kind of just want to watch this again. Like, the the Americans, perfect example. When the Americans ended, the, all I tried to do was find another TV show exactly like the Americans. And then Jack Ryan just finished. And Jack Ryan's final episode, it ended. And I'm like... Okay, all I feel like I'm capable of watching right now is maybe the Jack Ryan movies because I don't think I could find another Jack Ryan. Yeah, I mean, viewing habits change as well. I mean, I remember back in the day when you'd watch something, you'd just flick a channel. I, I, I don't even watch aerial-based TV, free-to-air TV anymore. Like, I've got an aerial that I hook up when I have to, but it's everything's, you know, you make your own TV shows. But, um, yeah, like, I mean, my speed watch of Nip Tuck, I just kind of got to the end of it. I'm like, oh, I want to, want to say it again. I love that show. Um, I again a lot of movies that apparently I got a, a weird uh, Mandela syndrome or whatever it is with this film because the bit when at the end when he like oh what else is on I always get confused again from another Jim Carrey movie the cable guy when you see all the people watching the trial of like the oh, Ben yeah. Stiller character and one of them like it goes off and then you see a person like pick up a book and go like oh yeah. book I like, forgot about that yeah yeah I always kind of think it's um this bit as well but like also like imagine. The sit-down Truman Burbank Oprah Winfrey special where she gets to, like all the interviews that he would be doing and everything like. But yeah, I, I mean, I know I'm jumping ahead. I'm going to talk about the other bits, but I'm with you. It is like a perfect ending because like I I like this ambiguous notion of him just walking outside, Sylvia running to them, and you know you just fill in the gaps itself. So I, I like that. 
uh, well, just and also if you do have to think about it, like it's kind of like what I was saying. If you have to view this movie as being realistic, you think about it more than you probably should, and you start to pick holes in it. I think if you follow him even one second out of this, then you start to think about all those things are realistic and it's not a happy ending. Because <laughs> he's going to walk out that door and then there's going to be like paparazzi are going to be straight. Like, what, what does he do from that point? They're going to have to have studio yeah. executives take him, go like, Truman, Truman, like, let us explain, let us explain. Like, Sylvia's going to get him and like sweep him away and sit him down. And yeah, like there's, but again, we like, it's part of me that like kind of wants to see that. Put it in a book, a novelization. I don't mm-hmm. know if I need to see yeah. it in a film. Um, the bit when we get the whole montage bit, I love it when the TV execs walk into the room just before we got that and we got the, the uh, security people wearing the T-shirts that said, like, love him, protect him. Yeah. Uh, I kind of want, like, a, a Truman Show T-shirt. But I, I just, I've always loved this montage where you got this, like, over-the-top guy, like, the first, you, you know, steps were the highest-rating show of all time. And if you, like, you read, like, the text of it, it actually says, like, you know, this rated higher than Lucille Ball giving birth in the 50s huh. or something like that. Um, and I love kind of like that big shot of obviously meant to be a concert, but this massive crowd watching like Truman's wedding. He's in like Times Square and just like all of it's just like really cleverly done. Fun fact, actually, on the special effects in this film, because it really the CGI in this film is this dome over Hollywood and a few other bits and pieces here. But they wanted to make all the houses in Sea View or Sea Haven, whatever it's called, two story. But they were all because this was filmed in a real town in Florida. Mm-hmm. basically the the majority of this yeah, i think it's, it's called like seaside they almost yeah. took part of the name from it yeah, yeah. So, but they were all one story buildings so they wanted to make two stories so that's all cgi the two story the second story that my um friend josh who you met on this very show mm-hmm. um he was in he was doing the universal tour back as a little kid when they were filming the final scene he said he got to see jim carrey in the distance and that wall that like big wall where he's standing up against when I did the Universal tour, there's still a big wall there, like in front of a lake, which th- when we did the backlight tour, they're like, oh, and that's where they filmed the final scene of the Truman Show. So he was there when they filmed it on a backlot tour of Universal Studio. So that's my connection to Jim Carrey. Um, but I just, I love it. I love Harry Shearer. I mean, such a perfect person to play this. I'm Kent Brockman. Um, and just this true talk. But I also love the way, like, because you talk about, you know, people getting nominated for not much screen time or, or Natasha McNuggets Mc, not being, you know, in it for that long. <laughs> Ed Harris really isn't in this film for that long and he got nominated for yeah. an Oscar. So, you know, yeah. there is that. Um, but I just kind of like the way he's like, oh, and thank you for joining us. We know your time is precious. And he just sits down, don't mention it. Like, I love the way he like kind of plays this sort of, you know, aloof, private, like sort of guy. Um, and I love the, the backstory here, just all the flashbacks we get, um, the, like the, the magazine covers of like time magazine camera, actual size. Also got to say mm-hmm. that our favorite caller, Oh, that's a lot of cameras. 5,000. Is that really a lot? I'd swear that'd have 5,000 in a big brother house. Like, I mean, I feel that's not many for a town of this size. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know. I feel like there should be more Roger Moore. He should be in this bit. Right. Hello. I'm Truman Burbank. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I in case I don't see you. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. I think Roger Moore would play that very well. I, <laughs> Sean Connery is Truman. Oh, I can't, I can't get into the Sean Connery mode. Course I don't see you. Good afternoon. Good evening. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan. Thoughts to say you. Good evening, eh? <laughs> Daniel Craig. Good evening. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> good afternoon. <laughs> Timothy Dalton, I will get into character. 
Good afternoon and good evening and good night. George Lazenby. Good afternoon, good evening and good night. Hello, I'm Idris Elba. Um, <laughs> he doesn't even bother to say it as I'm Idris Elba. That's all he says. I like Ed Harris like stroking Jim Carrey's face like on the screen with a score. Oh, yeah, when he's sleeping. Um, yeah, just Truman getting back into normality. That's where you get your friend from the Karate Kid when the... the yeah. uh, Asian fans, I don't want to imply where they're from, are trying to, like, say how they say it. And, I, again, I'm not trying to impersonate them because uh, this show's already been racist enough today. Um, but I, I love kind of Paul Giamatti in the chair, just eating pizza, you're looking at jobs. But this whole sequence of just, like, finding him. And, I, yeah, I love the bit when it's like, what? <laughs> That's exactly my part, I was saying. Um, like, this is the highest ratings we're ever going to get. And it's like, all the networks are showing a pirate copy of... Uh, Marlon making a dick of himself or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but I also love the bit where they're all like walking in like unison in line and you've got like those people with like the night vision goggles on going like, yeah. <laughs> She can't see us if we don't move. <laughs> but I also love the bit like with the boats bit where you, yeah, you've got old bus driver guy there and he's basically like, oh, doesn't know how to work it. I'm an and then you get that guy on the phone going, none of them know how to drive a boat. They're actors. And I love Ed Harris's facial expression. He's like, oh, yeah, fair point. (laughs) (laughs) But like, hold on a second. But Truman drives through this town and there are buses that move through that square. So somebody's driving a bus. Get that guy to do it. But yeah, but I think that the point is that nobody knows how to drive a ferry because no one ever has to drive a ferry because Truman's on the... Well, Truman's got to observe that fairies exist in this town. He knows where to go. Day off. I don't know. But I love... (laughs) One of my my funniest, the most underrated lines of this movie is when they're like, no one's watching the ocean. And it's like, oh, you know, there he is. And then you got the air house going, Truman, where are you going? And you hear somebody going like, he doesn't know how to drive a boat. He's in insurance. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that line. It's like, okay. But like, I love the bit where they decide to like do the storm, right? So if you if you look at the the sequence that they've got, so when Paul Giamatti's there and he's like, you see like the Apple screen of like you know like dick 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 like cameras, let's do all that sort of stuff. You got all like the cool little things. I love when you see the weather pattern. So the weather options here that they can do. Oh, Christoph being God, you've got lightning, day, drizzle, low tide, storm, high tide, wind, tidal wave. So basically, Christoph to wipe could, out all of uh, CC side or whatever. Yeah, like he could basically be like sweeps time. Ah, oh, we're losing ratings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's have a dramatic scene of tidal wave. This is like a soap opera where it's like you know Summer Bay, Home and Away. There's been a tidal wave. There's been an earthquake. There's been a tornado. Like he's literally like, hmm, I know tidal wave. All the actors get training in tidal wave survival. Uh, and just like troops, like I, I want this. I want the tidal wave sequence, basically of it. But um, this is why I hate boats. I I don't like. I don't know if I could ever do the perfect storm with you because that movie just gives me nightmares. Uh, I I've got a deep seated fear of being in the middle of the ocean in a storm like this. Uh, but yeah, I love the anniversary it. month. Just gives Ben his phobias. He can't eat pepper. He can't go on a <laughs> boat. I, I'm hanging in a bath on a thing. That's your Truman. Hold on. <laughs> Love that guy. Next week, we're going to find out he can't drive on the same road as Chris Hemsworth. Oh, but, you know, um, what's his face? Daniel Daniel Brule, I can. Daniel Brule. Who wouldn't? <laughs> what a man. Um, Olivia Wilde. Wild, Wild Cockburn. Uh, I'm all... <laughs> but, I, I, like, I love this sequence of him, like, getting battered around. But just, oh, God, this ending where you think everything's good. 
And just the bit when he crashes into the wall and he gets off the boat and he's banging on the wall. So this track that they play, it's called Father Colby's Preaching by, I'm going to butcher this name, Waljake Klal, Kylar. Um, Nashville. That's the one. Uh, <laughs> Atlanta Falcons. Um, <laughs> just, oh, this just makes me, like, this is one of those songs that just tears me up. It's so good. They used it in one of the montages for... I want to say Sydney 2000 on Channel 7. Um, so, so this was like used at the end of an Olympic coverage, I remember one year. Such a great song and it just works so well. And you just your heart breaks for him. He's banging the wall and it's just like, what the mm. hell's going on? And then just like these stairs as he goes up to the door. I used to have that as my cover photo on Facebook when I was like feeling very philosophical. And you have those like <laughs> moments in life where you're just trying to like work out who you are. And I'm kind of like, well, maybe I'm in the Truman Show and there's a door somewhere to my life that I can walk through and start again. Because, again, that's a great line you point out that Ed Harris says, like, our reality is what we construct. Like, this is yeah. what we know. So I think this is just like one of those perfect themes to this movie that I'm sure all of us have sat down and wish that we could come up against a wall one time and there's a door to a new life and a new world where we mm-hmm. don't know what's out there that we could change our lives. And, like, that is just a perfect summary. That image, I love that image so much. And just through that, this speech between... I mean, this is what gets Ed Harris an Oscar nom, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, incredible speech. I love it when he's, like, touching him on the tablet and just, like... and just, But even Jim Carrey here, like, that, the line, the way he delivers that, you never had a camera in my head. Like, it's just... That's mm. where, like, if you ever doubted Jim Carrey as a dramatic actor, because you, you'll you get to it. You'll read the reviews here, and the majority of the reviews around this were just like, oh, Jim Carrey, yeah, he's, he's solid as a dramatic actor. That's where it all came from. Um, but just... It's so goddamn good the way he kind of like does it. And you got everybody watching clearly are wanting him to be free, even though they're not realizing that they're not going to be able to watch TV now forever. But I mean, God, this would be breaking news. This would be the OJ everywhere. Like Truman show, like Truman just left the dome. Um, but again, you do have to question, what does Ed Harris hope from Truman? Cause he's kind yeah, of like, like is, is he going to stay and know it's all a TV show, but then how do you construct storylines? Cause he's not going to be like, Oh, just let all of your actors do what they regularly would do, and I'll pretend that they are real. It's, I mean, you, you look at it, it's kind of like Toy Story. Like, you know, these toys know they're toys, but, like, you know, they yeah. still go around with it. But, like, it's also, you could, it's Colin Chokes in that point, good job. But it's it's also, like, you hear a lot about, well, it was, it was Shawshank Redemption, wasn't it? About how, like, when prisoners get let out into yeah. the real world, they realize that that's not the world they want. They liked it because the guy in the short doesn't he like kill himself because he can't go back to prison or something yeah. like that. Like from memory, the old guy. Um, so like, that's what I'm saying. That this movie is not going to end well for Truman. No, ten minutes later. I mean, on one of those Watch Mojo or What Culture Top Tens, they have done like one where it's like ten movies that don't really end happily if you think about what happens after the credits. It's a much shorter mm-hmm. title than that. But uh, from memory, I don't think the Truman Show's on that list. And I'm thinking, well. No one's got a happy ending in this movie. Kristoff yeah. is is sued through the teeth. He's a homeless bum. Like, you, you know, Truman's suing everyone through the teeth. Sylvia's joining him with that. Meryl, and they're suing Kristoff for, you know, mental trauma. Uh, you know, uh, Marlon's not working again unless he's working as a beer spokesman. Like, there's going to be like a honeymoon <laughs> period where they're going to be super famous and everything. But it's just like back in the day with Survivor and Big Brother when they were the household names. Like, Look at season two of, Astra- of Survivor, you know, the Outback. Colby, these people were household names, hanging out with freaking Rosie O'Donnell, that sort of stuff. Now, I saw the other day, Mitchell's posting on Facebook going like, oh, yeah, somebody asked me if I was in Survivor because they saw a thing on my wall and they didn't know who I was. Like, God, 20 years ago, Mitchell Olsen was fam- more famous than 
<laughs> Jim Carrey probably yeah. at that point. Like, you know, so anyway, it's just just the ending. And like the ending's perfect. The ending is perfect. And it's just the way it sort of ends. He walks through the door. I always, my my vision of it was the way they kind of edited it was because you kind of see Sylvia run down the stairs. I always thought that implied like she was there at the door with him. You know, like that was always what I thought as a kid. Yeah. But um, but like even the way it ends with, oh yeah, what else is on? Like, and also, I love the security guards like at that one point where some guys like tapping on the window because they, they, they work in a garage, obviously. They want like, yeah. Mm, uh, valets or something like that. Car park or something. Yeah, basically he's just like, just leave it in the car. Like we're watching, <laughs> we're watching the Truman Show. Um, but yeah, it's so good. Such a I don't. This might be the first movie we've done where we, we haven't really criticized anything. Like maybe one no. plot hole, but like this is a rarity. Even in movies that we love, we somehow. I think Jurassic Park we had plot holes. So yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the the whole idea about the sequel, Andrew Nichol kind of hits the nail on the head here where he basically, his only comments about it was like, they, they apparently was talk about doing a musical version, like a Broadway show, which, but but he uh, was saying, even a, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but even he was saying like a TV series and his idea was that if you're not doing another movie, if you're doing it in some other form of media, uh, then it doesn't necessarily rob it. But his version, the way, this is basically how he describes it. So, uh, after Truman leaves and the audience, and you see the audience at the end of the movie, like they want something else. Uh, he he basically put, I imagine that there would be a network with multiple channels, all starring a subject born on the show. Uh, and if he said it in New York City, there'd be a girl living on the Upper East Side, a boy from Harlem, a kid from Chinatown, etc. And since they were all on their own channel and move in their own circles, they are never meant to meet. But at the end of the first season, the boy from Harlem and the rich girl find themselves drawn to each other. They both sense that the other is acting differently from anyone they've ever met because for the first time they've met someone who is not acting. And the second season, the network would desperately try to kill off their romance. So he basically was thinking, not, not that he's making the Truman Show, but imagine the idea of the Truman Show and doing it differently where you have multiple people who all have their own channels, but all these people are never meant to meet, but then they accidentally meet and they realize there's something different about this person. So imagine if Truman... Burbank met Ed from Ed TV and they're like, wait a second, something familiar about you. Uh, it actually sounded like, like I'm, it doesn't sound like he ever intended to make this a TV series, but like, oh yeah, they asked about a TV series and this would be my idea. The funny thing is that this is kind of what Andrew Nichol did with the rest of his career. Like almost the majority of the movies he made, he made a couple, like he made one about, uh, and I've literally watched every movie he's made because I, I love Gattaca and the Truman Show. Half of his movies are garbage and the other half are like, oh, that was potential, but not quite living up to the same thing. But uh, he made, uh, a movie after this called Simone, which with Al Pacino, which was similar in themes to the Truman Show uh, or even Gattaca in a way, like about like false realities, because it was about a, a filmmaker who the biggest actress in the world walks off the set of his movie. So he creates the first ever digital actress. So a fake actor in a movie, but then the world believes this woman is real. So he has to keep making movies with her and then he has to make media appearances with her somehow. And she kind of becomes a bigger star than he intended. Uh, that movie was actually very underrated. I like that one. Uh, but then he he made another movie with uh, Justin Timberlake called In Time, where it was like time was a currency in that movie, which that one's a little bit more like Gattaca. But that's kind of the way he thinks. He's like a, a lot of similar ideas and themes, but let me just put a spin on it. I'd, I'd kind of like to see something like that. Like, don't remake The Truman Show. Call it something completely different. Make it not even that it's officially attached to The Truman Show, but it sounds like an interesting idea. Um, not that we ever need a sequel to this, but that would kind of be the way to do it. Uh um, and then, of course, after this, Jim Carrey would do uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind Ugh. and not get on for an Oscar, which Jamie was asking me about this. She said she's never seen it. And I, I told her that you hate it. I'm like, I'm I'm just more indifferent on it. Like, I thought I saw that movie and I'm like, 
yeah, this is pretty good. But like people talked about it, like it was the greatest movie ever yeah. made. And I'm like, it's not even the best movie of this year. Like I've seen much better. And Jim Carrey was good in it. But if I'm going to pick what performance, you know, he would have deserved an Oscar for, I would say this, I'd say man on the moon before this, you know, I, I might even pick something like, you know, the cable guy over this or me, myself and Irene, where he, has a very challenging role, not necessarily an intelligent movie, but a very challenging role. Oh, the movie. Um, I always forget. I always forget about me, myself, and Irene. Great that's movie. the one that I always forget about too. Yeah, because I mean, that and fun with Dick and Jane are like, oh, oh those yeah. were good movies, but people forget that, that those were like the last of the good ones but, he made. But I would, yeah, I think fun with Dick and Jane is just the forgotten Jim Carrey movie in in general. Like I think that yeah. like people at least remember me, myself, and Irene. But um, yeah, like fun with Dick and Jane is is one of my favorite Jim Carrey. Taylor Leone, Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. What's not to, not to like? The, the the convenience store robbery that was yeah. the best scene in the movie. <laughs> oh. oh, every time I get into uh, an elevator, I just want to sing. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. Uh, but then obviously Peter Weir, the the third person from this movie to go. On. We already mentioned Paul Giamatti's done a few things after this. Oops. No, Emmerich has Laura Linney, Ed Harris. Uh, but then Peter Weir would make um, uh, two more movies after this, Master and Command of the Far Side of the World, which did make my top 50 favorite movies of all time. I think it made my, my top 20 um, and uh, got nominated for an Oscar for that as well. And actually, I noticed that uh, the the sequence where Truman's escape on the boat and the storm has hit him, even the music that's playing there is very similar to the music that he will use in Master and Command of the Far Side of the World during another storm sequence. So I'm like, did he rip himself off in Master and <laughs> Commander? Uh, otherwise, the movies have nothing in common. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah. And then Peter Weir made one more movie after that, the way back, which, uh, was kind of an underrated movie of like people escaping, uh, from like this, this foreign prison and walking through the wilderness and Colin Farrell was in that one. Um, I remember really liking that movie. It didn't get much attention. And then Peter Weir basically retired. I like Peter Weir basically described whether he's retired or not. He says for filmmakers, there are three categories. There's active, there's dormant, and then there's expired. And he says, I like to think that I'm in the expired category now. <laughs> Uh, so he's basically said, I'm done making movies, but uh, I mean, brilliant, uh, brilliant man. Um, so this movie, critically, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes still to this day, which is yeah. unbelievable. Uh, this has to be the highest of our month, I think. I remember that Rush had like incredible reviews too, because it was one of those things where I was, it was like Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, where I was like, yeah, this is a good movie, but is it this good? I don't know, maybe that one will be higher, but uh, some of the reviews on this now, uh, first, first of all, I want to mention, I can't find the exact review, but I don't it's know if not. it was a thing there. Uh, it's not uh, higher than this. 88%. Oh, there we go. Uh, but uh, there was a review that came out before this movie that basically said it was the movie of the decade. And the Truman Show built its entire marketing campaign around one review. Now, this was right before people realized that you could buy reviews. <laughs> you could have a fake reviewer from like the Poughkeepsie um, Shoppers the uh, Digest. The Oz Network, not real media places, you know, uh, not real media. And uh, you could just buy a review. But there was this review that said it was a movie of the decade. And every interview people had about The Truman Show referenced this. Somebody was saying it was the movie of the decade. And it was on all the posters and all that. I can't find that exact review. But that was kind of the, the consensus when this came out. Uh, Roger Ebert compared it to Forrest Gump, saying that it had the right balance between comedy and drama, which is like what we've been saying here. And he was impressed with Jim Carrey's dramatic performance. By the way, on Ebert and Siskel's TV show, they both issued a public apology to Jim Carrey because after Ace Ventura came out, they said this man will have no future in the movie industry. Uh, and then they issued a public apology after seeing The Truman Show. Uh, some other ones here. Kenneth Turnand of the Los Angeles Times said it is emotionally involving without losing the ability to raise sharp satiric questions as well as get numerous laughs. So again, a lot of these places, uh, ones are... are 
picking apart the comedy, which I think was just, that was probably the expectation here. But again, this movie, it, it's a weird, Forrest Gump's the best comparison because there weren't a lot of movies like this. Like, is Forrest Gump a drama? Is it a comedy? Mm. Is Truman Show a drama? Is it a comedy? Nowadays, this is just a movie. You're going to label it as one or the other. But like, people didn't know what this was at the time. Uh, James Berardinelli uh, said that it was not being the casual summer blockbuster special effects. And he likened Jim Carrey's charisma as understated and effective and his performance of those of Tom Hanks and James Stewart, which uh, it's interesting you mentioned James, James Stewart there, because one of the things I noticed on this, I don't think you've ever said you've seen the movie, but you can't escape the movie. It's a wonderful life in North America. Uh, it's I think yeah, the, the yeah. longest running film that and the wizard of Oz are the longest running films on television. Like they literally still air them every single year, multiple times a year. Uh, but the the hope that that fake movie they had about you don't have to leave to realize that home is where the heart is or whatever that fake movie is was describing the plot of uh, it's a wonderful life which is a guy like Jim Carrey's character in this and I have to think they were trying to do that a guy who wants to go off to explore who saved all his money who keeps trying to leave and something always gets in his way but the end of that movie is he realizes oh home is where the heart is and uh, it's a happy ending so this is kind of like the anti uh, it's a wonderful life or whatever. Uh, but yeah, 95% still, I, I, I don't even know the 5% that said anything negative about it. Um, You're idiots. Uh, well, we're going to see some idiots on IMDb in a minute, but obviously it would go on to, uh, get numerous awards, the British Academy film awards, uh, Peter Weir, won best director, one original screenplay, one production design, uh, was also nominated for best film, best supporting actor, no nomination, even the British Academy film awards, no nomination for Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Carrey did get a Chicago Films Critics Association Award where he was nominated. He also got the Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics. Oh, so a lot of critics, the critics were recognizing him. The Golden Globes, uh, this was nominated for Best Motion Picture Drama. Uh, Jim Carrey won Best Actor in a Motion Picture. Now, this is the same year that Shakespeare in Love won the Motion Picture Comedy for the Golden Globe. But like, I'm going to say Shakespeare in Love, that's probably more drama as well. Like, I think this is just a very confusing year. Uh, Ed Harris won Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Peter Weir and Andrew Nichol are both obviously nominated. Best, this is nominated for Best Original Score for the Golden Globes and won Best Original Score. That's that's That was against John Williams for Saving Private Ryan, and it won Best Original Score. That's nuts. Uh, but then, of course, you came the Academy Awards, which still a lot of credit. It got Best Director nomination for Peter Weir. Andrew Nichol got Best Original Screenplay. Ed Harris got Best Supporting Actor. None of them won, but they were nominated. Doesn't get Best Picture. Doesn't get Best Actor for Jim Carrey. Now... The things I, I I try not to judge until I look at the full list because one of the things I hate the most is when uh, you'll get, oh, this person was snubbed. And then they always want to say snubbed without saying who they should take the place of. But looking at Best Picture this year, you have Shakespeare in Love, which is pretty much universally now thought of as like, that's a movie that should not have won Best Picture. Um, you have Elizabeth. That's a great movie. Life is Beautiful. I actually thought Life is Beautiful was a, a great movie. Maybe not to the level of The Truman Show. You have Saving Private Ryan and The Thin Red Line. Thin Red Line, I've come around on, but like at one point, that was like a really boring movie to me. But if I'm looking at this right now, like the only one of these movies I feel like you cannot bump for The Truman Show is maybe Saving Private Ryan. Like these other movies aren't even in the same league as this. Now, best actor, Roberto Benigni wins for Life is Beautiful. It is a fantastic performance. He gets a lot of criticism now because it is a comedy performance. But again, like we're in a year where, where people held it against Roberto Benigni for winning because Jim Carrey wasn't nominated. And they're saying you should recognize comedians more. Roberto Benigni is like the Italian Jim Carrey and he won Best Actor. So I'm not going to fault him for that. But Tom Hanks nominated for Saving Private Ryan. Ian McKellen for Gods and Monsters uh, in a movie where he basically ogles Brendan Fraser shirtless for two hours. So good job, Ian McKellen. 
Nick Nolte for Affliction and Edward Norton for American History X. Now, I know a lot of people love American History X. That's a movie that's so dark, I couldn't even finish it. Uh, I don't remember Affliction. I remember Gods and Monsters because Brendan Fraser is shirtless in the movie. He plays James Whale. That's a bit of a foreshadow to Brendan Fraser being in The Whale. Yeah, I didn't even thought about that. There you go. Um, but yeah, looking at this list again, like I don't feel like there's anybody here that you cannot bump for Jim Carrey in The Truman Show. Uh, the, great performances, but like they should, still should be there. And uh, supporting actress, yeah, Judy Dench wins. I thought she was nominated. She won for Shakespeare in Love, where I think she had less than five minutes of screen time or something like that. Uh, so definitely deserve more for the awards. But um, uh, anything to comment on? I, we basically made this about ranting about how you should have an Oscar nomination as so we get ready for the IMDb stuff. Just quickly, how on earth do we... We lived in an Oscar year where Kate Blanchett was nominated for Elizabeth as Queen Elizabeth I of England. Judy Dench in Shakespeare in Love won yeah. as Queen Elizabeth I of England in, like, yeah. okay... Um, for those who like question about like the snubbery and the snobbery of the Oscars and oh we couldn't give it to a comedian, uh, let's just see who one of the Oscars went to that sh- that year. Let's look at the producers of Shakespeare in Love, shall we? Uh, <laughs> David Parfit, Donna Gigliotti, Edward Zwack, Mark Norman, and Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> That's okay to give him an Oscar. Um, uh-huh. It's just it's look. I have, I've seen Saving Private Ryan. I saw the Thin Red Line back in the day, but I don't think I liked it from memory. Um, yeah, like I just, it just baffles me. Cause like this, the thing about this movie too, is like, it's what we talked about the matrix. Like they were so ahead of its time and it's sort of mm-hmm. everything everywhere all at once is kind of a movie that got everything it did. Cause it was, it was unique. It was interesting. It was something we hadn't seen before. It was done in a manner that was like that. And you know, Again, no disrespect to Black Panther. I always bring it up. We, you and I are on the page. That did not deserve it. But okay, it was in some way ahead of its time in terms of the cast. I mean, again, we quashed that as well. We had had black superheroes before people. But it was done in a manner that maybe was very progressive on a level that the Academy looked at. Okay. So you look at something like The Truman Show, which is done in such a way that it just literally foreshadows the future on so many levels. And of course, you don't know that in 1998. But it's just. It's, but I think that makes it more impressive. But but you I mean it's like, like who would come up with an idea like this? But even like let's go back to our Matrix argument. We are living in a world right now where AI is becoming such yeah. a thing. We I'm sorry, we are ten years away from the Matrix and the Terminator coming true. Like it's it's freaky how much that is. Wait until you see the new Mission Impossible and you realize how it doesn't feel as far fetched as you think it was. Well, there you go. So like I mean this is the thing and like. I just it just baffles me that like this and the Matrix, Jurassic Park, like okay, I'm very biased. These are movies that I love, but at the same time, like you look at the level and you release this in 2023, it's gonna get nominated based on how it how the Academy looks at it. Maybe in a 10 year nominated period, like if we had 10 year 10 films, sorry, nominated in this year, like we do now, maybe yeah, yeah. That was the argument with the Dark Knight and everything along those lines. This isn't the only film in film history to be snubbed. But the Jim Carrey one is just, it's ridiculous. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. that to me is the the biggest snub, at least in my lifetime or that I'm aware of, of any movie I've seen that he didn't even get nominated. Because again, as yeah. I think I'm pretty sure if he wasn't the first, he was like only the second person to win the best goal, best drama Golden Globe and not even get a nomination. It's not about like, yeah, there's been plenty of people who say won the best drama actor and then being nominated, but not won. That's not that unusual. But to not even get a nomination, like, it's ridiculous. Because who was he up against in that, I think, in the Golden Globes? Uh, he was up against Stephen Fry for Wild as Oscar, in Os- as Oscar Wilde. Tom Hanks 
Ian McKellen, and Nick Nolte. So Stephen Fry got snubbed and Jim Carrey got snubbed. So in the musical or comedy, um, see, Benini wasn't even nominated for a Golden Globe. That's yeah. crazy. So you look at the Golden Globe nominee, none of the comedy actors got nominated for, so Michael Caine won for Little Voice. Uh, Antonio Banderas for The Mask of Zorro, Warren Beatty for Bullworth, John Travolta for Primary Colors, and Robin Williams got nominated for Patch Adams. I didn't realize he got a nomination. For that. Uh, shut up. Patch Adams is a great film. Leave <laughs> Patch Adams alone. Um, so, yeah, and Ed Harris won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor as well. Mm. So, and who did he lose to? Uh, James Coburn won for Affliction. Oh, Affliction. There you go. Um, but, yeah, just, it, I, it's, I just... I can't put a finger on it. It's it's the biggest snub to me that I've seen. It's ridiculous. Uh, no, I think this is the type of movie that would have been popular regardless because it is a very you know, easy, accessible movie to watch. But um, we got to credit the box office of Jim Carrey on this movie because a, a movie like this making $264 million worldwide should not happen. And this movie being released in the middle of summer is what's interesting because this is released right during the summer movie season. comes up beginning of June. It is the movie that knocks Godzilla out of the number one spot at the box office, uh, which we covered a couple years ago. Harry Shearer had, you know, what, multiple weekends, three weeks back to back, uh, number one in the box office. Uh, Opens with over $30 million, which, you know, you would think for Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey at this point, I think the Ace Ventura movies, or Ace Ventura 2 set like a $40 million opening weekend record or something like that. And, you know, Batman obviously was 50 million and I mean, Cable Guy was definitely down, but, uh, a uh, liar, liar. The year before this again was like forty million dollar opening, so thirty one. But for Jim Carrey's first dramatic movie, this movie opening in the middle of the summer, thirty one million dollars. Uh, next biggest is A Perfect Murder with Michael Douglas and Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, then you got Godzilla. Hope Floats was also in theaters. Sandra Bullock and Harry Connick Jr. Uh, Deep Impact and The Horse Whisperer. Uh, Bullworth, you already mentioned and Titanic in its twenty fifth week was number eight at the box office some dumb people and i got the hookup was still out wow what is i got the hookup um mouse hunt in week 25 i like mouse hunt actually this is pretty good in week uh 24 as good as it gets was still in the top 15 so um some good holdovers other movies that open that weekend mr jealousy and beyond silence oh i I watched them the other day Uh, i'd think here that apparently at the moment in new zealand they had a re-release of this um, well, about a month oh. ago. So good for New Zealand. Um, but the other one, so pretty good year, 1998. So Saving Private Ryan, Armageddon, There's Something About Mary, Bugs Life, underrated Bugs Pixar Life. movie, Waterboy, Water Dr. Doolittle, Rush Hour, Deep Impact. All of those top 10 movies I love. And then Lethal Weapon yeah. 4, good one. Trim Show, love that. Mulan, You've Got Mail, Enemy of the State, I remember watching it. Top 15 movies on that list I'm a fan of. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's I think that it's funny because you look at the Oscars and you're like, oh, not these movies. Are they really deserving? But then you look at like just the blockbusters, just the the entertainment movies, the popcorn movies. You're like, well, this was quite the year. Didn't realize Patch Adams made that much money. I thought Patch Adams was a bit of a bomb. Yeah, I remember Patch Adams being like huge and be like, why? Um, We have so far only covered. Well, you weren't even on the episode, but we covered. There's something about Mary. Yeah, Uh, we did Godzilla. Uh, and we've now done the Truman Show, but we might be doing at least one more of those top 15 movies by the end of the year. Uh, Russia? Well, no, we're doing Back to the Future instead, aren't we? No, 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 no. You've you got mail? Oh, right. Of course, you got, I forgot about that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. How about you know, Armageddon? Oh, my God. Yeah, well, we got to do Armageddon Deep Impact together. Uh, but um, 
looking at movies like the Truman Show that kind of predicted the future, Enemy of the State, when I rewatched that recently, I'm like, wow, it's crazy that this was like a thriller at the time and science fiction thriller. And now everything in Enemy of the State is what people use on their smartphones for fun, you know? Uh, anyways, so uh, IMDb user reviews. So some people hated these movies and they're called Idiots on IMDb. Uh, I'm going to read through some of the reviews there actually at the time period as well. Uh, this one from 1999, Sasha Lynn said, uh, a movie to sleep through. This was one of the worst movies that I have seen in a long time. The lack of a storyline in the beginning and the slowness of the movie provide a very boring movie. My dad By the time is. the storyline became evident, I was falling asleep and then had trouble keeping my eyes open for the remainder of the movie. I was told I was told that the end of the movie was the best part. So they didn't even stay awake to the end of the movie. Uh, I don't get this uh, one by Rat Girl. One of the oh, worst yeah, films I've ever movie. seen. When this film came out, I was really excited to see it because people were calling it the greatest film of all time, etc., etc. Yet when I went to see it, I was probably the most depressed person. I swear <laughs> that was the worst movie of the year. Not the best, as people were saying. If you are a <laughs> big film like I am, she's a movie. Uh, do not go <laughs> see this awful piece of... Hello, Rat Girl, the movie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this one too, uh, college said in January, 1899, crap, <laughs> this film, film had a good premise, but it failed miserably to develop it. The characters were all over the place. Jim Carrey's acting was the only redeeming feature. The ending was particularly bad with people who lived for Truman cheering his escape, though it means they will have nothing to do. Do you miss the point? This is a finale. I just finished. I said, I finished watching Jack Ryan. I'm not watching Jack Ryan knowing that it's the last episode of Jack Ryan and be like, Oh, come on. Don't end it. You're like, yeah, what an ending. Of course they're going to be cheering. This guy's crap. I love uh, um, rat, rat girls reviews here. So I'm stuck on rat girl. She's uh, reviewed a film. Another film we're doing later this year, black Christmas. Uh, oh. This is the scariest movie ever made. I rented about a year ago and it scared the heck out of me. Then I made the mistake of buying it and watching it again. Big mistake. <laughs> It was even scarier than before. <laughs> now I can't go near my attic without cringing and getting scared. And now I not now I not to now I know not to answer the phone late at night or collect glass unicorns. Okay. Can we do a month of Rat Girl? Let's just commit next year instead of plot keywords. We're gonna do Rat she's, Girl's movie recommendations. Well, she hasn't. So she's on Girl in Gold Boots from 1968, The Bad Seed from 1985, Revenge of the Nerds Three: <laughs> The Next Generation. She skipped the first two. Tiny Toon Adventures, How I Spent My Vacation, um, Time Chasers, E! True Hollywood Story, Dominic Dunn, An American Tragedy, House 4, and Black Christmas and the Truman Show. Uh, plot keywords. I mean, these are all pretty predictable. Hidden Camera Month, uh, Fictional Reality Show Month. I'm actually curious, Fictional Reality Show, how many are on here? Uh, let's see. We got The Hunger Games, The Truman Show, The Running Man, Reality Bites. Uh, Spun Gamer, Gamer. Oh, do you remember Gamer? Uh, rings a bell. Gerard Butler. Yeah. <laughs> God Complex Month, Creator Creation Relationship Month, the, Small Town Month, the Goofball bottom, Month. The bottom one is Sadness Month. Um, <laughs> we could do Man Wears Eyeglasses Month. I'm on board. I, I listened to the Mission I, Impossible I, Best of, by the way, and I like the. I didn't realize that was the birth of the plot keywords. Uh, yeah, I I put that in there because well, both that and then in Ghost Protocol, where we committed to one day we will do a month dedicated well, to this. I think in all honesty, if we did Man Wearing Eyeglasses Month, we've done three of the four of them. So Raiders of the Lost Ark, Breaking Bad, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and the only one we need to do the Blacklist. So with James, I love uh, redundance here on title directed by Male Month. Title directed by Man Month or <laughs> title written by Male Month. Hmm. Friendship uh, Month. 
<laughs> that sounds. Oh, that sounds. That sounds good. Object falling from the sky month, featuring the Truman Show, Donnie Darker. Ugh. Blade Runner Blackout 2022. It's a 2017 video and animation. And Space Battleship Yamoto. Yam- Yamoto. Looks like an anime. Yeah, in this movie? No, it's not an anime. Sorry, it's a live-action Japanese movie. Oh, I thought that was one month. Oh, well, that would have... Yeah, no. Anyway. Anyways. Um, Bean. I think I'll buy it. I'll, I'll go against <laughs> typical... Oh, uh, you twisted uh, my arm. Yeah, I'm going to buy this. Um, and actually, uh, so I, I'm not going to say absolutely surprise myself because as I said, American Graffiti was on my tip, top 50 favorite movies list. This and Mrs. Doubtfire one's like, oh, I didn't have that. And I, th- I mentioned last week that uh, Mrs. Doubtfire was one that's like, oh, it probably just missed out. Whereas Truman Show was like, oh, didn't I not include that one? Which I think had a lot to do with maybe including Gattaca and Master and Commander as opposed to this. But I mean, they're completely different movies. So even last week I was thinking this one should have made my top 50 favorite films list. So from my rankings go, um, I'm actually going to put this number one, even Yay. though when I did our top 50 favorite films, American Graffiti was slightly ahead of this. So this will be my number one, American Graffiti 2, and Mrs. Deltfire number three. Yay. Um, yeah, I mean, by number one, this will be number one. It came in 15th on my list. I, I don't know how many Jim Carrey movies I had on my list. Um, oh, Dumb and Dumber was on the list. I had at least two or three on there. But um, the number 23. I've never seen the number 23, actually. Uh, I haven't either. I, I that's because you watch the Jim Carrey dramatic stuff, and then the number twenty two came out, and everybody who praised his prior dramatic stuff were like, "Don't watch this movie." So we didn't. It was the other one. What was um was it the majestic or the one where he's like oh this... that one was good. See, I'm, that like, was very Truman Show like. There were a few that I just didn't watch, and it was mainly because yeah, like I I know we'll talk about the next year when we do anniversary month, but I've actually never seen Man on the Moon, Man on the Moon, whatever it's called. Oh so, wow. Um, that's an anniversary next year. Maybe we sub that one in. Well, that's well, isn't that what we're doing? Isn't we? Are we doing three? Of oh, 94? I thought we were doing Dumb and Dumber two as well. Let's just spoil it now because we're talking about Jim Carrey. We should spoil this. Oh, well, we next year, our anniversary month for next year, we decided 1994 was the year of Jim Carrey. You had Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber all in one year. Yeah. So let's do Jim Carrey next year and do all those movies. Ooh. And then I think we were originally debating about doing Dumb and Dumber two. But I think Man on the Moon would be the better one. Because I'm that's, pretty sure it's, that's it's an anniversary. anniversary. Yeah, and I also, and I think the thing with that, because we were planning, I think when we we're going to do Biopic Month, weren't we going to do the Andy Kaufman, like the, the yeah, background that was movie on our from list. Netflix as well? So I think maybe mm-hmm. like double up and kind of watch that. It's sort of similar to what we should have done with the Disaster Artist. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it would make more sense to do Man on the Moon just because you would argue why are we doing Dumb and Dumber 2 and not Ace Ventura? Because is it an anniversary yeah. of Dumb and Dumber 2 next year as well? Is that it why is, we were looking yeah. at it? Okay. Uh, yeah, look, I'd rather do Ace Ventura 2. <laughs> um, even though that's probably not an anniversary. I was thinking the same thing, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm middle ground Dumb and Dumber 2, uh, whereas I like Ace Ventura 2 probably better than I like Ace Ventura 1. So, yeah. Anyway, um, but yes, by number one, and uh, we'll talk about what we're about to do next week, but... I love. Will it be your number one next week? I I don't because I mean Rush did make my top fifty as well, and it was like in the forties. But I think it was my number one film of the twenty tens from memory. So yeah, yeah, we did that list too, didn't we? Mm. Yes. Um. Yeah. Like Rush is uh, a movie I saw once when it came out, and thought that was a good movie. But I, I don't know whether I heard all the hype before I saw the movie, or all the hype came after. But I know one way or the other, I was sort of like does this live up to the hype? Like, is it's kind of like Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, like I mentioned. Like, I was like, I don't quite get why people were saying, like, this is the best movie of the year. 
Um, now, having said that, I, I mentioned on other episodes before, I was a big Daniel Brühl fan when he was just doing German films. There's a movie, if, if you're ever going to watch a subtitled movie, Ben, uh, your movie needs to be Goodbye Lenin, which was like his breakthrough movie, where he basically is uh, convincing his mom, who was in a coma during the fall of the Berlin Wall and was pro-Soviet overlords, that it never happened. So he's doing fake newscasts with fake mustaches and trying to convince, it's almost like Truman Show like, he's trying to convince his mom that the Berlin Wall never fell, that communism never collapsed, and that she's still living in the world that she thought she was in before. Hilarious movie, and I love that movie, and I would watch even some German movies he made, and then when he got into like these American movies, I remember being really excited when it came out and thinking like this, if anything, this movie deserved an Oscar. It was Daniel Brühl, which it sounds like you kind of have the same opinion, but I mean, this is your baby. This is your sport, you know, your 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 history and your film. Yeah, I think a lot of it, and I, again, I, I come from this from a different path and in watching it, it's similar to like, I think when I did a review of the Netflix documentary Schumacher a couple of years ago, I think I said to you, like, I'd be interested to see like someone like you watching it who doesn't come into this with a back, like, like I'm sure if there was a Go-Go's documentary and I, you like, you would know everything. There is. It's brilliant. <laughs> exactly. And I would watch it, take it completely different to you would. But this is one of those things when you're a fan of something and you're obsessed with something and, and Formula One is my is my baby. That's what I've always called my church. I've got a Formula One tattoo or Michael Schumacher tattoo. Uh, the qualifying lap, the biggest podcast and best one I've ever done. Like, let's be honest. So I remember when this sort of was coming out and it was sort of being talked about and it was a big deal in the Formula One community. And at that point in time, it had sort of been a very rare feat that there had been a decent, not only Formula One movie, car racing movie. We remember Driven. Again, we'll talk about this more next week, but there was a movie in the 60s called Grand Prix, which was often highly yeah. revered. Uh, and a few other ones here in the Days of Thunder, I think kind of had its, you know, I've never seen it, but I know it kind of had its fans. But the thing about this is that it was a Formula One movie. It was based on a real life championship battle on two very, very famous Formula One drivers. I have met, he's no longer with us now, Nicky Lauder, the guy who Daniel Brühl plays. I met him a couple of times, got his autograph a couple of times. James Hunt long passed away, passed away in the early 90s. But these are two real people. The story of this is very famous in Formula One. And it is pretty darn accurate to pretty much everything. And I was this close to interviewing Daniel Brawl. Again, we can tell that story next week. And and just, I went to like a pre-screening of this and it was just, loved it. And it's one that I've honestly maybe only seen in my life three times. But every time I watch mm. it, I love it to death. The music in this is fantastic. Olivia Wilde's fantastic. Chris Hemsworth's really good in this film. Uh, it's just It's got all the boxes. A second Ron Howard film? It is a second Ron Howard film as well. I think it's just... I'm going to be intrigued to see what you think of it, having not seen it in a little bit. Um, Daniel Brühl robbed of an Oscar nomination. I think he got a Golden Globe nomination at least. Yeah, he did. Um, but, yeah, it's just so good. And it, it is very intriguing to think now that they're doing this Formula One movie, uh, sort of in a fictionalized universe, but sort of basing it within the real world of Formula One today and this big, huge push that Formula One's had since Netflix came on board. But, um, yeah, this is an incredible movie, and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh not very similar. I there's another movie that came out, I think, around the same time, Frost Nixon, about mm. David Frost and Richard Nixon. And I remember uh, thinking these movies, because I think Ron Howard did both of those movies. I mean, like, well, he's really into, like, these rivalry movies right now. Uh, but one thing I'm really excited about is um, not only did I find that uh, Rush is on one of the streaming services here, but I remember years ago when this movie came out, there was a, docu a Hunt versus Laudo documentary that I always meant to check out. Because I even if I'm indifferent on a movie, I'm always kind of interested to hear about the true stories. 
And I never got around to watching that, but they just re-added that to whatever streaming service has Rush right now. So I'll probably have a chance to watch the the Hunt versus Ladder documentary. I don't know if you ever watched that one either. I think I did. I mean, look, I've seen so many Formula One documentaries over the years. Years I generally watched most of them, but um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of hype. I think I'm pretty sure this is based on a novel that was written about it. I could be mistaken there, but um, it's similar. Like I'm started to read the Enzo Ferrari book that they're basing this Enzo Ferrari movie on oh. later this year. But I mean, even like things like special effects and everything. So like the the footage of Nicky Lauda's crash in real life is very iconic, and the fact that they recreate it pretty pretty accurately too, if you see the original footage of it. So um, yeah, and it's it's a pretty historically accurate film as well, which is I guess it's not like Cool Runnings where they like blemish it to take a story. Like they pretty much stick to what happened in real life. Feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. Uh, look out, hunt! It's Lauda time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the for the show. Uh, so yeah we'll be back with that for next week ending up uh, anniversary month and then we'll kind of tease whatever our next month is after that in the meantime we still have our 24 episodes I don't know if Amazing Race Canada is happening um, we'll do something oh, oh Ben's going to be doing Amazing Race Canada hold on uh, I've been watching religiously no this Saturday is our 20th anniversary Nip Tuck reunion we're going oh, yeah. to have two sort of episodes kind of celebrate it Nick and I are just going to come together and do a little you know retrospective of the show but then we're also going to have, so we've, I recorded this yesterday at the time of us recording this. Uh, we have four cast members from Nip Tuck, two of whom have been on the show. And they sit down for an hour and we just bring back memories of the show and talk about it. It's quite good. I, if I don't say so myself, but if you've listened in the past to our third watch one and our 24 one, we like to try and do this with the anniversaries for all the shows that we've covered on the show. So next year, hello, Lost. I'm sure Matthew Fox is finally going to come on our show. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking we might do a 25-year anniversary of third watch to milk the cow that everybody wants. And plus, we've got Zoom now, so we can maybe release a video episode of it. But as of now, it's Nip Tuck this week. I won't tell you who's on it. You can wait and see, but you'll be excited if you're a Nip Tuck fan because I know Colin's I already, already know who's on in. it, and I'm excited. Yes. He I, loves- I didn't watch Nip Tuck, and I want to tune in. Well, good. Do it. Um, so yeah, we have that. And of course, uh, we'll have a review. We're probably already have, we already have a review of mission impossible. We're hoping, Ah, uh, I can't believe that Peter Krause was really Tom Cruise. Yeah. Well, well, who'd give the spoilers away? Um, but I'm very excited to talk about that because, uh, by the time Ben's seen it once, I've probably seen it three times. (laughs) You've seen it twice already. (laughs) You've only seen it once. I did. Oh my God. I mean, in all fairness, I agreed to see it twice before I ever saw it once. Uh, but I am going back a third because basically tomorrow is my last day of vacation. As you could tell right now, I've had a great vacation being sick and everything. Uh, but uh, I'm like, I got one thing left to do. I want to get away from the house. I'll just go see Mission Impossible. One spoiler. Do we get an introduction of, hi, I'm Tom Cruise. A lot of people made this movie really I, well. <laughs> so the fir- the IMAX screening didn't have it. The IMAX screening is basically we jump right into the movie. But the second time I saw it with my nephew... They did start with that. They're like, it was Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie. And it was oh. like, hi, I'm Tom Cruise. I'm Christopher McQuarrie. And it was basically like, well, we, we work really hard on this movie and we hope you enjoy it. <laughs> oh, that makes me happy. I like, we don't have IMAX. They're rebuilding the IMAX screen in Sydney. So I don't think it's meant to open to the end of the year. We've got VMAX, but like literally the, the day I was going to go see it, I could spend like $32 for a ticket for VMAX or I think it was like $11 for a standard screen. I'm like, I'm going to see it on a standard screen. Sorry, Tom Cruise. I'm going to afford to pay for Oppenheimer and Barbie in the next week too, people. So come on. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to watch Tom Cruise tell us how hard they worked on Oppenheimer and Barbie because um, we're going to have Having those a, reviews coming soon as well. his little picture of him with these little tickets? I've got my tickets to Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you also saw Tom Cruise and Chris McCory. They, uh, they did four cities in 24 hours. 
but like the the just regular people, the opening showings of the movie showed up in a, a Toronto movie theater and a Miami movie theater or something like that. And you just walked in and Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie are right at the front. Hi, guys. How we were really hard on this movie. We hope you enjoy it. How'd you be? I'm going to go to Barbie like in a week's time. Oh, g'day, Tom Cruise. How you doing? Uh, you doing well? <laughs> yeah, cool. Good to know. Margot Robbie can't be bothered to go see it, but Tom Cruise will. <laughs> sit there and his popcorn. Like, shh. <laughs> hey, you know who's really going to be tuning in? this movie. Shh. <laughs> You know who's going to be tuning in when we talk about Rush next week? Tom Cruise! <laughs> we worked really hard to watch Rush and talk about it. Uh, so stay tuned for that and anniversary episodes and all the other stuff. And I have the greatest closing line ever, so I get to say, my name is Colin, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, good night. My name is Ben, and dog fancy, please. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff yes sir do you like having access to your favorite podcast hosts in a way like never before yeah absolutely do you wish you had access to our old survivor oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online oh yeah if you answered yes to one two or all of those questions then get excited because the oz network is now on patreon That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.